You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and I have here with me today, Jeremy. Hello, Matt. Hi, Jeremy. We're doing Mordor today, as everyone has seen from the title, uh, and it's a big one. It's a very, very big army list, isn't it? It, it really is, and, and I, look, I need to apologize to listeners. The delay this episode has taken us a long time, but I think it's worth it. I think, I think for the, the amount of stuff we cover here, you'll probably soon find out why it's Yes, that, that's the only reason. We actually started this, what, a year and a half ago, this podcast, and uh, it's going to be out shortly, and we're very excited about it. Yeah, we've just been doing it like a couple minutes a day, and it's just been building up over time, so I'm really glad to, to be able to piece it all together. Really, really keen to get this one out. Okay, firstly, your overall impression of Mordor. Obviously, it's, it's an absolute smorgasbord of different things. Like, it's probably got as much variety as any list in the game. But uh, what do you think of Mordor? Do you enjoy using Mordor? What's your imp- impression of it in this uh, version of the rules? Oh, look, for me, Mordor is basically Lord of the Rings. It's the it's the army that just represents everything about Lord of the Rings. It's the, it's the great bad guy of the Third Age with the with Sauron in the tower and all the wraiths and everyone else doing his bidding. It's a really variable army. It's a massive army. I I think it would be probably the biggest in the game. It may be that I might be slightly wrong by a unit or two, but it's pretty close to it. If it's not, it's it's a fantastic army for beginners. It's a good army for people who have been playing a long time. There's always something to go back to and some to try out with Mordor and I really like it and I think it's one of those armies that, that I think Mordor, Gondor, Rohan, Isengard are probably your four that, that uh, represent Lord of the Rings the most and I think Mordor to me is definitely it. Recently I've been repainting all my Mordor models to, to match my Mordor orcs and I've, I've really loved playing them, uh, testing out for this episode. It's, it's been great fun, I've really enjoyed them and uh, I, I think I'll come back to them again very soon because there's, there's so much more to explore. Yeah, I've actually got a pretty limited amount of Mordor models painted up. I have my basic orcs, but that's really... A b- and a few wraiths here and there, but none of the really interesting, like, individual stuff. So I'm really keen to talk about it and see what takes my fancy as we discuss everything through this episode. Yeah, definitely. There's been a fair few changes this edition, so some things are probably not as appealing, but other things I think are more appealing. So there's a bit of a balance, and, and I think there's there's more things to be found out about it as well. So hopefully we can find out stuff as well. Yep, for sure. All right, shall we get right into it? We should definitely get right into it. Know thine enemy. Know thine enemy, Jeremy, and I think we're, we're going to have to move quite quickly through this one, aren't we? Because just look at the number of profiles here. Holy cow! Yeah, uh, there's even a holy cow in there. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, we're, hold on, we're, we're, we're so here. far away from the cow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to leave out some of our filler and things like that. We'll go straight into it. Uh, we start off with the wraiths. So there's a lot of wraiths to cover, but luckily they they they've got a lot of similarities. So they won't take too long to do. The first wraith is, of course, the very famous Witch King of Angmar. Now, the Witch King of Angmar is in the Mordor list as well. I know he's he's a stalwart of the Angmar list, but he's just as good in the Mordor list, uh, may, may arguably, I think. So we've talked about the Witch King of Angmar before, but we'll definitely repeat it again. He's got your basic wraith profile of fight five, strength four, 
defense eight, one attack, one wound, courage six. So that's very stock standard. The move six for on foot, and you can give him pretty much the, the whole smorgasbords of mounts. So you can get him up to move 10 on a horse or move 12 on a fell beast. He's the one that's got the variable might, will, and fate as the named Wraith. I know that the, the basic ring Wraith does as well, but you can really get a variable points level. So you can pay for up to three points of might, up to 20 points of will, minimum of 10, and up to three points of fate. So you can really go all out and give him lots and lots of stats, or you can keep him, not cheap, but, but quite affordable as well. He's got heaps of heroic actions compared to the other Wraiths. So you've got Resolve, which I haven't seen used a lot, but it could be, could be useful if you're getting a lot of magic going against you. He's got channeling, which is very useful. He's got strike, which is very useful. He's got strength, which I've never seen being used, but I'm sure someone could find some corner case for use for that one. And challenge, which is once again, probably the most extreme corner cases. This is one where people talk about, oh yeah, I've used challenge because someone gave me a bingo sheet at the start of the tournament that said use challenge. So this is the the action that, that probably doesn't need to be printed off too much. But then we go on, he's got lots of options as well. So you've got armored fell beast and fell beast. So you can get the high defense fell beast or the normal fell beast. You got the crown of Morgul, which is your your must buy crown of Morgul. The crown of Morgul we've talked about before uh, increases your attack value to three. So this is very useful for for any anything. If he's on foot, if he's on horse, or he's on fell beast, probably less so on the fell beast, but definitely on the other two, it's very useful. But the main part about it is you get to reroll one die when casting or resisting. So he basically uh, increases your casting and resisting effectiveness quite a bit depending on how many dice you're throwing so that's almost a, an auto buy at 25 armored horse is good horse is good morgul blade is always good it's it's expensive at 10 points so a lot of times people forget to take it but it's one of those those items that that i talked about with chris in our last episode that it's something that's probably worth taking if this is your killer because having having the ability to take down all of someone's wounds when you've got probably three points of might helping you out is very very useful two-handed flail it's okay, but that one's probably the one that people don't tend to take as much. Special rules are, of course, Harbinger of Evil, Terror, Will of Evil, as of all Wraiths. Harbinger of Evil, you stop Courage tests, or, no, you reduce the Courage around you, so you Courage down by one. Terror, we know what Terror is, people have a hard time charging him. And Will of Evil just means if he's fighting in the fight phase, you lose a point of Will, a point of will at the end of the fight phase. It doesn't matter how many combats he, he fights, it's still only the one will. So if you do a heroic combat, it's still only the one will, which is helpful. Uh, Might Will Fate, you can up by five points to each of the stats. And the magic powers. We have a range of magic powers. We have the Drain Courage. So this is the long game type spell where you just reduce someone's courage so much that they get frustrated. Uh, it's casting on a 2+, plus, very easy to cast, a range of 12. Uh, they've all got range of 12 except for one. So assume range of 12 unless I say otherwise. Transfix is your, always your go-to for 3+. plus. Compel is a great spell at 4+. plus. Instill Fear is the range 3 and casting on a 4+. plus. This one needs a bit of setup and it's very good at certain times and not so good at other times. So so your, your mileage may vary on Instill Fear. Your Staff is Broken is very useful at scaring off enemy spellcasters and a 4+, plus is easy to cast. Black Dart... Pretty good at a 5+. plus is a good way to do some damage. And then Sap Will on a 5+. plus. This is, once again, a little bit situational, but I think it's also a very good spell. I just wish it was a little bit less than a, a 5+, plus because I think they've gone extreme on that one. They clearly didn't like it, and that one got the, the, the big hit. That's the Witch King of Agmar, Matt. Yes, we've discussed the Witch King at length before, so I don't think we need to um, dilly-dally on, on all his various abilities and traits you've pretty much covered everything there jeremy would i don't think we need to go anymore so um if, if you do want to hear a lot more about him go and listen to that angmar episode because we talked at length 
about the Witch King. Uh, so I'll move right along to the next one, which we have also covered before, but we'll go through it again. Kamuli Easterling. Uh, he has the basic Wraith profile. Uh, fight 5, Strength 4, Defense 8, 1 Attack 1, Wound, Courage 6. He has 2 Might, 12 Will, and 2 Fate. So basically around that are uh, maxed out basic Wraith profile, which I believe can get to 14 Will, but he has the 12. Uh, he has Heavy Armor Sword, same as uh, all the Wraiths. Uh, heroic Channeling. Very importantly, he has Heroic Strike. He is the only other named Wraith beside the Witch King that retained Heroic Strike mm. in these rule sets, and it actually makes him incredibly potent, uh, particularly, I believe, on Felbeast. Yes. Uh, and, and it's just a really, really important rule for him because he got a little bit left behind in the previous rule set. We'll get a little bit more into what his special rule is and how it affects everything. But uh, he perhaps wasn't as effective as some other race. He was still very good. But um, the fact that he is the only other named Wraith with Heroic Strike makes him crucial now, particularly in, uh, I believe, an all-named Wraith army. But yes, very, very important um, rule there. And Heroic Challenge, which, as Jeremy discussed, not hugely important. Definitely not as important as Heroic No, no. Uh, his options are the, the Fell Beasts, the Armoured Horse, and the Regular Horse. So all of the cavalry options there. Uh, Fell Beast will probably be your most common choice, particularly for Kamul. Uh, his special rules are Harbinger of Evil, Terror, and Will of Evil, as with all the wraiths. Uh, one thing Jeremy didn't mention, if you don't know, uh, when ring wraiths run out of will, they are dead. Mm. They're gone. Kaput. Disappear. So that that's part of the uh, Will of Evil special rule there. Um, okay, so we get to... Uh, you know what? I'll go through the spells first. Kamul is not the best spellcaster out of all the wraiths. Uh, he hits... All of his spells basically one worse than most wraiths. So, Drain Courage is on a 3, Transfix on a 4, Compel on a 5, Instill Fear is the same, it's still on a 5, uh, Sap Will on a 5, and Black Dart on a 6. Sap Will also the same, I think they're all Sap Will yes. on a 5. Something like that anyway. Yeah, so he's not the best caster, but he does have Essence Leech, which is his special rule. If Kamul makes a strike against an enemy model which causes a wound, he instantly regains a single point of will spent earlier in the battle for each wound caused, unless it is saved by fate or a similar special rule. This cannot restore his will beyond 12. That's kind of redundant. They already said it is regained. Mm. Anyway, so uh, he does have some sustain, as Kylie would say. He has the ability to keep going for a bit longer, and he is more combat-oriented. He gets these back when he's fighting on a fell beast. However, he does not get it for brutal powers, as is in the FAQs, I believe. Yes. Additionally, Kamul may expend a single point of will at the start of the fight phase before heroic actions are declared to increase either his fight value, strength, or attacks by one for the remainder of that fight phase. Note, if he is mounted, he will only ever increase his own fight strength or attacks, not those of his mount. So, he has the ability to straight up go to fight value 6 if you need it, if you're fighting against, say, uh, elven troops. He has the ability to boost his strength up to 5 if you are fighting a, I don't know, defense 7 army and you are not on a fell beast. And he has the ability to increase his attacks by one, say again, if he is on foot and uh, needing that extra attack to do an extra wound, potentially. So he's got a few options there, but generally I think you're going to be using it for that fight value when you need it, or the extra attack if you really need it on foot to try and uh, keep his will up. But uh, because you're actually losing will to do it, yeah, it's generally going to be for that fight value, I think. that That's the most common time you're going to use that. 
But basically, the idea with Kamul, he is a beat stick. He can go in, he can kill heroes, he can maintain his will, and he, he will generally, if he's going to be casting spells, just be throwing out a few transfixes and keeping things at bay. Yeah, it, that's pretty much all there is to him, mm. really. Uh, unlike the other wraiths, who may have a few more kind of tricky things that they can do, Kamul's quite straightforward. The fact that he kept that heroic strike is huge for him and makes him a really viable option. I think the best option for him is to, to take him on a fell beast and really use him as a yes. hunter to go after heroes. Yeah, so he, that that's really good to do. And you've got a few options there. So you, you compel and transfix are your go-to spells when you're hero hunting because you might need to compel to get them out where you can charge them or transfix prevents mm-hmm. them from striking. So that may already make your fight five good enough. If it's not, you've got two options. You can spend a single point of will to guarantee your fight goes up to a six, which is often enough. If someone's not striking against you, getting up to fight six is often enough. But if you're going against like an elf hero or something like that, you may wish to to do both. Put that up by one and then strike as well. So you can get some reliability. You might want to risk it and just go for a strike and not put something up by a will as well. But I don't recommend that. I feel like if you're trying to get higher fight value, you go all in on higher fight value. And once you get that... You just, you just knock them over and do lots of wounds. You never use your brutal power attacks for this one because it's only your normal strikes. And the, the knockdown means that you can potentially have, uh, what, six strikes if you've charged with a fell beast. And, and that's six opportunities to get back some will as well. So you go in, you assassinate as much as you can, you try and regain as much will, and you take down value targets that way. And he gets his points back. He's, he's expensive at 170 at that point. But in this army, you can definitely afford something like that. And Kamul's a really good option. Absolutely. I also just want to point out that all of these wraiths are heroes of valor, aside from the Witch King, who is, of course, a hero of legend. So, leading 15 troops, really cool option. And yes, he's expensive, but I reckon well worth it. Yeah. I can't talk enough about that heroic strike. Really, really important. It, it was bread and butter for Fell Beasts in the previous edition, and it's kind of what made them maybe a little bit, oh, dare I say it, OP? Yeah. A little bit OP, the odd flying circus. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Well, I think that, and combined with the, the Hurl, because people would come in, you could do the flying circus, and you could mm. throw things in any direction. So you could essentially play bowling with them uh, for very, very little risk, and they were, they were really powerful. They're not as yeah. powerful at the moment. They're still playable, but I think it's good that they're, they're brought back into line, and, and it encourages you to take other things as well. The Rafes as leaders is, is a pretty good option. I move on to the next Rafe now, which is the Dark Marshal, and I've had a lot of experience with the Dark Marshal. Uh, once again, standard Rafe profile, except you get a bonus fight value. So this one starts with fight six, which is surprisingly useful. Fight six is very, very good. Oftentimes, the five, you're, you're basically going 50-50 on people. So fight six, once again, unless you're against elves, that's pretty good. You've got 14 will, which is pretty nice as well. So that's a bit more than Kamul. So two, two might, 14 will, two fate. Uh, you've only got the channeling, but you're a pretty decent spellcaster. So you've got all the standard to cast on the spells. So Drain Courage 2+, Transfix 3+, Capel 4+, and Still Fear 4+, and the other two on the 5+. So he's basically a spellcaster wraith with a couple bonuses. The bonuses are the Fight 6. Um, he's got a rule through Fear special rule, where at the start of the fight phase, before the heroic actions are declared, you can throw away a point of will, and then all friendly warrior models within 6 inches of the Dark Marshal count as being in range of a banner until the end phase of that turn. That is an amazing ability, because oftentimes banners are only covering half your battlefield. That 
almost certainly covers most of your battlefield, if not all of it. So he is very, very good at becoming a a second banner, essentially. Uh, You can take him as your only banner effect, but I don't recommend that. I still think the banner is very good because you don't want to spend that wheel all the time if you don't have to, but I find him to be quite good. He's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. He can do the assassination with Fight 6. He can do the, the troop killing if he wants to. He can do the hurling. He can do the support for magic. And he's, I think he's a good option, especially if you're taking a very uh, warrior-heavy army. Yeah, I think in the last set of rules, he was also one of the you know top-tier choices. In fact, I, I think a lot of people had him probably in the top three of, of the nine named wraiths. Mm. Uh, and I think he's probably still up there. That huge banner effect is massive. Uh, especially on a fell beast, because you know it's an even bigger base. It's covering an even bigger area with that effect. So really, really cool. But you don't need to take him on a fell beast. Actually, he he can actually do his job on a horse uh, or even on foot potentially. So he, he's one of those ones where you don't lose too much if you don't take the fell beast. But yeah, just so effective. Just a, another great choice. Like as good as like why would you ever take a basic wraith at full stats if you could take the dark marshal instead? Oh, there's only one reason, but we'll go. To- to that very shortly. Yep, sure. yep, yep. Yep. Do you want to do the Shadow Lord, Matt? Sure, the Shadow Lord. Okay, so here's the uh, the sort of meta pick, if you like, out of all the rates. Uh, again, same basic profile, except one less courage. He's only courage five. Mm. He's the cowardly wraith. Which I think's a typo. I don't get that. No, I, I kind of get it. He hides in the shadows. Yeah, I think that's weak. darkness wherever he goes. I think it's... A- I actually always thought um, that it was the undying that was the one with less courage, because, like, he's scared of dying or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. no, I, I actually reckon it was on no. purpose. No, I think it no, was. No, I think it's I, the old... I think you don't give him enough credit. No, I don't give one. him any credit. It's the old Kardush, like, two attacks, one wound. It's just someone hasn't hasn't typed it out. Really, yeah, it though? Is. It, it happens on. throughout all the books. I don't it know. It happens throughout all the books. I don't, I don't believe it's intentional. That's pretty crazy. Oh, it happens all the time. That's that's a weird one to retain, though. <laughs> they don't know how to copy and paste. I'm sure there's some kind of significance Nothing. for it. So, <laughs> hang on. So, the, the fight six of the Dark Marshal is intentional, but the Courage five of the Shadow Lord isn't? Uh, uh, yes. No, I, that's probably a typo as well. I just, I don't Jeremy? see why you lower courage out oh. of all stats. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure they had a reasoning behind it's, it. Is there anything there, like in the No, fluff? there's nothing. Maybe there's something No, there. he blackens the skies. Nothing, no, nothing no. No, and Dark Marshal, like having a combat rate for Fight 6, I can see that being... I think that's more likely to be intentional. They both could be intentional. They both could be accidental. I'm still... I'm going to go for the accidental. Now, of course, no one... Even if it was, no one would ever admit to it because we know that, that every mistake gets doubled <laughs> down on, even the spelling mistakes. If there's something... I think there was a Vicotri points in one of the scenarios and I'm sure that's going to be doubled down on Vicotri. as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want some Vicotri points. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. Oh, you are a brave man, Matt. <laughs> I respect <All> right. that. <laughs> Okay, so the the Shadow Lord, uh, he has the same mount options, except he cannot get an armored horse. Mm. Again, I that okay, I don't, I don't know, I I can't explain. Maybe because he's okay. too scared uh, his horse will get injured or something like that, so he doesn't. <laughs> it's funny because look at his horse; he's got some armor on yeah, him. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay, Harbinger of, e- of Evil, Terror, Will of Evil, same as mm-hmm. all the rates. His special rule is Pall of Darkness. At the start of the move phase, before heroic actions are declared, the Shadow Lord may spend a will point to activate this ability. Until the end of that turn, shots against the Shadow Lord or any model within six inches of him will only ever hit on a six. Now, that's interesting for two reasons. One, it's really, really good for an evil army to be able to prevent Mm -hmm. shooting in, in such a way. 
because especially Mordor, they don't usually win shootouts. I mean, that's not true of all evil armies, but there are quite a few that will lose uh, shooting battles. So, really, really important, I think, for them to have that ability. Unfortunately, I think they made it a little bit too powerful by making it so big. Yeah. It's a really quite a big range, and in the previous rules, you saw the Shadow Lord literally everywhere. It, it was basically people when I don't feel like taking shooting myself... I'm going to take the Shadow Lord so I don't lose to shooting even though I don't have any. That's kind of what it felt like. It, it feels like a very crutch model. Mm. It's interesting that in some armies it's absolutely terrible. You don't want to take him, for instance, Corsairs, because it's any model. So it also stops all of your own throwing weapons from hitting anything if he's within six inches. It is interesting that you can turn it on and off, though, which we couldn't do before. Yeah, yes. Uh, but yeah, look... It still does basically the same thing as he always did. Uh, he's just as good a caster as any of the other wraiths. Yeah, exactly the same as the basic wraith. Casting? No, no, no. Casting is crazy stuff. He's got two Hang differences. Hang on a second. What? So he's black dart. Okay. I'm yep, going to do it. I, yep. I know this, Matt. His black dart six is inch. six inches for some reason, which is definitely intentional, as you know. Whoa. And a, on, on a five plus, which is the same. And his instill fear is on a five plus. So he's got two modifications in random spots. So he's clearly yeah. not as scary as oh. the others. And his black dart is slightly less potent, so he doesn't have the range of the black dart. Now, I, the black dart, I could, on, I can aren't, understand aren't that one. Most of them, whoa, 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 aren't most of them in still fear on a five plus? Oh, the the dark marshals on a four plus. I thought that was like the, the standard. Oh, maybe it is. No, uh, dark marshals. Dark marshals is better. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. No, no, that could be right. But the range of the black dart, it may be to do with the polar darkness, so they don't want you sitting back out of range and just casting black darts. But once again, I don't think that's an effective strategy uh-huh. anyway. I don't really understand why it needed to be that way. But it is. That's what it is. It could be just that the, it's something to, to stop people taking the Shadow Lord as much as they were because, it, as you said, it was the wraith that everyone went for. And I, like as a player, as a mortal player, I like having this option. But as an opponent, sometimes I don't like this because the stuff that passively just shuts down entire forces that someone's invested heavily in sometimes feels very crutch-like, especially when it's it's no effort to turn on. It's literally, you don't roll a dice, you just cross off a, a stat that you've got heaps of. Mm. Like, I prefer it over what they obviously had before, which was literally, it's just part of mm, the model. Yeah. It's just built in. And you do literally nothing. You just put him in the right spot. But uh, at least now you have to use your stats up to do it, as, and it's there for on a timer. But yeah, yeah, it's it's very shade like. It's, it's still it's, pretty it's... pretty rank, isn't it? Really, like it's not it's not something you expect a very good player to be using. Basically, I... it's, it's the sort of thing where it's like if you're taking that, I'm concerned about how you view the game. I just think. You know what I Why mean? is it not like a blinding light where you can just cast it on a spell? Like, if you had it that way, just had it yeah. as a spell, yep. basically just give him blinding light. I think that would be fine. And then you have to still roll the dice to do it, and you still have to decide, do I want it to be something that lasts for a long time and spend some might for it, or do I want it to be or do I want to cast every turn, turn instead of yeah. casting my yeah. spell? Then you've got a real choice, because it's not just a, an auto thing, because it takes the place of all these under, other great spells. So I feel like that would have yep. been a change. Yep. That makes such a difference, mm. yeah. I think when they brought these wraiths out, they're like, we really want to sell these, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like... I think that's what they did when they brought them out, and then in hindsight, it, they they became so oversaturated. Some of them, for some reason, they didn't make the tainted that great the first time around. And he's he has the best model, just yes. quietly. 
He has the best ring wraith model in the entire range. Anyway, we'll get well, to Well, no, him. just before we finish um, the Shadow so Lord. The no, Shadow Lord. Shadow Lord yeah, I'll yeah, just say on. one more thing. Shadow Lord has the worst model. Yeah, So his, his horse one's Especially weird, the foot one. and his foot one, he's just like, he's at a rave or something like that. I'm not sure what's going on with that one. Yeah. That's how you create a ball of darkness. You dancing, dance. Yeah. Yeah, YMCO. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Okay, all right, all right, all right. That's enough of the Shadow Lord. Your call on the next one, Yep, Jeremy, so we're going to move got? on to the Undying, which is one that I've used extensively in in many editions. It's partly because the, I think this one has got one of the nicer models. Um, it's basically just like a standard Wraith, except most people paint a bit of color inside it, and it's got a, a staff instead of a, a sword. So it's quite a nice model, and its its effect is very interesting compared to the normal Wraith. So you've got your standard Wraith profile, but your heroic stats are two might which is good 18 will this edition and zero fate so already you've got the potential to cast spells much better than anyone else uh you've only got a six inch range black dart everything else is standard but you've got once again the the short black dart as well which i sort of understand for this guy because that was the tactic for this guy is sit back cast black darts and then use one of his special rules eternal willpower oh no no not eternal willpower uh, arcana leech where basically he can regain his will by other people casting spells around him. Now you have to kick a point of will off to activate this. So you have to plan a little bit ahead, and you have to decide when to use it. It used to be auto, but still, that's a great way to regain your already heavy will. So if you've got a couple spellcasters, even a shaman or something like that, this guy becomes very, very good. He's uh, got the armored fell beast, the fell beast, and the horse. No armored horse again. Uh, I think that's only on the fighters, really. Channeling, which is also very good. Um, he can spend his will points in the same as fate points, which makes him one of the more survivable ring wraiths as well. So what you can do is use him to, essentially, as you would for like a Castellan or um, one of the Dolgoldor wraiths, and just run him into a character, let them kill him, spend some of your will as fate, and then get other people to cast spells around and next turn and build up that, that will store again. So you can use him as a, as a tank for a turn or two as well. So give some some versatility. I think he's a good option. I think he's a little bit harder to use now with the, the will to spend, the slightly lower will, the less range black dart. But I think he's probably close to where he should be. I, I think he's a good choice. Yeah, I think he's still one of the most survivable models in the range. And you'd often see people taking Kardush with him, which we'll get to Kardush. Oh, yeah. Uh, Basically just gives him even more ability to get Will back. So yeah, he, he was very tough to kill. He's a, It's a little bit... It's not as hard now. Uh, and you know what? I think that Black Dart, now that I see it on uh, The Undying as well... I had no idea about this, by the way. This is the first time I'm oh, learning about this. See? Told you you would. You'd learn something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always do on these episodes. I always learn something. That Black Dart is very, very purposeful, isn't mm. it? Uh, clearly. Yeah. The Undying and the Shadow Lord, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely no doubt in my mind that that was 100% uh, well thought out, I think. <laughs> Very important little nerf there that they threw in. Mm. Yes. But yes, uh, he's he's not an awful lot different. He just uses Will Faster and has a bit less of it now. Yeah, he is he is a great uh, he's a great Black Dark character if you want to do it, if you get close. He's really good at, at things like the Compels and... and any of these other manipulation type spells because you can throw more will. Um, he's your one wraith that you probably want to be casting sap will with at times because, yes, you have to hit a five plus, but he's got the will to be able to throw into it as well. So uh, you can't. Usually, what you do is you use him at the start of the turn, you spend a point of will to activate his ability, you cast a big spell with him, whatever's really important. And then you get your other little mini spellcasters around to do the easy-to-cast spells, your Drain Courages, your Transfixes, these sort of ones. I could also see him being the Wraith that you throw in for a cheeky Instill Fear, just because if he does get caught out, because obviously you need to get in close to do it, 
Uh, he has the ability to tank a few mm. turns and and potentially get back out. Yeah, of he it. doesn't mind. He doesn't mind tanking, and he doesn't mind being on foot. This guy, like a lot of the other ones, I would say almost always get him a horse. I still think this guy get him a horse or a fell beast. But if he turns on foot, he's still a very useful character. So he's one of the few wraiths that if he loses his mount, you're not you're not totally changing how he plays. You don't mind it. You still can put him in combat. Um, most of the time, you don't put a one attack wraith into combat if you don't have to. But this guy, because he survives so well, it's not a bad option. And if he's your leader, which Oftentimes he would be being on foot's definitely not the worst thing. He's much easier to hide that way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. I don't like the undying. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really liked him, but okay, yeah. I think because I've never used him, probably. Yeah, no. He's he's a really good choice, and he's, he's he deserved the nurse because he was the the first choice wraith for me and for a lot of people that, mm. that you took before, just because he could do everything almost effortlessly. He was he was really easy to use and very powerful. Now he takes a little bit more setup which I like. I like things that require choice and resources and things. I don't like autopilot stuff. So he's closer to that. So I'm happy with that change. The Knight of Umbar used to be a really popular one as well. That's our next one. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he's the one that uh, always had the most choice, I think, and mm. really interesting choices. He's got the same basic Wraith profile. He's got the two Might, 12 Will, and two Fate, which a few of the other Wraiths have also had. Uh, Armor of the Sundered Land, which was always his really cool thing that he's got. Uh, it's his war gear. He only loses a point of will for having been in a fight if he loses a fight during the fight phase. Could they have got the word fight into that sentence more? I don't know. For example, if he doesn't win the dual roll to see which side may make strikes. Is there any other way of losing a fight during the fight I guess phase? if you're paralyzed, you can't auto-lose a fight. If he doesn't win the dual roll. Cause yeah, because yeah, then you wouldn't make a dual mm. roll. So that is the thing that is not the example that they have given. Them. Yes. The one yes. thing. That's the only thing I can think okay. of at the moment. Very good. Off my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has heroic channeling, as all the wraiths do. Uh, armored fell beast, fell beast, and horse. Again, no armored horse option there for him. He's got the three rules they all have, Harbinger of Evil, Terror, Will of Evil. And his special rule is combat mimicry. At the start of any fight phase, before heroic actions are declared, the Knight of Umbar may spend a will point to activate this ability. The Knight of Umbar can elect to use the fight strength and or attacks values. So, and or is really key there. Attack values of his opponent instead of his own. He does not need to adopt all these characteristics. He could, for example, only adopt the fight value. So here's the, uh, I've always thought of him as the 50-50, right? Because <laughs> uh, he's never worse than 50-50, is he? Yeah. You always get at least up to that point. Um, and you win those 50-50s and don't have to use up your will. But, of course, he's a wraith, so he also has his spells. And he adopts the fight, strength, and attack, and that is not affected by the spells. So I believe, for instance, if you channel a transfix and you halve your opponent's fight value, you can still steal their uh, original fight value. Is that correct? As far as I'm concerned, yes, unless that's been changed in the most recent FAQ. I think that's the way you do that one. Sometimes you just transfix and then go for the 50-50 that you're going to be take the roll off because you're not going to hurt. What's the worst that can happen, right? Or you team him up with one of the the orcs that you get later on, and they do the striking, and he does the... like Just using the strength and attacks values can often be really good, especially if you're taking on things like, um, like Ents or um, like a tree beard or anything like that that's got really good fight strength and attacks to be able to have him matching it sometimes can take them down you take them down with their own strength yeah yeah um, much like Kamul his spell cast in fact I think his spell casting is identical to Kamul I'd like to say yes 
Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. So, uh, just one worse at all of the spells, basically. Threes for Drain Courage, four for Transfix, five for Compel, Instill Fear and Tap Will, and six for Black Dart. He still has the 12-inch range on his Black Dart, but hitting on sixes, not so good. He's not your Spellcaster Wraith. He's your Combat yeah, Wraith. Yeah, he's fine. If you want him, if you want a Combat Wraith, he does the job. He's okay. I, I prefer some of the others. Yeah, I was honestly kind of surprised they dropped his might back down, because I believe it used to be three. I think he had more will as well, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he have like yeah, he's a bit 14, low. 16, um, I think something. the biggest thing is no strike. So I think if he had strike, he would be your go-to. Yeah. But the yeah. fact that he doesn't have it means he, he probably needs some setup. I, I don't mind him. I don't think he's bad. But I would probably go for some of the other wraiths over this. Unless you knew you were going to fight a lot of like hero monster type characters. If you're going to an event that you expected that... I think he's probably good, but I think you need to be able to access that strength, attacks, and fight uh, rule to really make him worthwhile over the other wraiths. Yeah, agreed. And, and, you know, it's cool that if he wins fights, he uh, doesn't lose his will, but I feel like having that those slightly worse casting values means you're actually going to be using will quicker anyway. Yeah. So I don't think it does a hell of a lot for you, honestly. Yeah. He just kind of seems like a bit of a like nothing option to me. Like He doesn't do anything that the other wraiths don't he's do. He's one of the better monster hunters out of the wraiths, I find, because some of, the, yeah. some of them have fight value that's that's less than that or some that have more but they've usually got very high strength monsters so that really does help and the defense is usually about equal to the strength so oftentimes you end up wounding monsters on a, a four plus which can be very very useful especially if you manage to get an extra attack with a charge or something like that i know you won't knock them down but that can be can be quite useful but uh, yeah i just i don't think he's your go-to first one i think he's a nice model he's, he offers something different to the others so i don't see any reason if you wanted to take him you wouldn't take him but he feels more like a um I really like the model type choice rather than I want the absolute top tier one. Yeah, cool. Fair enough. All right. Up next, the Betrayer, Jeremy. The Betrayer. The Betrayer is the the Harrod-themed Wraith. So once again, this one I think is one that you go for for aesthetics um, as much as anything else. I feel like that he can really theme in if you're doing a like a, a Mordor Harrod or um, any of the, the sort of Southern Realms alliances. I think he's a, a really good choice just for the aesthetics, but he's also got some rules that are pretty useful as well. Standard Wraith profile with the 14 will this time. His cast values are pretty much standard. Ex- oh, no, they're not. They're not at all. I lie. They are the Combat Wraith standard ones. So you've got your Kamul and your um, United of Umbar type standard ones. So your Drain Courage is on a 3+, your Transfix 4+, plus, all the way to your Black Dart on a 6+. plus. So he's not your best spellcaster either, but he is not a bad combat Wraith. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the Strike, which does does mean that he needs either some support or some, some clever Transfixing. He's got the Bane of Kings special rule, which means he rerolls all wounds. That's pretty handy, especially if you're sitting on a, a Fel Beast. So that, that can mean that you're a very reliable wounder. And he's got the Master of Poison special rule where at the start of the move phase, before heroic actions are declared, you can spend a will point to activate and give all friendly models with poison weapons, or the poison weapon special rule, sorry, within six inches can re-roll failed to wound rolls with these weapons. All failed to wound rolls. Um, that's actually pretty good with the all failed to wound rolls. So if you're taking a poison weapon heavy army, so say like a... Um, a Harrod Archer army, he might be the wraith that you want as a, a below average spellcaster, as a good support troop at the start and shoot phase, and then a quite a decent like pseudo assassin when you're trying to to do some wounds because of the Bane of Kings rule. So he's got a purpose. 
he's one of those, he's got a, does a bit of everything. So I tend not to take him, but I can see why people would. I actually got demolished by the Betrayer, uh, being used by, might have been Jade, Jade Johnson, possibly. I can't remember exactly who it was, but they took a uh, heavy cavalry, it might have been all cavalry, Harrow Dry, and it destroyed me. The Master of Poisons is so nasty. I think mm. it used to just be boost it to a, a one or a two, and you didn't have to use the will. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it used to be much worse, I believe, because it used to be... It used yeah. to be he rerolled all wounds, but friends only did on a two. But now that it's wounds, yeah, all wounds is pretty good. Everything, yeah. That's we always say traps win games, Jeremy. Well, those that, that's free traps. That's <laughs> traps in the open there. Well, that's yeah, what that well, is. Yeah, depending on the numbers. But no, you're right. They're right. That is the inc- massive increase in effectiveness in in wounding. So he mm. definitely does that well. Yeah, it's a, in a cavalry army where every shot counts. That would be a really good, like an avoidance cav army that has the ability to do incredible shooting would be really good. Uh, he, interestingly enough as well, he's got the Haradrim keyword, which might be useful for some of the Haradrim things. I'm not sure if it is or not, but it definitely fits in with that army list. So, so yeah, look, you see him occasionally, and I do think it's almost always in the Haradrim army, not so much the Mortar armies that you see him, but he's he's definitely got some uses. Is there anything in the Mortar army that can make use of it? I don't, don't really think there is anything that you would use uh, Master of Poisons on, right? No, because I think the, like, even if you manage to get spiders and things in, it's venom rather than poisoned weapons. So if we find something, we'll let us know, but I don't remember anything offhand. And I'll tell you what, here's why I think that that Courage 5 on the Shadow Lord is not a typo and never was. Or, uh-huh. you know what? It could have been. But he, I think they purposefully decided to keep it regardless. And that's because they fixed the Betrayer who had a 4-plus on both Transfix and Compel, and they've changed it, is now a 5-plus to cast Compel. So they fixed him. They made him not silly. Yeah, I still, I'm still not convinced that, that being able to identify one no? typo means that the no not enough, for not enough for me, Matt. I am a cynic in that way. <laughs> I, I've got my reputation to uphold. I have to be bitter about it. I have to balance out the the uh, the Everything's Correct Brigade, which is, doesn't exist. I'm just using a straw man argument. But I have to balance up the straw men. Fair enough, fair enough. I say I can't change your mind yet, Jeremy. Not yet. Yeah, we'll not we'll yet. see if we see some more interesting rules that it may may do the job. You know what? All right. When, um, when I play what? against a uh, what was it the Shadow Lord? When I play against the Shadow Lord and he runs away because of the courage test, then I'll be a believer that it was intentional. Like that, that at that point in time, I think it, <laughs> I would know that it, it's entirely intentionally made that way 100%. for that moment. <laughs> All right, I think we've got a couple of the two more to go. Yeah. To discuss now. Can I take the first one, Matt? I really like this one. You can go ahead, Jeremy. Yep. Talk about it. The um, as you said before, the Tainted is by far my favourite named Wraith model. It's actually the only one that I think is an improvement on the generic Wraith models. I, I really mm. like this yep. one. I think it's it's a good model. I recently got to paint my second one by painting uh, Lachlan's in Brisbane, and I, I enjoyed painting it again. It's just a really the way the robes flow is just really evocative, and I really quite like it. So. It's, it's a nice model, and I do like the colours they put on with the little green highlights as well. I think that suits Raves really well. For me, Jeremy, when I saw that mounted, tainted model, that for me was the Ring Wraith. From, yeah. that, that was the Ring Wraith on the road hunting the hobbits. That was what that was. I, literally, that was what I saw in my mind when I read Lord of the Rings when I was like 10 years old. Mm. So, beautiful model, and I cannot praise it enough. Anyway, please, go on. Yeah, no, no, no. We, we, we could praise it enough, but this is not the episode to do that because of the length <laughs> or and this is no, no. the biggest episode ever. Uh, so, we've got a standard yeah. Wraith profile with the, the spellcaster's uh, heroic stats. So, two might, 14 will, two fate. And you've got the standard spellcaster 
cast a spell. So you've got your, your two plus drain courage if you want to throw an easy spell. You've got your your maximum is a five plus. So he's a spell caster. He's got the channeling as well, which they all do. He's got more options for the mounts than a lot of them. So you've got the armored horse back. And I've never seen anyone take a tainted with an armored horse, but it's definitely an option. And it's one that's probably not a terrible idea because of one of his special rules later on. So we've got the miasmic presence. So at the start of the move phase, you can spend a point of will. This used to be automatic. If he does this until the end of the turn, all warrior models within six inches, all warrior, both sides, may not not benefit from the stand fast rule nor take part in heroic actions i really like this special rule and i like now that you're able to turn it on and off because there are times when you do not want it near you i used to have to when i used my tainted and i broke i used to have to leg it out of there with him so all my warriors didn't run away but now he can turn it on and off if you want it to be able to to do this ability basically what happens is you've got his harbinger of evil which they all have so everyone's going at one less courage you can stop stand fasts or heroic actions or heroic moves especially heroic marches, you can shut that all down uh, with this race. So that that's already a good ability to have that option. It's a point of will. Uh, you have to be close for it. So I like it better than some of the other auto things. And it's it's situational. You have to get them to break first or they have to be willing to wanting to do heroic action. So I do like that it's a bit more set up than some of the other stuff. But that's a good good ability. And he's got another ability which is can be good, can be can be actually quite terrible as well. You've got it, it, it creates amazing stories. The seeping decay, at the start of the fight phase, you roll a D six for each non spirit model, friendly or enemy in base contact with the tainted. If the model's a cav model, roll for both the mount and the rider. If the rolls are six, they suffer a wound. The tainted has taken out more of his own spearmen than anyone else in the game with this special rule. He always <laughs> does that but what you can do is uh because it's the start of the fight phase you got to be careful you don't touch your models when you don't want to kill them but you can actually do tricky stuff like try to reduce your own number of models to end a game for example so normally you can do that with Rafe anyway but just say at the start of the fight phase there's six models in contact with a tainted you've got a good chance of knocking out one or two of them over the enemy if he's being surrounded you've also got a chance of knocking out your own which can be good can be bad but it gives you some options it's it's a long shot because it's a six but it does create some some great stories, especially when, when a big hero comes in and loses their horse because they accidentally have the seeping decay or or something else along those lines. It's a good, fun rule. Um, once again, with no strike, and he's a bit of a spellcaster, he's probably not an auto choice, but I really like him. He's in the Agmar list, so he's... Like, if I play Agmar, this guy is going to go in my Agmar list, but he is he's a good, good option in Mordor as well. He's also a tough model to trap because of that very reason. You get three models around him, and there's a you know something in the order of fifty percent that you'll knock one of those out and avoid the trap. So really interesting. I love, love, love the fact that you can turn on and off the miasmatic presence, as you mentioned. Uh, that's huge for him. It actually makes him like a, an incredibly viable option, whereas before he was kind of a kind of a gimmicky pick like he was just kind of he you really really had to work for him uh and then even if you did work really hard for him sometimes it just wouldn't be that effective anyway but yeah i I love him as an option now um they they got rid of his silly stats i couldn't understand why he was one might 12 will one fate wasn't he zero might at one point didn't make any sense to me no i think he always had the one but uh maybe it was one just one 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 might and one fate and 12 will which was why was he the weakest stat based wraith like when his rules weren't that you know incredible or anything 
it was so strange the way that they like balanced the named rates because they really didn't no. like some of them were just very very good and some of them just weren't as good as the tainted was let's go comp- conspiracy theory matt they looked at the models and said okay the tainted is by far the nicest model so let's give them the worst rules and that shadow lord <laughs> that shadow lord model let's make him the auto take how's that for a conspiracy that's rubbish he's the awesome one yeah that's um you know what i'd be willing to believe that that actually doesn't sound too far off the mark yeah okay good 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 so uh, anyway we can you know both what? have a tinfoil hat cynicism aside he is very useful now and his model remains as lovely as ever so go out and get him guys mm. Mm. He's awesome. You got next one, right. last one. On to our last wraith, yes. Uh, the Dwimmer Lake it has my vote for most annoying wraith, but let's get into <laughs> why. Um, he... <laughs> His, uh, he has the same base profile, the 548116. His stat distribution is probably the strangest of the rates. He is the one with zero mm, might points, yes, none yes, at all. You're right. uh, 16 will and 2 fate, which is interesting because there are a number of um, spirit models, I think, in the Angma. A number. There's three. Three spirit models in the Angma list with no might points. So you, you can, and I have seen someone do it, take a all uh, an Angma list with no might points that's actually still quite effective. So... The Dwimmerlike. He has a two-handed yes. sword. Most people forget this, and for good reason. You don't use it. Oh, yeah, you often. want to forget He's this. He's got an armor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, heroic channeling, armored fell beast, fell beast, armored horse, and horse. So he also has the armored horse option. All the Angmar wraiths do, for some reason. Uh, he's got Harbinger of Evil, Terror, Will of Evil. Surprise, surprise. And his special rule is Sap Fortitude. One of the most annoying rules in the game. Every time a hero model within six inches of the Dwimmerlake spends a point of might, will, or fate, the Dwimmerlake may elect to spend a point of will. If he does, roll a d6. On a 4+, the enemy hero model must spend an additional point of the same type, or the deed will be cancelled and any might, will, or fate already committed will be lost. Note that a hero model that wishes to expend multiple points of might, will, or fate may wait to see how the Dwimmerlake's roll affects their first point before committing to spending any more. The Dwimmerlake will have to spend a point of will for every point he wishes to affect, though he may wait to see how his first point of will affects his opponent before deciding <laughs> to spend another point of yes, will. Yes. Incredibly wordy rule that basically means uh, each of your will points can be a 50% chance to double your opponent's use of stats. Yep. So, yes. I think, did this used to be uh, passive? Yes. Totally passive? Yeah, it used to, used to go oh, all the time. so mm. busted. Yeah. Oh, that was busted. That was so horrible to play against. Yeah. Um, now, at least you have to be using up your will points, and it's still only a 50-50 chance. But uh, it's really interesting, especially in a spellcasting duel and for heroic actions. That's when I find the Dwimmerlike really comes into its own. Uh, heroic actions, obviously, because if your opponent only has one might point left, there's that 50% chance that they will not be able to get heroic action off at all. And even if they do have two, there's mind games there. Yes. Like, you don't want to be calling heroic actions around the Dwimmerlike because it costs you so much. Potentially. Mm-hmm. Potentially. And even just the effect that that has on the opponent in how they decide to use their resources is massive. We talk about resources as being, well, Kylie does anyway. <laughs> I guess we all do now. <laughs> Uh, as being one of the, the primary components of the game. And the Dwimmerlike, I think, I want to say it's like the only... Oh, there's Grima. Grima's another one. But uh, it's one of the very few models in the game that controls your opponent's resources. So it's really, really cool in the way that it does that. I hate playing against it, and I'm very glad that they at least balanced it out slightly with that uh, fact that, they, that he has to use up those will points. And that he doesn't have mm. any might, which is pretty, you know... 
that's a big loss. Like you, you do want to be, uh, my, my points on rates are huge. Yeah. Like my points on rates are really, really important. And his, uh, just to get to the last bit of his profile, his spell casting is basically the spell caster version of the rates. Uh, he is hitting that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty much the same as the base rate. I think. Yeah. 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 Exactly the same as the base rate. Two, three, four, five. Yeah. Five. There's a couple of things that I, I, like you don't want him to be your hero if contest of champions is in the, the pool because he's, he's terrible at that with the two handed sword and, and no might. So he, he's one that, that you want to plan around. You might have him as a second Wraith. I don't mind him in the Mortal List in the Orc Horde with the lots of the, the little strikey Orc heroes, the three Might ones, because then his Might doesn't make mm-hmm. as big a difference. And, th- and that army of spellcasters is really valuable. And one that stops them from using Might as well when you've got lots of Might available can be really good. So I think this guy's definitely got a place, but I think more so than any of the other race, he's not just a pick up and throw in your army list. He's a, I'll take this guy and I'll plan my army around his abilities as well because I feel like he can, you can really stuff up an army if you don't get your balance right with the, the Doom Lake. I agree. I actually, I would say the same for the Tainted as well. I think the Tainted, you don't necessarily just want to be chucking into any old army um so yeah i i think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there though the dwimmer like one you definitely have to plan for really cool model though honestly like i i think it's one of the better wraith ones as well one of the better names he's one of the few models that can put a stop to things like the the gambling banners like over the top effects so you can you can scare people off a little bit where if their plan is to spend lots of might, suddenly spending lots of might costs you a lot of might instead of costing you nothing. So he's one that, that I feel like he's another, like the Shadow Lord, sometimes a decent meta choice if you're getting lots and lots of might-based armies that, that really rely on lots of lots of actions, he might be a good choice just to, to scare people off that tactic a little bit. But yeah, I think, like the other one, I think he's a he's a really good Angmar-type character. So if you're playing in that sort of almost passive style, he's quite good. But um, he's yeah, you've got, to, you've got to have a role for him all set up, ready to go. You've just... I'm going to go on a tangent. Uh, look out. I know this is going to be a huge episode, but here we go. Uh, you've just made me realise uh, a solve for the rampant use of uh, Rohan legendary legions at the moment in particular the theoden one yes don't don't let gambling's banner just give you three might points back make it a four plus make it a four plus to get it back when you're on zero might and see how many people still take gambling is it a four plus to get it back at the moment if you're on zero might points you regain one yeah so you so that's what i think it should be what do you reckon the dwimmer likes just given me this idea with the four pluses because it means it's still a a risk to use it it's a risk to use it yeah absolutely yes no no that's the Mm. army it's really good at or the aragorn one where he's you're spending might to do everything suddenly if he has to spend from his own store he's much less likely to throw out all that like yeah like yeah. I, I don't care exactly i'll just throw exactly. out a heroic like things like the accuracy things like the the heroic combats every turn things like moves every turn suddenly become a real choice and he doesn't do them every turn yeah it basically sorry prevents- i think i i think i didn't um explain so well what i meant there though but yes he, he's really good at stopping the gambling's banner but what i kind of was off on a tangent for was talking about rohan and how i think gambling's banner is a little bit busted at the moment uh and if you only got back that free might point on a four plus might be interesting but anyway look that's a total aside <laughs> no, that, maybe, that's, maybe that's a gambling should, this banner. is not the time and place to discuss that no yeah. no don't don't do that don't listen to any designer who's send listening. me a private message no no don't send do me it. a private message if you think i'm right do it uh okay. i disagree with you matt because i don't think you fix a model that that is too powerful by giving one model a, a counter to it i think you fix the model that's too powerful if gambling's banner is a problem no no that's what i meant that's that's what i meant make gambling's might only restore to oh, his heroes okay no now plus. i understand what you're yeah. saying i understand what you're saying yes, yes yes no love it love it yes how good would that be it would be so much better because then you're on your last might point and 
instead of it being a free might point, it's a 50% chance of coming back. Ooh, do I use it now or not? You know, there's actually... Even if it was a two plus, even something, just so you have to roll a dice, it's not just auto. Yeah, something. Yes. Yeah, and then you get that clutch one and it's like, ha, no heroic moves this turn or or something, you know? Anyway... That's all neither here nor there. We've covered no. all of the No, rates. we haven't. I think. Did we miss we one? We have missed one. Did we yes, miss we one? Missed one? We have missed... Who do we miss? My favourite, Generic Wraith. Generic Wraith. Ah, he's my favourite too. What a cool name, Generic, generic Wraith. No, in, in all honesty, the Generic Wraiths have amazing models. They look really good. So they're, they're the ones that people take when they're taking Ring Wraith heavy lists because you end up taking some of these because they are your cheap Wraiths. You can get a Wraith for 55 points if you really want, which means you've got a Spellcaster. You don't have a lot of spells, but you've got some spells for almost nothing. You can go for about 75 points and get a pretty effective Wraith where you've got two points of might, some will, a horse, maybe a fate point if you want it. More importantly, these guys have your march. So we've talked about over and over again how important it is to have a march somewhere in your army. These guys aren't bad at having your march. And they're here of fortitude so sometimes you can avoid them leading the army as well which is nice so to have a wraith if you want a spell support wraith but you still want a fortitude hero to do all the beating these guys are a decent combination so i actually think they're they're a decent choice i know that a lot of people don't but i think they're a lot more flexible than some of the others and they don't have strike but neither do most of the other wraiths so you're giving up that special rule which is usually pretty good but i don't mind these guys they've got your standard spellcaster ones so if you're just using a spellcaster wraith they're a good choice you can upgrade them so you can get exactly the amount of will and might and fate you need so for a lower points game they're definitely more viable and you can take a couple of them. They're very, very good, uh, like, break test leaders for Standfast because they've got the Courage 6 as well and the Will. So they're, they're a good option. They're a good, cheap Wraith option. So if you don't want to go all in on a Fell Beast with a, a big, expensive Wraith, you've got 75 points, you want to do it instead of a, a, a medium hero, they are a decent choice. And they've got the March, which I've I've used to great effect at times because they are, they are great at seizing prizes and things like that. Yep, March is huge. Great, cheap option. Probably wouldn't take them at full stat over one of the named ones. So that's pretty much how I see them. I don't think you rarely... Yeah, I think you rarely take these guys at full stats. I think once you get to full stats, you definitely choose the wraith that you want. But for these guys, having them at like two might, eight or nine will, and a fate point is not a bad option. And, and you give them just a horse to move around. Or you go super cheap. And I, I don't mind the, the two, seven, one, and a horse, or even two, eight, zero, or something like that. Just to, just to give them a solid roll. They give a couple marches. They come in, do some spells. And then they just disappear behind the build and wait for you to break and then come in for the courage tests. 271 on horse is an absolute classic, isn't it? Oh, it's... it's like, yeah, it's... That, that screams Wraith to me. That's what that's the real Wraith profile. Yeah. <laughs> the OG. I love it. Yeah, no, I really like that one. Yeah, so uh, now we have definitely covered all of the Yeah, so let's have a quick break and put some scary Ringwraith music on and we'll come back with some orcs. So that's all the ring rates, guys. Let's get on to some orcs here, some Moranon orcs, to be precise. And we have joining us now, Kylie. Hi, Kylie. All right, we're going to get right into it. So I'm just going to start off with the big fella, Gothmog, Lieutenant of Sauron. He is 130 points, and he's changed a little bit. Well, no, actually pretty significantly (laughs) since uh, the last edition. 
Uh, his stat line has remained relatively the same. Uh, fight five, oh. strength four, defense six, three attacks, three wounds, courage five, three might, three will. However, he has dropped two fate points. So he's now a little, well, considerably easier to kill. Uh, probably one less wound on him than you'd expect. So not so great a leader as he once was. Uh, he still has the options for Wag and Shield for 10 and 5 points respectively. Uh, he has Heroic March, Heroic Strike, and Heroic Defense. So all of the most important Heroic actions, which is massive mm. for him. Master of Battle, which as always is a great little hero- uh, special rule for preventing your opponent from calling things and just having a little area where they may not necessarily want to be doing stuff. Really cool special rule, especially because I think he's the only one that still just gets it automatically. Is that right? Maybe uh, Azog and Bulg in their army list. I believe so. Yeah, there's a Most few of others. The other, yeah, other yeah. Master of Battles are <laughs> a role, though. Uh, and to have it 100% every single time someone calls a heroic action near him, he can counter is pretty massive, uh, especially late game with heroic moves and such. He has gained two new special rules. The Age of Men is over. Gothmog and all friendly Mordor orc models within three inches of him gave gained the Hatred Man special rule. Now, this is situational, but there are a lot of armies w- which have men as their basic troops, and a plus one to wound is huge. Plus mm. one to wound is massive. Basically makes all your orcs within range of him burly, and that's a fairly significant chunk, chunk of your lines, banner-sized. The time of the orc has come. Once per game, at the start of any fight phase, Gothmog can declare that he is using this ability. For the remainder of the turn, all friendly mortal orc models within 12 inches, that's basically everything, may re-roll failed to wound rolls when making strikes. Again, Huge, huge little rule. I love the once-per-game rules, and this is a particularly good one. Uh, Mordor and Orc, so that includes Moranans, your basic troops. Uh, I don't think it would include the Urukai. If no. Correct me if I'm wrong there. No. So include a lot of those Orc heroes as well. So pretty massive, yeah, especially, yeah, that it's not just warriors. It's the heroes as well, which is huge. The changes to Gothmog, actually, I like that um, his fate was reduced because he did die in the uh, the movie. I'm not sure if it was... I can't recall in the books, honestly. Did they discuss the fate of Gothmog in the books? I can't actually remember about that, but we didn't even know if Gothmog was an orc in the mo- uh, the book. So I think we definitely... Yeah. This is definitely the movie yeah. version. So, uh, like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's it's thematic, and he's still got three wounds. He's not easy to get through in one go, and his defense is six, so that's reasonably handy. And you can give him a shield, which a lot of people do. So, so you still got some staying power, but he, yeah, he can be taken out if if it's focused on. Yeah, definitely. But as he's meant to be a, a tactical leader, tactician, he's really gained rules that reflect that, which is huge. And again, Master of Battle was just worth it, honestly, for, for his points. If he just had Master of Battle, which he did before, his points haven't changed. or It's gone down, I think, by five points. He's gained two amazing rules. So you can't be unhappy with that at all if you're someone who likes playing Gothmog. But also the heroic defense is really useful on him as well. Oh, yeah. So if you if you get in trouble, he's like you feel like you're saying he's like a, a bit of a leader, but he's actually you're pretty much your main hitter. Once you take him, he's gonna be 
playing that that aggressive hitter role and the defense is really nice when you overextend yourself by accident you just need a turn to to get back out of there um and there are ways to get him some more mind options later on we'll talk about so he he definitely leads from the front i found i i started off playing him and i was a bit too conservative with him because of the fate and uh that's not the way to go if he goes out and he goes out in a blaze of glory and dies you're probably playing him reasonably well because he's got to get into the action and do a lot of work yeah absolutely kylie what are your thoughts on goth what do you reckon good hero Um, still I think he's. Uh, I don't think he's actually changed. Like in terms of the entirety of the game and the changes from um, old rules to new rules, he hasn't really. In terms of what he does and brings to the table, he doesn't actually hasn't actually changed a whole lot in in, in the grand scheme of things. I I do agree with you, Matt. I absolutely love his um, time of the orc has come. Uh, I think though that when you use this special, you want to time it so that. Um, it assists you in taking down a, a, a big enemy hero because the rerolls, it's hard to time when to use it with your, your basic troops if you're just trying to get through basic troops, but using it to, to try and crack through uh, another hero that has some pretty high defense, like, I don't know, a Dane or an Aragorn or someone like that, it's a really, really handy little uh, extra special rule to, to just, you know, add that extra bit of punch that you might need to bring down a big hero. And I'm not sure about you guys, but I've played Hashrins and rerolls to wound is always, always a nice thing to have in your back pocket. Yeah, I, you know, you know, we've played Hashrins. Yeah, before. we have. <laughs> no, Kylie, I hundred percent agree with you on that. And but it took me a while to find that out because I, as I said before, I started using convert uh, conservatively. And when I started, like I played a lot of Gothmog recently, and and that's exactly how I use him as well. He's on the wag, he runs in, and when he goes character assassination, when that turn when you know you're going to throw the strike, that's when you do the the time of the orc as well. Because once you've got those knockdowns and the strike and the rerolls, if you do manage to to get it off, it pretty much eliminates whatever you're charging. And sometimes you can time it so like I've taken out double captains with well not double captains I've taken out one captain and one injured captain with him with that rule at the same time when I charge them both. So um, it can be pretty handy. Mm. Uh, I, I agree. Like he's an amazing beat stick. I don't think he's one of the beat sticks that you want to keep towards the flank of your your opponent's army, though. I think he's he's one of those heroes that you want to keep in the center and in the core of your army, kind yeah. of keeping everything together because he gets so much benefit from his master of battle and his denial of enemy heroic actions, especially once you uh, bolt on the uh, Gothmog's in uh, the enforcer. Have him sitting next to next to Gothmog as well. He's one of those kind of heroes that you want him near the center of everything and getting him kind of in that position where he can command everyone and and get that six inch bubble. Not only affecting as many of your models as possible, but affecting as many of your opponent's models as possible. And that's where he truly shines when he he's able to control the game simply because Master of Battle puts you puts you on the back foot. One well, last thing to add on uh, Time of the Orcas come. I, I'll just say, uh, aside from just going in and killing that one hero, maybe that you might might need those rerolls for. Uh, potentially a situation where you're going to combat off of a hero and uh, get a bunch of traps across the line as well. So I, I think that's when you can really make use of it. But uh, yeah, I totally agree with you otherwise. Mm, yeah, you want to make it on turns where you're going to force your hand a little bit and go all out. Uh, he's Yeah, he's a classic Death Ball type character where, where he gets a bunch of troops and he runs straight up the middle and then... You basically get him to do as much as you can with it because if you spread him out and try and go for for flank stuff, you lose all those those bubble bonuses. But also the the master of battle works so well when you run straight up the middle because it 
basically, in reality, it just prevents a lot of the heroic actions around him from happening. They usually don't bother with them when they're there, and they, their heroes tend to go off and try to do other things on the flank, which is good for you, because oftentimes you end up with Gothmog facing no heroes in the middle of the board. Absolutely, yeah. Now, very, very strong hero, and definitely a worthy uh, potential leader for your force, or even just a, a second big hero to um, to buff your force up and to be able to do some, some damage. Mm. Uh, do you want to go along and tell us about Goroth? I do. I do, Matt. So Goroth is one of the new, uh, newer orcs. Well, I say newer. It's probably a year old now. But he's a little leader-capable orc. He's a hero of fortitude, so he's not the best leader in the world. But he's for 80 points, you get fight 5, which is always nice for a hero. Strength 5, defense 6, 2 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 4, and the three one one profile. So it's that basically that, that captain that's been upgraded type profile, but it's got good stats across the board, especially that strength 5 is really nice. He's got heavy armor and a two-handed mace, which comes with burly as well. So you basically... you. You're effectively strength seven compared to other things because you're always using the two-handed weapon uh, or your strength five. So you're not really worried about those tough dwarves or anything like that. He could take them out. He's only got the two attacks, so he tends to either gang up with a lot of friends or he's taking on an infantry heavily armored model and just wiping it out one by one. He's got heroic strike, which is always handy to have for a hero. So it basically means you probably want at least one strike in your army, so he can play that role. He's a great leader for Moranans for low points values. And he's got this special rule that makes him very hard to kill because the Come Here Maggot active special rule means every time Gorov suffers a wound that will cause him to be slain, after fate points, of course, so when you're down to your last wound, you spend all your fate... Uh, you can roll a d6 on a 2+, plus, very similar to, to Sauron. You can select a, an orc model in one inch, and then he takes the wound instead. So basically, you've got this, this potential save that goes on forever, as long as you've got orcs around you. And that can be really frustrating for an opponent that's just trying to get a leader kill. Uh, it doesn't help you stop the wound, because you get wounds early on. But it does mean that, that you can you can have a pretty reliable save. And it does mean he can play a bit of an off-tank role as well sometimes, where you go into something and, and if he does lose the combat, you're not as stressed because you've got that fail-safe that, that his spearman can take the wound instead of him. Yeah, I really appreciate that um, upon giving him that rule, I think they had probably planned to give him three attacks and then went, no, 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 two is fine. Because even if he's losing combats, he can still play an effective role. Um, yeah, he's really cool like that, actually. He, he's actually not a bad kind of um, sit him in front of a big hero. If he gets lucky and wins the combat, he can hit hard. And if he loses the combat, you can tank for several turns. So really cool little hero. Um, and I love him in that role. And of course, you can just go off and whack stuff. Like he's got the strike. He's got the three might points. He's got the burly and strength five. Mm, yes. I really like it. I, I wasn't sure about it at first when I saw the profile, but um. Having seen it played a couple of times, pretty cool, pretty cool profile. Yeah, I agree 100% with both you're saying. I'd like to go on a little bit more uh, about him as well. I absolutely love Gora simply because he's so damn flexible. Like, you spoke a bit about the strike and the burly and stuff, but what I really love is in those scenarios where you have to pick a, a, a secret model in your army to protect or... You need to keep your heroes alive and stay ailment by moonlight. He's really, really, really good at being one of those heroes that you pick. Because even if even if you can telegraph your opponent and you, you pick him and he's the obvious choice, he's still bloody hard to take down simply because of, of his come here maggot rule. That that two plus is can be extraordinarily difficult to actually crack through. One other thing that I think you've both uh, kind of missed a bit is his courage four which is actually pretty high for, for, for Orcs. So him being able to su- survive in the late game and actually keep your forces around, if 
heaven forbid, Gothmog gets taken out, or if he's on the flank and away from a shaman, he can actually has a reasonable chance of keeping your army around, especially if you don't commit the might points to combats and stuff. You can keep the might and that one will point to pass the courage test and, you know, keep going and stick around for, for turns when otherwise the orcs would have ran away by now. Hey, good point. Courage 4 is very rare for an orc. Yeah, that's true. And he does synergize well with the, the army bonus as well, with the reroll ones to wound. Because he's wounding things on four pluses and even three pluses at times, it becomes very reliable wounds. And yeah, you're right, Kylie. For, for 80 points, you're paying well overs for a captain, but you're getting one that can pretty much do everything an infantry captain can do. So he's he's rarely a bad choice. Hmm. One of the other things I like using him for is as a coup de grace model. Uh, sometimes in my armies, I'll take a hero with two-handed weapon or two-handed axe or or something of that ilk, just so that I have the the high strength model to, to go in and, and actually knock something out. You team Gorak up with either Zagdrus or, or Gothmog himself or any of the other three mind heroes with Strike, and together they have a pretty damn good chance of uh, doing some significant wounds to even the biggest and mightiest heroes such as uh, Dane, Aragorn, or uh, possibly even something like a Treebeard or a Guahia. Yeah, yeah, no, you definitely. He's he's your ent killer in the army list, absolutely. All right, so Kylie, would you mind uh, going into Gurit's Master of Reserves for us? Sure. So Gurit's he's he's a bit of a weird um, hero here. Um, he has the Orc Mortar and Infantry keyword, and he's a hero of Fortitude, all wrapped up in a little bow for sixty points. He has move six, fight four, shoot five, uh, strength five, defense six, two attacks, two wounds, courage three. He has three might, one will, one fate. He has heavy armor, two-handed pick, and a sword. He has heroic march for his heroic actions, but where he comes into his own is he has the master of reserve. So just like Mudrill and all those other fun heroes, um, he can plus or minus uh, any of your dice rolls uh, when rolling to bring your army onto the board via reinforcements. I, I don't know what the number of scenarios is now where that is relevant, but before it was you know, very, very important, particularly for the Maelstrom scenarios. So I, I really like that rule. Um, even if he didn't have it, if, if he was a 60-point, three-might, Ranonaut captain with Heroic March, you wouldn't be too disappointed. Um, with Master of Reserves, really, really handy. Yeah, look, I like this guy, but he sometimes ends up getting dropped because that 60-point mark for an Orc hero gives you some other really good options as well. So I, I 100% agree. If your army's designed that you need to, to get those reinforcements going in one of the the three Maelstrom of Battle or Reconnoiter, that's a good move. He's basically your first captain, essentially, because he's got the march, so he does a similar role to just a standard Moranon or captain. He's got the disadvantage that he's not a tank like the other captains because he doesn't have the shield option, so he does go down a little bit easier, but he's got the three might. So if you're taking a marcher, this guy's the one that I do, and then that reinforcement, the Master of Observes, I tend to consider as a bonus because it, it doesn't come up all the time. But he's like he's pretty reliable. He's got, got good stats across the board. Um, he's got the sword and the two-handed pick, so you can do the two-handed weapon or you can do the hand weapon, which is good options. Sometimes they don't have the option to do that. Uh, but he's only Courage 3, so he, he tends, even though he looks like he's a guy that can go on the flanks, he tends to end up going around the middle anyway. So he's a good choice. But there are a lot of other... You're spoiled for that 60-point-ish um, mark for, for Mordor. So he's one of those ones that's good, but you've got lots and lots of other choices. Yeah, for sure. And in fact, um, one of those direct choices that you, that he'll be competing against is Gothmog's Enforcer, which comes in at the same point, 60 points. Uh, also, Orc, Mordor, Infantry, Hero, Hero of Fortitude. Uh, he has the same stat line, although one less strength. So only strength four as Gurit's. 
however, rather than three might, one will, one fate, he has one might, three will, one fate. He has heavy armor on a sword, and he has heroic defense, which could be handy in a pinch. Rule is what really makes him relevant, and that is if Goth, uh, Gothmog's right hand, if Gothmog's enforcer is within three inches of Gothmog at the start of a turn, Gothmog may spend one of his one of Gothmog's enforcer's will points to declare a heroic move instead of spending one of his own might points. As you can see right there from me struggling with that sentence, I wish they'd just given this guy a name, just made something up, <laughs> but no, he will be known as Gothmog's enforcer. Very similar to a uh, Herald of the Dead. If you keep him around Gothmog, you basically give Gothmog an extra three uh, might for purely for heroic moves. Mm, yes. Um, which is, as we were saying earlier, Gothmog is a frontline kind of hero, and he's going to be in the thick of things, and he is the kind of guy that you actually want to be calling those heroic moves rather than uh, maybe a captain or something on the sides that's not really in the right position. It, to be honest, in Mordor, you're probably not going to be taking captains very often. You want to take these named guys because they are very, very good. But we'll, we'll get more into that a bit later. A handy little rule. Jeremy, you would have had the most experience with uh, Gothmog's Enforcer, I'd imagine. What do you think? Yeah, I initially I didn't like the profile in that the, the um, like defense, you've only got one of them, so it's, it's just one get-out-of-jail-free card. I thought, yeah, you got free three will, but you, you've got very limited. You can only use it for moves, not for combats or anything like that. But the more I played with Gothamog, my tactics evolved to be basically the standard the death ball one where Gothamog's right in the middle. And the most important thing was I had to get Gothamog into combat because a lot of times people could avoid me. Because I was in a ball, they could they could kite me, they could run around. And if they did that, they got time to shoot me down and break me before I could get into combat, especially playing against lots of those um, Athelian or Angel lists and things like that. So my first mission was to get Gothmog in combat with a bunch of orcs circling around him. And this guy really helps out with that because you can put Gothmog up the front. Uh, you can take a bit of a longer path because you've got some marches around with your friends. But then once you get in, you're calling the, the move with Gothmog and you basically have to call that because um, the other people won't call it and get your Master of Battle going. They'll only call it after you call it. So that way Gothmog then has his might left for the heroic defense if you're in a bad spot after you've called it or the strike if you want to go kill a hero or anything else. So he's pretty useful in that way. And um, I was a bit down on the limitation like you have to keep him within three inches of Gothmog. But that's exactly what Gothmog needs. He needs a guy within three inches of him just to to like peel off someone if you need to. If there's a big hero around that you need to gang up and actually kill, you need to put two heroes into it. He's really helpful in that way. In small games, he sucks up a lot of points because you don't get the flexibility. But in a big game, he's a pretty pretty good choice as an upgrade for Gothmog. Kylie, any thoughts on the Enforcer? What do you reckon? Similar vein to Jeremy. Um, I've only used him a handful of times, uh, but... I used him in pretty much exclusively in, in, in big games because the two games I played the uh, with Mordo in the new edition, I have used Gothmog and his Enforcer. And honestly, if I'm taking Gothmog, I'm taking the Enforcer hands down, no questions asked. Just the extra three heroic moves, it, it, it has it has a twofold purpose. One, um, it forces your opponent to, to counter you a lot of the times, especially if you take some of the other fun things like trolls or uh, great beats of Gorgoroths, um, they don't want those impact hits or they don't want the troll to get priority on the charge. So they're forced to counter and, and find a way to pin. But most importantly, you want to be able to keep pushing forward and using your other heroes like Goroth or Gurits or, or, or Zagdush or any of those other fun heroes you might have lurking around, 
you don't really want to be using their might to call the heroic moves because you need their might to be, you know, winning combats, getting kills, and, and doing other fun things uh, against other big heroes or supporting your army. Being able to have a dedicated hero like Gothmog's Enforcer push your army forward is extremely useful. And with your with Gothmog having that kind of centralized role of get into the middle, get in their face, get him within six inches of all the big nasty stuff so that they're forced to use might, you'll generally find that you'll end up coming ahead on um, resources after a, a few turns because one thing that the others don't do is Gothmog's Enforcer provides you with four heroic actions. Your other heroes only provide you with three. And that extra point, extra heroic action, it might not seem like a lot, but when you kind of combine this army, especially when you have Gothmog, those small bits of resources do add up over time. And there will be games where if you've, you've taken this guy and you spent your resources wisely, you might find your in a position where suddenly Aragorn here and then um, Faramir are all out of might and you've still got a few points kicking around on Aragorn or, or one of your or on Gothmog or one of your other heroes for sure for sure so handy little hero but um yeah some of the other named ones maybe outshine him a little bit one other downside I don't think we mentioned was that you could sack Will potentially that Will off and, and make him redundant but uh you know what I'm actually okay they do that because then they're not targeting Gothmog with the spells so yeah like yeah. it's it's not the end of the world yeah it sucks but it's in terms of offensive threat he's so far down on all the other ones that who cares if they if they if they start casting spells at him you've probably got guys ready to go and and do the fighting themselves yeah true and he still does that captain role where he can actually go in and, and attack troops like he's he's no slouch. So mm-hmm. you don't really. I agree, yeah. especially with how fast the Gothmog, like like the Moranon Orcs and, and just Mortar Orcs in general, are in this list with the march and the um drum. The drum. They yeah. just they just fly across the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I think it was back to a Moranon Orc captain. Uh, okay, so what I was just going to say, and as I mentioned before with Guritz, uh the Moranon Orc captain pretty much gets completely outshined by. Uh, Guritz and some of these other heroes. If you look at it, his profile is identical to Guritz with one less might point and also does not automatically get the two-handed weapon. If you compare it to him having the two-handed weapon, um, you're basically paying uh, five points with Guritz for an extra might point and the Master of Reserves, which I think you'd both agree you would take every single time. That's easily worth five points. Mm-hmm. Um the other, the other option there is to give him a shield so that you get that defense seven hero. But again, th- there are other options for that that I feel are probably more effective if that's the role you're going for, just a tanky hero. Um, as we spoke about before, uh, Goroth plays that role re- really well, uh, and he costs, in that situation, 25 more points. Hmm. I- I'd say that's worth it most of the time. Um, there are other captains that can do that, uh, notably the captain of the Black Guard, which is right next to the Moranonaut captain here, um, which I think is best captain in, in the Mordor list. Uh, we'll get into that later. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I can't see Moranonaut captains getting a lot of play. What, what do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, it... <laughs> Unless you're going like something sneaky, like a, a very hero-heavy Moranon army, so you're trying to get all that sort of synergy going, you're right, he does get outshined, and that's a bit of the story of this edition, where the basic captains are so far outshined by the named heroes that that you basically, if you see them, it's it's a theme choice, unfortunately, which which I don't like, because I really like these guys. I think they're, they're nice models, they add a lot of variety, and I love having like my my armies with the the basic captains to lead them around but because as we said before in mortar you have just so many options it's not till you get a thousand plus points that you start saying well maybe i need to take a captain if i really want to so um i don't know about you kylie but you're like i just 
yeah, there's other people who do this role. I do like him with a shield if I'm going to take them. I don't bother with a two-handed weapon because the defense uh, seven tank is a role. But yeah, it's it's basically only if you're going pure theme and you only want Moranans that you need that role. Yeah, I'm I'm of I'm on a very similar vein. Uh, the defense seven tank is handy, especially if you know you're going to be going up against strength four opponents. But let's be honest, if you're designing a list competitively, you're probably going to be using Goroth as your off tank, or or possibly even a, um, a Gothmog himself as as the tank role. One thing. Um, I will say that I, I felt it was a bit of a design flaw with the Moran and, or not even just the Moran, just the Mortar Army list in general was captains kind of had had their kind of own role in the armies because they had March. And I felt that they let a lot of that slide by one, giving, uh, making a new name to hero that had March and two, giving it to, to Gothmog. Because basically once you give a couple of um, the big heroes March, the captains become obsolete in the list. I mean, you, you look at something like Rivendell and you, you look at the heroes in that list and you go, Right, Captain, now I'll figure out what else I'm taking. Or Big Hero, Captain, now I'll figure out what else I'm taking. Because the Captain in that list, aside from Gildor, is the only other hero that has, has March. But when you look at Mordor, you know, you've got Drums, you've got Gothmog with a March, you've got um, Gurus with the March, you've got basic ring wraiths on, on Horse with a March. And when you hit, hell, I think even the Mouth of Sauron has a March. Yeah, he does. He sure does. Yeah, so once you get to that point where you've got, you know, four other named heroes that, you know, are providing quite a lot of utility already and can already cover your march base, taking a basic captain, you know, aside from if you're in a legendary legion or something like that, starts to become obsolete. Yeah, no, I think you hit on the head there. It's it's the legendary legion that you take these guys in. So if you're taking one of the two legendary legions, which we might mention a bit later on, uh, the army of Gothmog or the Black Gate, that's where you have limited choices. So if you're playing a big point, match with those legendary legions your captains might have a good role but yeah yeah it's just look i it's i think you it's a really good theme option and they're not bad models there's nothing wrong with them there's just not as good value as some of the other stuff going around yeah i'll pay five points for an extra point on my on my march here any day of the week aside from the fact that that is quite literally an extra march i mean why wouldn't you if, you, if you're taking a march here you might as well take the one with three of them yeah, and the master of reserves for for three thank you very much for free yeah mm, yes yes Definitely. Now we should probably talk about the normal Moranian orcs at this point as well, because these guys are uh, the, the 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 heroes of the list. I think these guys are fantastic Moranian orcs. So you just got a basic orc, but you've got the the upgrades for a very low price. Actually, seven points for a basic profile. You've got the move six, fight three. Uh, strength 4, Defense 5, which is Strength 4 and Defense 5 are always good. Courage 2, which is definitely a weakness, but you can uh, fix it up later on. You get good options. You've got Heavy Armor and you've got a Sword, Mace, or Axe. So good choices. You've got the, the Axe profile if you want to do some, some piercing, which is actually pretty useful. The Mace is also useful at times to have a few of them sticking in there just for little little hero, anti-hero. Or, uh, so Mace is the, the stun, is it? Or is that the, um, the Bash? Mace is the Knockdown. The Knockdown. That's the yeah. bash, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is good because if you're going against the cavalry model or whatever, you might as well have a go at it. Swords are always useful. And they've got very simple options, but good options. So you've got the banner, which, yeah, banners are great. Shield, 
which honestly, if you're in a, a points match game or whatever, that's that's included in the profile. Essentially, you're paying eight points for a shield Moranin, and then you've got a spear option as well. So good value. You're, you're heading towards elite prices, but even if you just went for Moranin Orcs, you've still got a pretty effective profile. They're, they're pretty hard to move. Uh, they do their job. They can be upgraded the same way as all the Mortar Orcs because they've got the Mortar Orc keywords. So everything that works with Mortar Orcs works for them, all Gothmog's bonuses, all the, the Shaman later on, uh, anything else. So I really like this profile, and the models have grown on me a little bit. I didn't like them at first because some of the poses are a bit wonky, but after repainting my army of them, I, I've I've grown to like them. I think they're they're definitely fitting. They're definitely better than the plastic orcs. They're not as good as the old metal orcs, but the Moran orcs do a good job, and they they look nice. If you're looking for value, these are your boys, and they have been pretty much since they were introduced. Um, especially because they retain that option to take an axe, they can take out defense seven if they need to, which was probably their one weakness before, where you were paying that extra strength and not getting any benefit from it. Now you can. Uh, still get that, which is great. And yeah, as you said, Jeremy, you're pretty much chucking a shield on every single one of these guys. Uh, the ability to shield and the defense six is massive. And honestly, their profile embarrasses some other profiles in the game. <laughs> yes. Uh, that cost around the same amount of points. Easterlings come to mind. Gondor, I'm looking at you, bro. Gondor, yeah, yeah. Uh, Moran and Orcs are that profile that was introduced into the Mordor list to make them highly competitive, and it worked very, very well, and they remain a very strong option to this day. Yeah, they're the kind of option that if they went and, and decide at some point, which um, I hope they don't, but if they decide to, say, just lower their strength, for example, you'd probably still take them because they'd still do a job. With that Defense 6 is really useful, and you've got, you've got all the other options there, but you get really good value. They're just reliable. They're, they're a great beginner troop choice for, for Mordor because they're quite resilient, whereas the Orcs, uh, I think uh, you can do probably more with the Orcs because they're so cheap, but these guys are just so resilient. You throw them in, if they're in a bad spot, yeah. they can often get themselves out of it just by the fact that they 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 kill well and they're hard to kill. Yeah, I, I agree with you with you there, Jeremy. One thing I love about the Moran Orcs is you can do a lot with them with not a lot of them. So even even just three Moran Orcs can, can do some amazing things if you're clever, whereas when you're looking at kind of basic Orcs, you, you kind of need to, you need to ramp them up to some impressive numbers, like really push the model count. One thing that I've been finding a lot of um, recently when playing with Mordor and, and Angmar too is my kind of juxtaposing um, force is if you're going for Orcs, you're either all in on the Moranans or you're all in on the, Mordor, the generic basic Mordor Orc. I don't think you want to go half and half. I think you really want to just go in on one of them and just really push that particular advantage that that particular troop Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think you want to either go the numbers or you want to go the high strength, high, de- high, strength, high defense. Yeah, I, I disagree with that in a, a specific army list that I've been taking quite a bit, and that's the, the Legendary Legion, the, the Gothmog one. Because um, you end up, if you want all those heroes and things, you end up uh, needing some numbers as well. So I don't mind the orcs mixed in with that one. And I, I don't actually mind taking the orcs with them. But yeah, you're right. You can you can probably, unless you're pretty good at the orcs, you could probably just go for just Moranans on their own. Mm. One other thing I will say as well, I think the reason why the Moranan orcs do so well com- in, in competitive points match games is because they hit, they hit one of the magic numbers, which is either strength four or fight four. If, if your points match army is hitting one of those two in significant numbers, you're in a good set to win a game. And Moran and can do it in droves, especially when you chuck a salmon behind them. Oh, agreed. They're, 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 they're really good. They're, and they come in the starter box set. So if you like Mordor, honestly, start with the Moran and Orcs and, and move to whatever you like there. There's not a huge amount of bad choices in Mordor, so you can't go too far wrong, but they're definitely one of the better choices. 
into the next captain here. Another three might hero. Uh, we have Zagdush. We've covered all the Moranans now, so we're into the regular orcs, I suppose. Uh, this is the last hero profile for Mordor in the Gondra War book. Zagdush orc captain, 60 points. Ordor, uh, Ordor, orc, Mordor, infantry hero, hero of fortitude. Uh, he's got uh, basically an orc captain profile with the extra might. So 4-4+, four, four strength 4, defense 5, 3 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 4, 3 might, 1 will, 1 fate. The extra attack, very, very handy. Uh, armor and 2 swords, which of course gives him the extra attack. Everyone knows you pick up an extra sword and you get better. Uh, we have a heroic strike and the fairly irrelevant heroic strength. Uh, I say irrelevant because he comes with his own built-in heroic strength. At the start of a fight involving Zagdush, before any dice are rolled, Zagdush may choose to decrease his defense by one and increase his strength by one. This effect lasts until the end of the fight. So that's really cool. And one thing that you need to sort of remember with that one is is that you can uh, do that for each individual fight. So say you have a heroic combat situation, you could call it for one and not the other, depending on your opponent's defense and strength, you know, which way you want to go with that. So cool little hero, hits pretty hard. Only fight four, but with the strike, strike's always great, especially on a three-might hero. Um, I like him. I think maybe he was a bit unnecessary given everything else that Mordor already has. But, I mean, he, <laughs> he feels a hitter role. He, he can certainly hit uh, Defense 7 troops. It feels like he's almost made for that. He, he's made to take out uh, basic warriors in a shield wall formation. So, yeah, I, I kind of like him. Uh, I would probably take him if I was running Mordor. I, I love him. This guy is fantastic. Three, this guy is magic. Yeah. Three, <laughs> Straight up magic. It's outstanding. Three attacks and a strike for, for 60 points is brilliant. Uh, he's got the infantry base, so you can hide him around. He He's my assassin. I use him to take out heroes big time because usually you, you hold him back. You kill troops, troop after troop after troop with him, and then you go into the hero. You fix up your, your strength value to be whatever you want it to be, either the even or the odd. You go a strike in. You've got three points of might. You can normally take something down, especially if you combine it with something like a cheap spellcaster, he is probably a, almost a must-have if you're taking the orc horde version of the of Mordor. But even if you're not, if you're taking anything else, just to have him leading orcs or Moranans or anything, he is such good value. It's the only problem, the only reason you wouldn't take him is just because you run out of slots for him. And he's also probably one of the most beautiful orc models there is. And I know that's a bit of an oxymoron because there's not a lot of beautiful orcs around. But he's a stunning model. Um, he, what he does, he does fantastically well. I love this guy. Yeah, I, I can't help seeing his praises as as much as Jeremy, uh, or I, or I can definitely try and sing his praises as much as Jeremy. This this guy is what orcs orcs. You know what you know what how this guy came to be. The orcs were watching the Haradrim fight one day, and then they saw this Hasherin guy run in and just kill a whole bunch of dudes. And then there's one orc in the in in, in the group, and he he looks at this Hasherin and goes, "You know what? I can do that." And then he ran in and did that. This guy is literally as close to a Hasheran model as orcs can get. And you know what? When you team him up with Gothmog and, and get that, that that juicy reroll and, and chuck in a strike against a big hero, he, he can take down even the likes of something like a Boromir or an Aragorn pretty effortlessly once, once you start getting his kit rolling. Yeah, yep. And unlike the next model we're going through, he can definitely use to, to gang up. So he loves to go into a hero with a lot of friends in there, and he, he does a fantastic job of that role. Yeah, even even big same, well, not same level tier, but like heroes like a Faramir and, and just just those two attack minor heroes that you, you kind of see running running around the sides, like your Haldirs and stuff. 
or, or possibly even something like a um, an block and stuff. He can duel them really, really well because that that he attacks is crucial at being able to take on two other two attack heroes and beat them in combat consecutively or consistently because the three attacks as i said before it's absolutely magic and you know what sometimes you can just throw him up against an elven captain if it's one-on-one you've got a decent chance at winning that combat and chipping some wins off and also to take one of kylie's points that comes up very often you've got that magic courage four on an orc hero so he can he can go off on his own he can lead a flank of orcs you can capture objectives with him you can do all kinds of things like in one of those domination type scenarios he's gold because he leads with a just a pack of orcs and they basically just clear off objectives on their own i do love those cheap striking heroes (laughs) very nice oh you can get excited then because there's a lot of them coming up uh yeah let's get into the next one uh jeremy walk us through gorbag absolutely so gorbag is the uh the the poor man's zagdush no he's actually really good as well so you've got gorbag who is in the movies um having an argument with Shagrat. He's fight four, strength four, defense five, two attacks, two wins, courage four, which is pretty much exactly the same as Zagdush was, except for the attacks of only two. Uh, might three, will one fight one. So once again, the cheap three might character, making the captain seem silly. Armor and a sword, you can give him a shield for five points, which you, in a points match game, it's one of those why wouldn't you type moments. There's not a lot of reason for it, um, other than if you're going pure movie, he didn't have one. He's got strike and strength, so the strike's fantastic. The strength, I've yet to use it. Someone else might find a use for it. I haven't. And But you've got a nice special rule, which is a little bit conditional, but pretty good. Um, Orcish Brawler, if he's outnumbered during a fight, he gets bonuses of 1 plus to both his fight and attack values. Model supporting do not count and in the fight for working out the model's outnumbered, which is, I think, pretty typical. So he's got a little bit of a small, like, Merkle Ranger type rule. So what he can do is go into a couple troops that are fight 4, which uh, a lot of troops are, quite frankly. There's so many fight 4 troops around. And you just go into two, and you're reliably playing that role that Zagdush does of, of chopping up the troops quite well. The only problem is when you go one-on-one with a hero and some friends, you don't get that extra attack. But like that's that's still absolute value. So he's praiseworthy. He's really good. You've got lots of options for him. He's got that cheap strike. He's he's well worth taking. And he's Courage 4, too, as, as I mentioned before. Courage yeah. 4 is... Uh... Courage four um, on, on heroes is 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 the magic number. That's where you want to get up to for for your, for your orcs. You can get to courage four. You, you're you're laughing. Yeah, and look, he's for a very small army. He's a pretty decent leader as well with the the option to go to fight four and the and the strike. So if you're playing very small points games, um, thematically you could you could take him and, and lead the army, and he's he's all right. He he'll do his job. But as a secondary hero or as a throwaway, he's great because you can just hide him in your lines and come out for a, a cheeky strike and take down a hero. He combos so well with the the wraiths in the list, just a, a budget wraith or a, another wraith that's willing to transfix because the, the transfix strike combo is is the favorite tactic of Mordor. So well worth taking and, and like super cheap. If you're paying for another 60-point orc hero for three points of might, just 60 points for three points of might alone is fine. But then you've got every other option you want and no real downside. You look at what he's got. The only real downside I could probably say is that you don't have a mobility option. But for what he does, he does it well. And let's get into one that's a little bit the antithesis of Gorbag here. Grishnak, Kylie, talk us through Grishnak. Well, Grishnak, he's an oldie, but honestly, I feel he's a bit of a goodie too. So he's move six, uh, fight four, uh, shoot value five plus, strength four, defense five, two attacks, two wounds, courage three. He's three one one for might, will, and fate. He's uh, 50 points base with hero fortitude. His war gear is armor and sword. He has heroic strike. He can take a shield for five points, but where his uh, kind of 
nastiness lies is in the fact he has backstabbers. Mm, yeah, that's that's a good rule. It's um encourages him to go and and like gang up and trap people. So he's good for that. Um, it's a rule that I must admit I keep forgetting about. So I I've taken Grishnak a lot, uh, playing that same role that the Zagdush and the Gorbag and all that sort of place do. It basically is a little hero assassin, and it's stupid of me to forget the backstabbers. But when it, when you get it, it is actually really good. So he's another one that, that goes and gets a bunch of friends and 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 is opportunistic. Um, because he's only got the two attacks and he can't up that. You you don't want to just take him on one on one because he probably won't have enough hitting power. But but as in a group of friends, he's he's definitely good. And for a, a captain role, yeah, he doesn't have the march, but he's got the strike. So he's another one you just hide in your lines. And when one of those nasty Rohan heroes comes into your lines, you're sending Grishnak. And if you lose him, who cares? But chances are he can do some damage along the way out. He's one of those heroes that's really nice if you keep him close to Gothmog because you can potentially get that plus two to wound, which is huge. I, I like him a lot. Again, just another cheap. Uh, three might hero with the strike very importantly mm. i think if he didn't have the strike you probably wouldn't see him uh the strike makes him relevant and slightly cheaper than some of the other named heroes yeah. plus he's also quite one other thing that we kind of haven't sort of mentioned he's really 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 handy in the uh i got scouts legendary legion being one of the uh four named heroes in that list you pretty much never leave home with uh, without him in that legion so you will get to see him a bit uh if you do take that legion yeah, that's that's for the Isengard because he he's the bit of the um like in in Lord of the Rings, there's so many alliances throughout and so many hero fortitude type alliances. So that's definitely a, a good legendary legion, but that's not for this episode. But he look, I actually <laughs> like the model. It's a, it's a he's an ugly orc and I like that. And now he's just got a new model as well, which um looks pretty decent as well. So. Mm. So you've got some choices on the model you like. He's an oldie, but he's definitely a goodie. And I think it's down to that strike. And the shield option is really cool. He's got the hand sticking out, so you can definitely put a shield on it if you want. Um, I quite like him. I, I've taken him quite a bit and never never felt wrong about taking him. He's always been a good, reliable option. More shade in this episode than in the next Articon, I reckon. Anyway, um, I actually was hoping that they would. <laughs> I was hoping that they would bring out another Gorbag model. So I mean, I can understand why they went with Grishnak. I thought the old model wasn't terrible, mm. the old Grishnak. I think the old Gorbag is pretty awful. Um, I'm not a fan of that one. I yeah. so that I, I think I turned him into a spectre. I didn't like him. <laughs> I thought he looked really weird. <laughs> um, but, the yeah, the new Grishnak is, is cool too. I, I, it looks significantly different though. I might need to get them next to each other and see what I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those ones that people have a preference of because I, I quite like the old classic one as well. But um, I wouldn't be against getting a new one, for example, and then turning this guy into a really cool-looking old captain, giving him a helmet or something like that. Because he's, yeah, he's, he's a, a nice model, and he's got that sort of captain presence just because of all the, the rubbish on his back. And he also, I think, make a good wag rider because a lot of the wag riders have that stuff on the back as well. So he would suit uh, I was captain about there. to say that, Jeremy. I'm pretty sure you've done that con- conversion, stuck him on a wag and turn him into a wag rider captain. Yeah, yeah, I have done nice. that. I have done that, yes. Uh, and I quite like it. So that's why I'm hinting at that one as well. So he will probably show up um, as a normal or captain. I might do a little bit more conversion on him because he can't take a WAG option. But um, as, as a captain for my my Isengard WAG rider, Legendary Legion, he'll definitely show up as a, as a WAG captain. He'll be good that way. Um, Matt, can I request doing the next one? Because this one I'm going to go a little bit insane oh, over. Oh, you're going to have to fight it out with Kylie, Jeremy, because yeah, I want to discuss I, I love this model too, Jeremy. Okay, well, how about how about you introduce the model, Kylie, and I'll just save up and I'll do my one paragraph of praise afterwards because I've got a few things to say. So you do this one, Kylie, and I'll, right. uh, I'll praise afterwards. 
Okay, so next we have probably one of my favorite models in the game. We have the one, the only, Kardush the Firecaller. He comes in at 60 points. He has the Orc Mortal and Infantry keyword, as well as Hero. He is a Hero of Fortitude, but we're now going to get into his stat line. It's not that much, uh, it's not that that fancy, but once we get to the special rules, oh, you'll see why it's so, so fancy. Uh, he has move six, fight three, shoot five, strength three, defense four, one attack, two wounds, coach three. His resources are one might, three will, one fate. He has armor and a spear and comes with heroic channeling, which is always very nice. His special rules are hearts of darkness at the start of the priority phase before any dice are rolled. Cardish can drain the life force of a friendly orc model within six inches, causing it to be removed as a casualty. Kardash then immediately regains D3 will points. This cannot take his will points above their starting level. So already we can see he can get his will back, which is absolutely massive for mortal lists. His next special rule is even more handy. It is Shadow Point. At the start of the priority phase, before any dice rolled, Kardash controlling player can remove him from the battlefield as a casualty and allow a friendly ringwraith model within six inches to regain d6 will points. This cannot take the ringwraith model's will points above their starting level. So this is probably one of the handiest special rules in the game. I have used this multiple times to save my leader ringwraith from winking out of existence. It is probably one of the one of the coolest little utilities uh, rules that he has. And last, but certainly not least, he has two very, very important magical powers. His first magical power is Flame Burst. It is range six, casting on a three plus. And his second spell is Fury Mortar Orcs, which has a range of six and a cast of three plus. And that should pretty much sum up why this guy is so amazing. He has a offensive spell and a buffing spell, all of which affects Mordorox. He is by far without a doubt the best shaman in the game. And honestly, in terms of cost effectiveness and points, he's probably actually one of the best spell casters in the game in terms of like how much you pay for for what you get out of him. He is he is that good. I would honestly, if I'm taking a vanilla mortal list, I am not leaving home without him. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I want to say now as well, Carly. Agree two hundred percent with all that. Um, he is literally the Kieran Alfred uh, shade of the mortal list. He is that good. He is he is the hidden secret of the mortal list. And if he's not a secret, well. Too bad. He's just just phenomenal. He can do so much. Like this is no one kills horses, heroes, horses more than Kardosh. Just the way that fireball goes, he just takes them out in combat and and destroys them. Uh, he's one that you you one of the shams you don't bother casting fury at the start. You could just stand there and just be burning people nonstop for as long as you want. And then towards the end of the game, you put up your your fury and and then you're you're defensive and you keep your army together. Um, you're right. If he, if you've got a ring wraith that absolutely must survive, you can go and sack him for the d6, which is for me it's actually always a one. But even then, that's okay. It's something. But I just I just love sacking my own orcs to get back the will, and it's d3 will, so you often get two or three there, and you just pump it straight back into fireballs at heroes. Boromir with a banner on a horse hates this guy because he's eventually going off his horse. The the uh, whatever the 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 Rohan legendary legion once they charge in they start getting fireballs on the heroes and they just keep getting knocked off their horse. This guy is absolute magic. I would recommend using his fireball at heroes pretty much exclusively unless it's something really really important like um 
the Army of the Dead horsemen because you get such value out of putting that in there because it forces them to use their will or just take, keep taking wounds. Uh, he's, he's a leader assassin as well. You can get hero kills and leader kills with him consistently because the amount of fireballs he throws out, he is such a threat. So good, so good. Even the channel can be really, really handy at times too. Like being able to throw up a channel of fury or more importantly, a channel of flame burst against the priority target can be can be really juicy and sweet because a channel flame burst not only does a strength six hit, it also does a strength nine hit for the set of set of blaze, and also does a strength five hit at the end of the turn. So if you just want to get some chip and tick damage on a hero, you can just set one up, throw the channel three dice fireball at something, and watch watch them blow up. Yeah, my only problem with that one is just the um the wound roll because you've used your point of might. I usually end up using my point of might just to make sure that wound goes through. But absolutely, it's 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 amazing value, and sometimes you just have to 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 risk it. And yeah, you're losing a few stats, but he still does a job at the end of the game. So he he's uh, he's just never a bad choice, and he. Like you could, you could take a mortar army without him. Absolutely, there's so many good options in mortar, but this guy kicks mortar up to another level. It makes it insane. You could take pretty much whatever you want in the mortar list and add this guy, and suddenly it's a top tier list. 100% agree. I absolutely love this guy to pieces. One thing we haven't really uh, mentioned that I feel like we have to mention because of how good this little interaction is. Because Fury um, is one of those weird spells that turns off when you run out of will, because if he's a heart of darkness, you always can get Fury up. So if you're up against one of those really, really damn annoying terror armies, if you're up against, say, uh, Black Numenorians with, with ring race support, if you're up against Army of the Dead, even if you run out of will, you can sack an orc the next turn and get that auto-pass courage up. You are never without your ability to pass courage tests automatically. And that in and of itself, in an orc army, is worth its weight in gold. In fact, that gold is worth 60 points. His name is Kardush, and you should always be taking him because that ability is bonkers. Okay. No, no, no. Don't always take him because, like, he'll get FAQ'd big time if we, if we, if we talk too much about him. But, he, yeah, yeah, look, he's just... Just so, 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 so good. Okay, Matt, go for it. Go to the dissenting opinion. Play devil's advocate. Tell us why Kardosh is not the best. Um, he's terrible because he should be 20 to 30 points more, at least, I would say. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, yeah, no, take him. Always. He's amazing. I, I hate him so much. I don't have him, which is why I hate Actually, no, I did buy him. <laughs> I forgot that I bought him. Oh, I'm going to have to use him. I have two um, of him ready to go. <laughs> he's that good. <laughs> Um, yeah, playing playing two games at once. You want a cartouche on each table. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I I would say I don't know if you talked about the specific interaction. Sorry, I zoned out just blissing out at how awesome his profile is. But uh, the ability to because you're usually pairing him with a ring wraith, I would say just to make the most out of that shadow pawn, and just because wraiths are great anyway. The compel uh, banner into fireball is a fantastic little interaction as yep, well. Yep. Um, just to yeah. just to take him out. Um, a slightly more, I think, um, consistent than uh, the Black Dart. Because the Black Dart, of course, can always botch because it's on a 5+. Uh, yeah. It's necessarily going to go off. The 3+, much more consistent with 2 or 3 will. Um, so, yeah. Very, very handy little model. Damn. we we Mortal has so much good stuff, it? does. It? Oh, it does. It's so uh, good. Sometimes you forget what? that it has so many good things. One of the oh, other wow. things I feel like we haven't really touched on either yet that I really love, uh, one of the interactions I absolutely love about him is, um, he, well, there's actually two interactions I want to talk 
The first one is you can sack um, orcs off the back of a great beast, which is really, really handy because, like, you can't disembark the orcs off the back of a great beast, but you can certainly, you know, drain their souls to get extra will points, which is really handy because you don't want to really... Sometimes you don't want to get rid of the orcs that you have, like, fighting on the ground in your main line. But on top of that, there's one other little trick that, that I feel like we need to share, and that is the, huh, I need to fail courage tests and run away to end the game. Oh, I'm going to sack my fury. I am now going to pump up my ring wave. I am now going to get my ring wave to throw all of their will and cast a black dart, popping them off the table. And now all my orcs are now leaderless. They're going to run away. And then all you have left are the models on the objective. Done it right, you can win the game that way. Yeah, that that's a little bit tricky to pull off that way because you have to sack him in the the before the priority, I think it is, or before the move starts at the very least. But yeah, that is definitely an option if you want to go and lose quickly, especially if you've got another hero that can just hold a few key models together. Um, I find that I don't use that a whole lot, Kylie, because when I put Kardash in my army, I just wipe people off the table. Fair <laughs> point. That is a very good fair point. Yeah, he's oh, he's just he's just so good. And look, if they upped him by points, I wouldn't be upset about that. I, I would happily pay them because at the moment it's it's really not much of a choice between him and and the the typical shaman. Yeah, honestly, he should not be worth sixty. He should be worth eighty at the. Yeah, I would. I would honestly, I would pay ninety points for this guy hands down. Oh, I'll go. I'll go for ninety-one because he's got a spear. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> 91 points for Cardus. That's like, where we like, think that fair amount is. Honestly, like, I, I'd pay 100. I'd pay 100. Ooh, it would be cool. Be cool. Big spender. Like, like, to put this in perspective, we're saying that this guy is as good as Shelob. Yeah. Like, well, no, no, because Shelob should be 150. So <laughs> that's not exactly right. <laughs> There's so much good value in the mortal list as well. Yeah, look, yeah. it's. um, Look, he, he's the kind of model that he does something unique that no one else does. So even if he was overcosted, you'd probably still pay it. Because what he does is potentially game-breaking. So, yes, you're probably, if you're getting towards 100 points, you're probably paying too much for him because he can be taken out pretty quickly if someone goes goes all in on him. But what he does is so unique. He keeps your entire army together, which a shaman does, but added in, you've got so much offensive ability, and you've got a spellcaster that, that can have basically as much will as you have orc bodies, and the orc bodies are super cheap. Like, the orc bodies are five, six points if you're, you're paying for them. Those are the guys that you're sacking. You're getting rid of trackers or you're getting rid of orcs. Uh, or guys off the top of a great beast, which are probably even cheaper if you work out the points values. Uh, uh, it's it's so good, and he's he's the ultimate get out of jail free. What do you do against a big hero coming at lines? Start throwing fireballs at him. Absolutely. Oh, look, enough about Kardush. We we know how good he is. Um, let's let's move on to something even better. Uh, the basic orc captain. Oh my gosh, guys, basic <laughs> orc captain. How good is this guy? He uh he does absolutely nothing relevant. Um, he he is good for one thing, and I would say one thing only, uh, and that is to spam the crap out of orcs. If you want a ton of orcs, get a basic orc captain and just spam orcs. Um, other than that, outclassed by all of these three might heroes we're talking about, his only upside is that he's cheaper. So if you run out of uh, points, throw him in that. Now, he can get a work. Yes, I was going to say that. I was about to say, Matt. <laughs> I can get a work. to rip you okay. one. About I'll it. give you that he can get a wag. Or captain's okay, Matt. Better mounted options in the Wardor list. You don't need to put an orc captain on a wag and go, this is my hitter. <laughs> there are so many better options. So, um, look, I, I don't care what you guys say about it, even if he can get a wag. 
I don't think he's relevant, and I don't think you'll see many orc captains unless uh, unless there's some legendary legion I'm forgetting about where you need to have them or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah, someone please tell me, tell me why you should take orc captains. Uh, you've got a march, which is which is handy if you're going for the orc force because if you're not taking Moranans and and look, I think the orc force is legitimate. There's so many good orc options that you can take the orc force. So he's your marcher in the orc force. Um, putting him on a wag is really nice because he can do a bit of everything. You've got a wag and a shield. He can do some some tanking if you want. He can do some some hitting if you want. He can do some objective catching if you want. Uh, his courage is average. It's not great, but he he's a guy that I find I take a bit, and partly because he's just such a low points value, like like a forty point captain, and then then the upgrades is pretty good value. So I do find him in my list definitely more than the Moran and Orc one. And I look, I, I admit, my bias is that I'm a pretty much a, a captain fan. So I like to design my armies with like two named heroes and then the rest of them unnamed. So he gets he gets a go in my lists. But um, like I know that Kylie's used the Angmar version of him as well. But he can do a lot of the stuff that that one can do, can do. And yeah, there's not a lot of Orc options on the Warg. Well, there is for the next one as well. So if you're going a Warg Rider type army... Um, he's definitely definitely a good go if you're going for a for a cavalry mortar army. Yeah, all right, all right. So yeah, I, yeah. I, in the in the Angmar list, he is indispensable because he's your only march. So we're gonna we're gonna put that to aside. This is the Angmar best in the game. This is mortal where he performs such a slightly more niche role. Now I agree with you, Matt. I absolutely agree with you. On foot, he's rubbish. Don't bother taking him. There's other stuff that can do what he does, but better. However, if you stick him on on a wag. He does fulfill a very niche role. In particular, because of the way points work out and stuff, sometimes you're not going to have the points to, to bring in a budget wraith, or you're not going to have the points because all your wraiths are on fell beasts, or you have other big heroes to, to, to contend with. Sometimes you are going to need an orc, orc hero on wild simply because you don't have a march and you need a mounted march. What he's good for is helping fell beasts get to where they need to be. Because you're not gonna, you know, you don't want to fork out, you know, 160, 60 points, I think it is, 100, 170 points, no, 160 points to put a basic ring rake on a foul base when you can pay the 10 points tax to give that foul base an extra special rule. Sometimes you're just gonna want to ha- take an orc captain to help those two foul beasts you get march across the table and beat the living crap out of something. And that's what they're there, they're there to do. They're there as a Fell Beast delivery system. I also like him as a... Um, I know it's probably not in this list, but uh, the Shelob delivery system as well. He works really well yes. on the flank with, with the Shelob Hunter because he's got the, the might that you can use for the moves and things like that. He can keep up with Shelob and, and march her around and, and do other stuff. So I do think there's a role for the old Orc Captain, and I do think it's... Yeah, Kylie's right. that If, you, if you're going for an optimized list, you probably your one Orc Captain has a wag. I still disagree. I think if you're going for an optimized list and you feel the need to that, an orc captain you've not taken an optimized list that's that's my personal take on that one where's where's your uh march kind of oh, we'll get to that in just a moment <laughs> okay cool, cool, firstly cool. yeah firstly, no, cool, we're going to talk about the uh the orc shaman uh so that is a shaman much like any other basic profile three five plus three five one two three one might three will one fate heroic channeling now, he can take a WAG, and actually, that might be slightly relevant, I think. The yes, WAG more yes. so than the captain, actually, for two reasons. One, he is a minor hero, so you can only take so many troops with him. Uh, and in some scenarios, you're going to need to get him where you want him to go. 
Uh, it also increases the range of his fury, and his two spells are fury and transfix. That kind of falls down is, as we've discussed, Kardush is so good and fulfills that fury role so well that it's really hard to justify taking an Orc Shaman uh, in, in Mordor. Like, very, very difficult. For exactly the same points as an Orc Shaman and Wag, you can get Kardush. Yeah. So, yeah, just can't see it. I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, he's... Um, uh. As as we said before with the uh, Orc Captain, if you're taking some quirky all-mounted Wag Rider list and you need Fury, this man's your job. This, he is going to do the job that you need him to do. Also, as well, some of the legendary legions do not have access to Kardush, and they only have access to a shaman. So sticking him in there is going to be your first point in call. I mean, you don't leave home without a shaman in the mortal list. And if you're taking orcs anywhere across the board, you are taking a shaman. Hell, if you're taking goblins, you're taking a shaman. taking Urukai, you're taking a shaman. Basically, if you can take a shaman, you take the shaman. End of discussion. Point sold and done. The orc shaman, however, is one where you, you need the mobility. You need the shaman. Ergo, you need to take an orc shaman. That's that's pretty <laughs> much the that's pretty much the, uh, the 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 going into bat for him. And yeah, that, that, they're, they're, they're your options. Yes. Hell anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you need him to be fast and you need to take a shaman, he's your guy. Yeah, look, I um I've been playing the army of Gothmog a lot because I I do like the legendary legions and I I as as the listeners know I, I do like those theme choices and the challenges that, that they entail. Uh, he is my second choice in the army of Gothmog every time now. So I go Gothmog is my first choice, and then the orc shaman. Um, I usually take him on foot just because it's usually a foot army, so I don't need him on the wag to to get shot off or anything like that. But an orc shaman keeps that sort of Moran and Orc army together. I would definitely take Kardush if I get the option over it, if I'm not taking a Legendary Legion. But he's definitely... He probably gets a more of a run than the Orc Captain in my lists. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, all right, you know what? Uh, I've been waiting. I've been holding my breath for this one, Kylie. This is where you're putting the march into the list. The Orc Taskmaster. Orc, Mordor Infantry Hero, Hero of Fortitude. Now, yes, he's only got the one might point, as opposed to the Orc Captain, but... He's got that heroic march and he has the whip of the masters. He also has exactly the same profile as an orc captain. Whip of the masters. Each time a friendly hero model within six inches of the taskmaster from the same army list, including the taskmaster itself, attempts a heroic move, heroic march, or heroic shoot. Oh, that heroic shoot. Vital. Yes. <laughs> uh, roll a d6. <laughs> On a four plus, they may call the declared heroic action without spending might. Now, taskmasters previously were... I won't say the word broken. I just did say it. A little bit busted. They were a little bit stupid. They didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now they make a whole lot of sense, and you see them a lot less often. But uh, as Jeremy and I found in a game that we played, mm. they can still play a really important role. Um, they can be huge for getting up into the face of a list when you really need to. Uh, I think they got three or four free my points out of him in, in the game we played, Jeremy, uh, a doubles game up at uh, in Brisbane. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. I find I actually don't mind it when people take a taskmaster against me because I find that people start using their might a bit too recklessly and end up like throwing it away because the four plus eventually fails. But you're right. Look, we saw the example of, of the optimal taskmaster role where we were ahead in that game by so much and the taskmaster almost single-handedly won it for them with all those marches and things going on so it's definitely a really good option i do like that they've changed it so it's not just whipping sauron to to do um like those black dart whatever the the old um chill soul that was an area bubble so that's nice um they got rid of that weird personal stuff where it's just like 
how, why would whipping channeling do anything? That yes. doesn't make any sense at all. Now it is move, march, shoot. Makes sense. He's telling the troops, do it. And the know? shoot is right. obviously, it's it's for the Haradrim taskmaster rather than this one, because this one's not really telling the people to shoot. So yeah, it's, it's it's for moving and for marching. A lot of times you're right, it's for the marching. Um, you take this guy if you're expecting to have exactly one march, because that's all you're guaranteed. So the captain gives you two march. This guy gives you a guaranteed one march and the potential for more. But I always, I always go worst case scenario. These guys and expect that maybe I'm going to lose one. So he, he's definitely a good option. But once again, he's in that that range where all these fantastic heroes are. So I tend to leave this guy out just because I run out of like hero slots. There's so many good options. But he's he's a good one. He does his job. Um, I just don't like the the four plus because I find that that that's um I always remember the time it fails rather than the time it succeeds. It's interesting you say that it's more for the march because I do consider it very important for the move. I I don't know how often you call multiple marches in a single game with a single hero. Uh, I feel like he could be calling one march and that's usually plenty. And then you, you get that uh, four plus for a free heroic move. Mm. All of your heroes in the same army list late game. That's massive. Yeah, true, true. So mm. if you've got the kind of list that where you really want to be moving first, which I think uh, you'd say Mordor generally does, unless it's, say, like a, a Black Numenorian list or something along those lines, most Mordor lists do want to be moving first and surrounding and getting the traps because they're higher numbers. Um, or, or, you know, if you've got a Cav list or, or whatever. I, I think the Orc Taskmasters can still be really, really good. Um, and I think a lot of people have gone off it because they really liked that combo where it could do these crazy things. But the, the four plus free heroic moves like game, I, I can't tell you how many times someone has rolled that four plus and it's been crushing because it's like, oh, they've still got another one for next turn. I'm not wearing them down. I've done, I've, I haven't achieved anything, especially if they win the roll off then as well. Because it's like they just got a free might point out of me for nothing. Like that's massive. Yeah, you, you make a compelling argument, Matt. What do you think, Kylie? Honestly, I don't have much else to say. <laughs> um, Whoa. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm like, I'm like sitting here, oh, Matt said that, oh, Jeremy said that, oh, Matt said that. I, I've just kind of been working off my list and I've come to the bottom of the list going, oh, they've said everything I've wanted to say. So, yeah, the only other thing I, I could say is um, what, what what Matt didn't want to say, and that yeah, in the old edition, these guys were were, were broken. They they were they they did not work. Um, oh, they did. They worked really hard. They 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 were whipping everyone. Uh, the only other thing I could I could slightly kind of tell people is if if there is a moment where you absolutely need to get a kill to to, to like a throwing weapon kill to kill a guy so that you can get a, another model, oh, yes. a, an important, <laughs> important hero like with a hail mary. Sometimes that whip. Can be your Hail Mary. I've seen it happen. It's quite fun when it does. And you get to make the, uh, I can't remember who, who sings the, uh, the, that, that song. Now, now watch me whip, watch me nae You get to make all those fun kind oh, of jokes. They're, they're great. They're great. They're heaps of fun. Okay. Uh, Kyle, you make a compelling argument as well. I'm now off the Taskmaster for those reasons. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. God, I love this podcast so much. <laughs> Um, all right, on to the next one, uh, and it's one that I ran very recently, uh, the Orc Drummer for 30 points, independent hero, uh, he's basically just one little Orc, uh, with fight four, which actually did come in handy, and a single fate point, armor, dagger, and the war drum for mortal Orcs only, so he's very specific, you want to take him in that list, and again, this is another place where you can get those free marches, um, which 
I think probably makes uh, the captain, obviously he has the two might points and can use it on everything. Um, so in specific lists, the orc drummer is better in other lists, uh, is, is not good at all because you're leaving half your force behind. So, um, in, in my case, I had him in actually in a Baradua list, but you know, you, you could do a similar sort of thing, um, where all my orcs were running around with the drum and Sauron was just doing whatever he had to do, which I think we've probably discussed that exact thing before, um, when we did Baradua, but, uh, the drummer can be useful. You can stick him in a warband with, say, uh, Gothmog even or um, something along those lines. But, uh, yeah, handy little model um, in very specific circumstances. Yeah, he's one that I, I – he's he's good, but he often gets left behind because he's, he's – I feel like always just a little bit expensive. Trying to find the 30 points where you've got, like, banner choices and other things is, is hard sometimes because he doesn't have the might. But he, whenever I've taken him, I've really liked him. And the thing I like the most is just that he's an independent hero. So you can then staple him onto your Gothmog or whoever your big hero is and know that they're going to get the drum. So taking him with a Ringwraith, taking him with the Gothmog, taking him with like something something else that where you just want a little guy that can hide is good. And he's also nice for just another hero in things like Fog of War where you can keep people guessing and, and you've got a hero that you can hide away and bait people with. So I do like him. Every time I've taken him, I've felt good about taking him, but he he gets dropped quite a bit as well. So maybe I need to take him more. I'm not sure. I like him. And on to the next hero. <laughs> Why do you like him, Kylie? Uh, 30 points, free march. You can use it every turn. It gets your orc battle line because, you know, when you're taking en masse orcs, like drum shaman, drum shaman banner, they're, they're pretty much your kind of like your first, well, for me at least, my first choices when building an, an infantry mortal list. It just... Coupled with a march, you just go 12 inches, 12 inches, right? I'm in your face. I'm, I'm charging. You're guaranteed a turn three charge. Sometimes you can finagle a turn two charge off with it. It's it's just it's just super damn useful. Like, there's never a situation where it isn't. And you can also do this really fun, funky thing where you march your whole army forward, you get them into engage. Then the next turn, you drop the drummer back and set it up so that the drum is only in range of your spearman. And then when your opponent engages you or you engage your opponent, you can then use your spearman to wrap around your opponent and get all these lovely juicy traps, which can be really, really fun. And who doesn't like juicy, juicy traps? We said end every podcast on, you know, traps win games. This guy can win your games. Absolutely. Yep, fantastic. And, you know, as Jeremy said, independent hero. Really, really cool. Uh, I, I like using him a lot. All right. Uh, shall we move on to the next one? Okay, here we go. Your absolute bread and butter, the Orc Warrior. Do we really need to even talk about this? What do you guys think? Do we, do we even need to discuss the Orc Warrior? For completion, you know yes, but very, very quickly because we've covered it over and over and over again. These guys are just super reliable, cheap troops with lots and lots of options that can absolutely be the core of your army. They can do a lot of things for you. Their profile is good, but it's it's that level where you, they're good in all the right areas. So you've got the good strength of three. You've got the good defense of four, which you can up to five. You've got the good fight of three, which I say good, but... It's, it's that level where it's just very average. It's not rubbish, and you're paying a bargain price for it. Your courage is rubbish, but you've got shamans around to help you out. There's Everything in the list makes orcs better as well, so they're the kind of guys that having a bunch of them, your drama makes them better, your shaman makes them better, the, the gothmog makes them better, everyone makes them better, so they're well worth taking, and these are pretty well your source of banners as well, so you can take them for super cheap banners as well, super cheap spearmen. They're just, they're just good. They can do a bit of everything. You can never go too far wrong by taking... 20 orcs in your list it really does pad it out or even just a small amount it's good most most importantly um jeremy there's six points for a model with a shield 
Yeah, yeah, true, true. It's so good. Like I've we've talked on and on about a lot how I, I can attribute quite a lot of my Articon success to having basic orcs in my list. And honestly, when I'm writing a mortal list these days, I'll go thirty orcs plus banner plus shaman plus drum equals three hundred. All right, where do I go from here? Yeah, that's they true. Are just, they, they are just the best core troops in the game. Simply put. With, with, with their overlaying buffs and all that other fun stuff, they will just always be reliable. They will always be solid. You can always shield in a pinch. They rank up really well. They just they just do everything decently. And you know what? Sometimes that's all you need is just decent, reliable, frontline troops that you can throw a wave of wave of at your opponent and not to worry. They will do their job every game. Mm, yeah, yeah, def- definitely. Like they're not as flashy as all the other ones, but they they just... I find that, that people don't use them enough for a lot of the evil armies. They're just, they're just really, really good. And for Lord of the Rings, they're everywhere in Lord of the Rings, so you can always justify having some orcs in your army. Yeah, plus, as I said, you can get like 30 of them for 300 points once you've added in their, their buffs, their, their mandatory buffs, like 300 points for, th- for 30 models. What do you? What other fun stuff do you want? Well, I'll tell you what I want. I want there. I want Wag Riders because Wag Riders have all those benefits of the Orcs. Um, namely, they've got the Orc and uh, Mordor profile keyword for a very low 11 points. you got your Orc profile, but they're on a Wag. So it suddenly ups their strength to 4, it ups their movement to 10. You've got the extra courage of the Wag. If it, if, like, you're, if it gets knocked off, it might survive. And you've still got the banner, but you've got the throwing speeds option for now 1 point. So... You got a got a good or cavalry option here. Yeah, wild riders have always been such a like value pick purely for that strength four, the strength four um, light cav, which is really really nice. Um, they buffed those throwing spears. Ooh, yes, keep them oh, on foot. So good. <laughs> yes, really really good. Um, and five plus to hit on the charge. Ah, oh, they're you know th- there used to be a time where you just take all the throwing spears off because they didn't do anything for you. Um, and, and now they actually do something and they're good values. So you put it on all of them. It's been a complete turnaround for the throwing spears on Wag Rider. This sounds like your army um, dead spear argument. Yeah, just throwing spear everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, why not, right? <laughs> it's because so it's hard good. to get all the um, models. You've got you to find yeah, throwing spears around. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, you've got to make them all. Yeah, that's the only problem. Um, but yeah, uh, Wag Rider's just great. Um, one thing that's really cool is... I mean, uh, it's not really relevant, but they did make the Wild Wag slightly cheaper, which because I always thought it was so weird that the Wild Wag was like eight points, and then to put, make it into a Wag Rider, it only cost like three points or something. Uh, it was so strange. Um, but now it, it makes a little bit more sense. It's not that much more valuable than just a, well, I, it's still much better than Wild Wag. Anyway, completely irrelevant. It has nothing to do with this conversation. Um, Wag Riders, really good. Remain uh, Orcs and Mordor, so they get a lot of those buffs that fly around. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. And I, I feel I feel you can take a lot of them because they're, they're cheap enough that 12 Wag Riders is, is a real serious threat. It does some serious damage. Yeah, you lose the first few of them, but but they're good choices and they, they synergize well with a lot of the other things in the list because of that, that Mordor and Orc thing and you can put a Shaman with them. Yeah, I, I really like them. Um, I want to have a bit of a discussion about the, the tracker as well now. I know that we're jumping oh, into yes. ahead. Because oh, yes. the tracker, I'll read the profile and then I'll get you guys to talk about it because this is this is a, a, the Orc tracker option. It's a different model. It's a kind of Orc, so you've got all the same keywords as an Orc for five points. So you're getting basically a piece of war gear for for a little bit less. You're getting an Orc bow. You're getting a shoot value of 4+, plus instead of 5+, plus, which is definitely an upgrade. You're getting a defense of 3 and no shield option, which is definitely a downgrade. And you're getting a Wag option for 7 points, meaning for 12 points, you can get a Wag Rider tracker with bow, which is the same price as a Wag Rider with bow 
if you're just taking the bow one. Uh, Matt and Kylie, go for it. You want to lead in first, Matt, or do you want me to go? Oh, look, all, all I really have to say about the tracker myself is that it, it does make that Wag Rider with bow option a little bit redundant. Uh, I don't know. It, it would have been nice if I, I would have made them more points, honestly. I, I still would have made them like, but look, they're a really cool option. And Kylie, tell us all about it. Tell us why. All right. So on foot, I think Orc trackers are absolutely rubbish. I think they're not worth taking uh, simply because when you engage them, any any defense three army f- crumples and falls apart very very quickly. Simply because the way the math works on 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 defense three, they'll just capitulate and it, it, they're more they do more harm than good. Is is basically what I'm saying in terms of having all trackers on foot. You could there's an argument to be made that you can take them on foot and basically use them as um, Kardush cannon fodder. You just basically feed them off to, to, to Kardush going, all right, here you go, Kardush, here's some orcs to sack, which is a fair argument, but I prefer to take a, a, a great beast of Gorgoroth for, for that option to, to feed guys to Kardush. But where I think these guys absolutely shine is on Warg. What I love about the um, the orc tracker on, on Warg is that the Warg protects the defense three. Because you have the high mobility, you get to dictate the combats that you're going to fight in, and particularly if stuff that can kill you fairly confidently, which is basically anything with fight four, you can get away from them quick smart. So you can just disengage, run back 10 inches, and give space to that to, to, to those models and then start throwing off some picking shots. They're really handy playing on the flanks like a lot of... Um, skirmishing type models are and these guys are skirmishing models they can you know zip around take a shot keep moving 10 inches take another shot and then kind of alternate between moving and shooting moving full speed and shooting the fact that you're able to protect the fight the the defense three with the wag is 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 just i think i think it's one of those things that is so important and integral to the model that it's just not taking without without them because I'm not sure if you if many of you play Goblin Town armies, but you just take them off in droves. If you take too many orc trackers, your opponent focuses them down, kills them, and then you're that much closer to breakpoint because of how effortless it is to to knock them out. In particular, if you're up against elven shooting as well, they're just going to shoot your orc archers, your orc trackers get the shooting advantage and keep kiting and keep keep creating space and, and keep whittling down your army that much faster. And it doesn't sound like a lot, you know, defense four to defense three, and, and you, you don't really register it that often. But when it is relevant, it's super relevant. It is massively relevant. It is one of the relevant parts of your army, your opponent being able to get their either their strength three bows or their, you know, run through your troops like even just basic rangers will just walk through them because of how how squishy they are and being able to protect protect them with the wag and be able to choose where you want them and be able to you know get behind terrain or, or hide or choose a different part of the battlefield to engage in that that is super super important yeah the the orc tracker with wag is just one of those uh, combos that people have known about for ages where it just synergizes so well that there's really no reason not to take the WAG. Like, you, you retain all the hitting power of the WAG that you get from the WAG riders, and you get the shooting ability of the Orc Tracker, and you mitigate the Orc Tracker's defense by having basically a, a fate point on it as well. So there's a, so much upside to taking the, the WAG with the Orc Tracker, um, and, and that's probably why you, you won't really see WAG riders with bows unless someone's 
really taken a theme choice for some reason. I don't even know why they have the option. You should just get, well, I mean, I do. It's because it's, yeah, have them in the plastic box. You should convert all of your wag riders with bow into orc trackers. With unless, is, is what unless, I'm trying to say. unless you're using them as Isengard as well, because the, the, bows, oh, yes. the bows have a place yeah, that, in Isengard. So don't just that's destroy a really them good all. Point. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, yes. A really great point, and obviously a new thing that's come out that I had uh, uh, misremembered, but, well, not misremembered, completely forgotten, let's say that. Um, <laughs> all right, okay, I think I think that's enough about trackers. Uh, shall we go on to, I think, the last infantry, or, or the last warrior orc, uh, and that is the Morgul Stalkers, which, wow, ha- have they come a long way Ooh. or what? Yes, they, they used have. to be the absolute forgotten child of the Mordor list. Uh, mostly because I think we can all agree they were just a little bit too expensive, or maybe far too expensive. <laughs> a little bit. On how you view it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I like them. Regardless, for 15? For 15? I had great success with them. You, yeah, you did. You um, no yes. one else did, but you certainly did. Five points, which says a lot about uh, how much uh, people have changed their mind around uh, what a two-attack infantry model means. And I think probably... A, a rethink about fight value, I think, is why that might have occurred. And certainly seeing the Hunter Orcs and how they've not been as maybe as powerful as we once thought they might be, it, it became silly to have the Stalkers be as expensive as they were when you look at the Orc Tracker. Sorry, Hunter Orc profile. Uh, okay, so Moral Stalkers are basically an Orc Warrior with an extra attack and an extra courage, and Stalk Unseen, which gives ev- you everything you need to know about a Stalker. Fight 3, Strength 4, Defense 4, 2 attacks, 1 wound, Courage 3, Stalk Unseen, which is basically the Elven Cloak rule. Uh, as we know, Elven Cloak changed so that you cannot hide behind your own models anymore. Um, that's not to say you can't hide behind them and become completely uh, unseen by not having line of sight. But if you are obscured at all by terrain, you are invisible, attempting to shoot you or target you with magic, which is... Oh, wait, is it still target with magic? That's true, right? Have I have I got that wrong? Sorry? You, you still need line of sight for magic, so you can... Yes. If, if... Yeah, yeah, sorry. It, it blocks line of sight. You're right. So, yeah, um, yeah a, a cool little option. Um, these guys are the, the flanking force, the one that goes around and, and hides in odd places and jumps out and whacks you. Um, they're good for being able to get into combat, which Hunter Orcs struggle with because they're, uh, you know, the same profile, but um, without the ability to hide behind things and, and become untargetable. Yeah, Stalkers are the sort of thing that you will never see spammed because they're not really worth it, I think, to have an absolute spam list of Stalkers at 10 points a pop, but they're really great little shock troops. Uh, thoughts on that, guys? I think they probably have the potential for the spamming as a bit of a surprise, especially maybe at low levels, but I do like them now. I think they've always had the good shock troop tactics where basically two attack strength four is really, really useful to get on an infantry size base because it means you can your infantry can take down good stuff. Uh, I, I really like them now. Um, even the models grown on me. Initially, I didn't like the models now, but now that they're they're lower in points value, suddenly the models looking kind of pretty. It's like, <laughs> whoa! The fifteen point one was an ugly model, but this ten point one, just just the way it's smiling with those teeth, it just just yeah, it's it's not too bad. I go kind of liking it. I need to come up with a uh, something to add to the Green Dragon. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Anthology dictionary for that. <laughs> effect or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, we'll get on to David about. It. There is definitely an effect yeah. where where the lower the points get model is that the um the more the appealing it is aesthetically. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Um, Kylie, anything to add on Stalkers? Oh, anything to add, you are. <laughs> anything uh, to okay. add here. Let's, let's not get into oh, it as boy. much as we did the trackers, shall we? We've got, we've got a few other things to get on with. Uh, who All cares? Right. Let's hit the seven-hour mark. Doesn't matter. All right. Cracking, cracking my fingers. All right. Here we go. Here we go. I absolutely love Mogul Stalkers. I think they are the bee's knees. They are... They are such a fun unit to play with. They are super, super reliable. I I liked them when they were back when they were 15 for one very, very important reason. They are pretty much guaranteed to make combat. Their Elven Cloak Stork Unseen ability is amazing on these guys. It means that you're able to get your high power, high high damage troops into combat, especially if you're playing with a decent amount of terrain. And they're just they're just so damn handy. You you get them into to, to tight little corners like like Jeremy said. They can take down things pretty well. Once you put a shaman and a banner around them, they become super lethal. Add a drum in with that massive twelve inch range on the drum. They can zip around to, between terrain features and be just just generally super annoying. Sometimes I don't even charge with them. I just use their threat and their potential damage to control where my I want my opponent to go. And now that they're 10 points a pop, basically when I'm taking these guys, I'm taking all nine of nine of them that I have. I think they're really, really great. They take some time to, to kind of figure out how they how they work. But once you work out how to get them in around terrain, how, how to skirmish on that kind of really annoying level, they actually work really well, uh, interestingly enough, with the uh, Orc Trackers. You know, the Orc Trackers, you know, harass, you know, get a bit of shooting down, and then the Stalkers jump out at the last second and help beat them up with, with the help of a charging tracker. They are super fun. I reckon it's worth grabbing three blisters of them for nine, running nine in total, and you team them up with some fireballs from from Kardush and a Fury. You can't go too far wrong with them. One thing I will say is they're one of the biggest um, models models that benefit from the army bonus because that plus one courage brings them up to courage four, which is no slouch. And uh, they also get those reroll ones, which can be really handy in their role. So. Yeah, I, you know, stalkers have come a long, long way since the uh, fifteen point days. Yeah, yeah. and we we'll said this heaps of times to attack models. Whenever you have an attack against another model, even if they're higher fight value than you, especially with infantry going from one attack to two attack, you can reliably go up to other models and, and actually out duel them. I've I've seen my nine um, Morgul stalkers, you know, go up against uh, in various one on one combats around the board against you know things like like elves, like Galadrim Court Guard, even Khazad Guard, and them outfight them simply because the extra attack is that big of a game changer when you're getting into that. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and say that these guys are incredibly good, but also incredibly overshadowed in the Mordor list. I feel like this profile if it was in any other list would be almost your go to. So if you put it in say a Dunland list, like I would definitely be taking these guys. If you put them in a any of my my rubbishy Sharky's Rogues list or whatever, that would be phenomenal. If you had these guys in an Easterling list, just as little sneaky Easterling assassins, you'd probably be taking them as well. They're, they're a really nice profile. They're, they're interesting. But I think they, they the only reason that you don't see them a whole lot is because the models are uh, were hard to get and only released for a little short time, but also because there's just so much other good stuff in Mordor that you forget about them. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? Let's, let's forget about them now. Let's move on to the next thing. Uh, what do we reckon about... Shelob. Shelob, you're, Are you're we gonna asking discuss... me uh, 
what I'm asking, Kylie, is are we going to once again delve into Shelob and discuss her in depth? <laughs> or, <laughs> or are we going to direct people to a previous podcast and do a bit of hand-waving and move on to the next thing? What do we think? I want to say I... one thing about Shelob before we start. Um, okay. the, the changes, the latest FAQ changes, which, which I know that we've all out of order for this episode. Some was before, some was after. Um, it has changed Shelob a little bit. So Shelob has actually taken a hit for the first time in a long time, or maybe a major hit in that she's an independent character. So um, Shelob is no longer a bit of a traveler on her own anymore. So she still does everything that she did before, but she has to have a, a little chaperone as well when she's traveling Middle Earth. Yep, for, for sure. That's uh, that's huge for spider lists. That really actually really sucks for spider lists um, that loved running her. Look, it, it kind of brings Sheila back to what she was always meant to be, which was that themed option, the one that goes with Kirith Ungle and, and makes a lot of sense in that list. Um, she, obviously, she's still incredibly valuable, and, and we talk about, we've, we've discussed it so many times, but um, Kylie, do you want to go over it? Because I don't. <laughs> um, she is fantastic. She is your big flanking monster. She is great at assassinating enemy heroes. Pair her up with a wraith. Watch her do magic. She is that good. She's worth every single penny you pay. She has various off rolls that she can fulfill. Look, if you're taking a mortal list, if you have to have serious reasons why you're not taking her, she's that good. <laughs> yeah, look, I think the serious reason uh, people multiple do- toilets. Yeah, yep. Yeah, you know, I agree. I agree. Look, I, I've I've said what I said about Sheila before. I think she's one that that if she costs more, I'd still pay for it. Um, the serious reason people don't take it is if you want to play just a tank defensive role and you're not not going to get the advantage of all the charge bonuses she's got. She she might get stuck with one attack, but she's one of those people that that well not people one of those animals that that um the monstrous charge is incredibly effective with because at strength seven it means most things aren't immune to your monstrous charge. Um, it's got so much so much advantages all over the place. It's a tough character to kill. Um, it works really well with with friends around it. Like I know it's a lone hunter, but but as we said before, putting a ring wraith or an orc captain or someone with it means it it gets super powered. So good option, great themed option. So many good options in Mortal. Mortal is such a fantastic list. Oh yeah, tell me about it. How many things have we gushed over now? <laughs> we'll have to go back and count them at the end. Um, it's definitely a record. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, on to the next thing and uh, something that ties in closely with Shelob. Kylie, do you want to tell us about Shagrat? One of your favorites, I know. Probably one of the most cost-effective models, I would say, in the game. For 100 points, you get the following. You get Urukai, Mortal, Infantry, Hero Keywords. He is a Hero of Fortitude, which is actually quite spicy, as we'll get into in a moment. He is Move 6, Fight 5, Shoot Value 4. He is Strength 5, Defense 5, 3 Attacks, 3 Wounds, Courage 4. He has 3 Might, 3 Will, and 3 Fate. His war gear options are armor and sword. For heroic actions, he has strike, strength, and challenge, which is where the fortitude becomes very, very spicy. He has options for the shielded Kirith Ungol, which is a very special shield unique to him, and heavy armor, which means if you take the shield and the armor, you can get him up to defense 7. The shield of Kirith Ungol is a shield, as we uh, previously talked about, uh, but in addition to any turn in which Shagrat charges, he gains the knock to the ground bonus exactly as if he were a cavalry model, which is really, really handy. It means that if you go into an enemy hero, captain, any foot-based hero, you knock him down, you get up to six attacks at strength five, and you watch them get butchered by his giant meat cleaver. Finally, he has one last special rule that turns Shagrat from 
you know what? He's a pretty good 100 points. I don't mind taking him. To, oh my God, he's 100 points. Why are you not taking him? And that is blood and glory. As I said, with the cavalry uh, knock to the ground bonus that he gets, the three attack with strike and strength five with three might point, this guy is a hero killing machine. Yeah, definitely no disagreement with any of that. He's uh, He is an absolute beast of a hero. One of, I think at the time he was the only hero of Fortitude with Heroic Challenge. Is that right? So Correct. He could, go, he could actually, you know, there might have been some value to actually going up to a captain and Heroic Challenging them and, and making their might points useless. Um, but the problem with that is, of course, that you're likely to kill them in one go anyway. So <laughs> there wasn't too much point to it. Um, one of the best pieces of equipment in the game. Uh, up there, in my opinion, with like Crown of Orgel and that sort of thing. Like, obviously, fulfills a very different role, but um, really, really cool bonus and and really unique as well. I can't think of anything else that just knocks stuff down. Like, it's so good. On an um, infantry base, on a cavalry base or a base, there's tons of stuff. But on an infantry base, he, fuf- he fulfills a very nice niche. Of course, yeah. And exactly as if he were a cavalry model, which it, because of his strength five, is, well, actually, yeah, that doesn't even matter. I was going to get into something about monstrous mounts and the strength values and that, but it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's irrelevant. as if he's a cavalry model, so he's knocking down all infantry. Yeah. And look, Blood and Glory is and, like one of my favorite special rules. That is so, so, oh, so it's good. The best, it's the best one. Yeah. It's the best special rule in the game. I, I'm putting that out there. I can't think of many that are better than that. Uh, on a hero well, I like Shagra, off the top of my head. <laughs> I, okay, I don't care. Blood and glory is better than them. Uh, rule the ability, and you know why I think it's the best rule, and it's not just because of the ability to regain might. It's not just because of that. It's because it gives you a focus when you play. Mm, agreed, hundred percent. It Matt. gives you a target. It gives you something to achieve, and that can make all the difference. Sometimes you, you sort of game, and you're a little bit, oh, I want to do this, and I want to do that. A lot of the time, you need to kill heroes, right? Regardless of the scenario, you need to kill enemy heroes, whether that be just to reduce the impact of them in your opponent's army or because it's a specific thing that's going to give you victory points. Because you get that extra benefit from doing it with a hero like Shagrat or like Ilgalad or like Amdur, you become really specific in your thought processes and it allows you to actually make that plan. And that, for me, that's hugely beneficial. I don't know if that's the same for everybody, but for me, that makes a massive difference in how I play the game. And, and Blood and Glory, I, I cannot speak enough about how much I, I love that rule. Riley, if you want to go into other special rules, feel free. <laughs> Honestly, on, Matt, I, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but I'm about to heap a whole bunch of praise onto you. I believe the word I'm looking for is succinct. And I yep. believe that is the most succinct argument I have ever heard you make in regards <laughs> to the game of Lord wow. of Backhanded compliment there. Wow. Well done. Well done, Matt. I am okay. like the way you, you know, you're 100% right. It is being able to have some way of formulating a plan from nothing for a lot of players that that can be the difference between winning a game and losing it. Because not everyone can come up with a plan from nothing or, or have basically two battle lines across the table 24 inches apart and figure out what to do. But if, if Blood and Glory helps you get that focus and that lock on target and be able to start you know, making machinations, uh, yeah, machinations to be able to uh, formulate a battle plan. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I've never heard you say I'm 100% right. Usually it's like 99.999. There's some degree of error in there somewhere. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Very high praise. No, I'm, and, I'm uh, gonna, yeah. 
That actually, I'll be honest, come up with before, really thought that clearly about before. That kind of came out of nowhere. And then as I was saying it, I'm like, wow, yeah, this is, yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, blood and glory. Great rule. Really great rule. Always loved it on Amdur as well. Like he was the first to get it, obviously, and always loved taking him for that exact reason. Maybe part of the reason I I loved Eastlings originally, and I always wished that maybe the rest of the list was a little bit better. But yeah, um, how many other heroes have it now? We've got, obviously, Shagrat, Gilglad, Amdur. Uh, is there anyone else I'm forgetting? Uh, the Dragon Knight has it, doesn't he? As well, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah. Anything Anything else? Might have to go through and have a quick look at some point, but um, is there like a Rohan hero that has it or something? Like Anyway, you know yeah. what? Yeah. Uh, maybe, Amazing rule. Maybe the Amazing new one, rule. I'm not sure. But um, I just want to say one thing about this. The only like real downside I have now is... Um, what Kylie said was a bonus before the Hero of Fortitude means that um, my army that I made the last episode or the episode before with the Easterlings, um, where it was Shagrat and Amdur together, is now illegal. So that makes me a little bit sad. But also, um, only leading 12 models, sometimes you want your heroes that are around this points level to be leading a bit more because he's, he's looking at 115 points. So you've got 115 points for essentially a... a he could be a leader, but he's almost your second hero, and he's only only Courage Four. Courage Four is good, but once again, you, you've got that you've got a lot of points put into a guy that that does a lot very well, but has a, a little just few minor weaknesses there as well. So that's the only difference. Would you ever take him without the shield or the heavy armor? I think it's only for theme now, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. You would always take the heavy armor and shield. Yep. I, I think they've actually just um, re-released uh, a little blister with him uh, and Gorbag. And the old version of Shagrat as well, uh, <laughs> for some reason, packaged in Scenarios, there just to bump maybe. up the price, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, eh, you're going to take him in a points match with the shield and, and the heavy armor for sure. Oh, one thing I would quickly wanted to add, and this is a little bit off topic, but um, as we said, we have recorded some of this before the uh, FAQs dropped. And uh, one thing I want to bring up is that the ring rates, uh, all the named ones are Heroes of Valor. Uh, and that's now incredibly relevant. Uh, and the unnamed ring rates are only heroes of fortitude because they're the same model, but some of them have a different title. So suddenly they're able to ally. So ring rates precisely, ally. yeah, precisely. Yeah, that's, that's right, that's uh, right. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> most of the time you actually do want those cheaper heroes, the the fortitude um, basic ring rates for allying reasons. So it's 100%. quite sad that um, and for that thematic allies. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is sad. Um, moment, moment of silence for the um, the budget rafe. Yeah. It's interesting, and I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around it and a lot of ash and praise that I've seen for the change to um, Heroes of Valor and allying. My thoughts on it are, I, for me, it doesn't affect me a whole lot largely because I don't do a lot of allying anyway. Yeah. So I, I can definitely see um, the very small plus side that they've brought in that probably could have been done in a much cleaner way. And the quite large negative, which is unfortunate um, for those who like those cool little alliances with cheap heroes. Um, yeah, that's a little bit sad. But you know what? We, we may see a, another change in the future. I, I suspect with such a big backlash, they may rethink that one. I disagree. Maybe, not. Maybe they'll No, to I think it's going to be a double um, down. I think it's going to be a triple down. I think it's going to be making it so only heroes of legend can ally. I think I think the allies are going to be gone. <laughs> I think I think those days yeah. are, are behind us. I think it's going to the, the more backlash, the more powerful it becomes. And and yes, it, it's um. Yeah, you know it's what? A I, I, game. I wouldn't I wouldn't be too disappointed if it eventually became legendary legions and you know pure lists. I would be a hundred percent disappointed. You know what? So disappointed. I don't know. It, 
it depends on the extent to which they were able to like produce legendary legends that are able to get everything out there that you want. Obviously, that's almost impossible. But I don't feel there's a huge amount of things that you can't do at the moment. In fact, I would say that before <laughs> before this change, unfortunately. And Matt, I disagree with you on that. And and if you have a listen okay, to the, yeah. the the episode that, that we just put out, I, I'm excited to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've listed like a it. whole page of stuff that I just found out just off the top of my head. So yeah, um, fair there, there is a there is a lot. And and what I said is very similar to what you're saying is for the people it doesn't affect, which is probably the majority of people. It's no big deal, but it is a big deal for the people. It is a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's it's very much the top table tournament people um, wagging the dog essentially. Like it's it's. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that that's kind of disappointing, yeah. isn't it? It's like you want the game to be competitive, but gee, if you've got to do so much to make it competitive, you, if you've done something wrong, there, there's got to be some other change that you can yeah. make. Yeah, I, I I'm going to refrain from commenting on on this just yet, simply because I haven't had um, a game yet under the new FAQ branch. So I'm going to refrain comment until I get a few names and get a feel for it firsthand rather than just speculation. Um, but there is one other thing I did want to, to kind of mention that I found recently that I think will interest you guys. It's kind of specific, but at the same time with the prevalence of heroic defense, it actually can be quite handy. So I've found that heroic challenge is a really good way of counter events. Because the heroes with heroic defense are really, really good at surviving till late game, um, simply because heroic defense allows you to do that. It buys you so much tempo. Being able to run up to a defensing hero, heroic challenge, knock out their ability to call standfast and heroic action can allow you to lock them out of the game and in particular not have to worry about that hero going forward. Um, and I found that it was quite interesting in the game where I basically went up with Bird up to Faramir, uh, went, hi Faramir, I'm going to challenge you. I don't know whether I should uh, accept this or decline this simply because he wasn't in a position where if he died, the army was going to run. But if he accepted, he was going to give me a whole bunch because it looked like I was eventually going to whittle down. So it's it's an interesting uh, little interaction that might be worth mentioning because Shagrat can leverage it pretty well as a hero of fortitude. Yeah, yeah no, I like that. I like that you've come up with a, a use for... For, for challenge because that's definitely a, a one that I don't see getting used a lot but that gives you something to think about yeah if you have have Shagrat as you, you're going against those uh, numerous Rohan heroes that just defend all day or whatever it might might become become yeah, a decent Rohan, Rohan I think it would actually be really really good all about the heroic moves the, the, the pushing forward and stuff if you if you got to gambling or, or uh, what's the other the defensing one Elfhelm and challenge them they might be inclined to challenge you back um, which can be a win-win for you, especially if you have the potential to take them down with magic and that big hero you have. But more importantly, if they decline, it means that their heroic moves aren't going to be affected, affecting the rest of the Rohan. If you do that enough time across enough of their heroes, you can lock them out of the game. Mm. Yeah, very very good good point, Kyle. That's a good way to turn it around as well, and it's something you hadn't thought about. The mouth of Sauron, what do you reckon? Is he any good? Has he improved over the last edition? Is he a good character now? What do you think? Well, I'm going to check his stats first so we can we can share that with our listeners. So we have the mouth of Sauron for 70 points, were, which is just a bit more than a normal captain type guy. He's a man, Mordor infantry hero. Uh, he's got the move of six, which is normal. Fight five, which is pretty handy. A shoot four plus, which I haven't seen used in this guy. Strength of four, defense of six, two attacks, two wounds, courage five. Courage five is very useful. Two might, four will, one fate. Already those heroic stats look better than before. And then you've got for Wargear, 
armor, heavy armor, sorry, and a hand and a half sword. So it gives you more options as well. That hand and a half sword, that tricky extra extra damage as well, which you can use on horse, which is, can be pretty useful. Got heroic actions of a march and a channeling. So the, the march is good to have in your army. You want to have a march somewhere in your army, so this guy can definitely provide that. And he can be... Because he's a hero of valor, and there's actually not that many hero of valors floating around the Mordor list, that can be useful to have a hero of valor with the march as well. Heroic channeling, well, he's a spellcaster, so what to expect there. He's got the armored horse option, and that's his only horse option. Um, unfortunately, as we've talked about before in this podcast on the Mordor, his horse is entirely two-dimensional, so it's a two-dimensional armored horse for 15 points. His special rules are terror, which is useful, and his magic powers, he's got an alright selection of them, nothing to write home about, but drain courage on a 2+, range 12, transfix on a 3+, there's his go-to, that's a good handy spell, especially when you've got 4 will, and then instill fear is 5+, so it's tricky to cast, it's got range of 3, you've got to do a bit of setup to make sure it's going at the right angles and, and things are suitably drained of courage and all that sort of stuff, but it can be, can be useful, especially late game, if you want to just clear an objective or you need to move things or you just want to, to split up an army so that that can be pretty handy the main thing that stands out for me matt is that he's now a good combat hero and a pretty handy spellcaster whereas before i felt like he he didn't do any really that well but he's got the the two might now two attacks and the strength four and a potential hand and half sword on the charge so i think he's actually pretty decent now yeah, I think the issue before was that, you, you know, if you wanted something that could hit reasonably hard, you took a Black Numenorian Marshal. If you wanted a Ringwraith, you took a cheap Ringwraith, you know. And uh, the Mouth of Sauron was kind of a little bit inferior to both those options. Whereas now I would say he's got everything that the uh, Marshal has aside from the Lance, I think. It might be a uh, bit less defense as well. He's- Yes, you're right. Yeah, the the marshal can also get a shield. So shield and lance are the uh, the differences there. But you do have the hand and off swords, so you have that option to get uh, a little bit more powerful and not necessarily on the charge either. You've got the fight five, which is super important. We've discussed all about you know fight value and and the important targets to hit. And fight five is very important for heroes. And he's got those nice like little handy spells that he can do. Armored horse is important, you know, it may be two dimensional, it's still defense five, so it's still uh, gonna take a hit a little bit better than a regular horse. That built in terror, which it didn't, which he didn't have before and was so weird. Glad he's got that now. So now you, I think before, honestly, I couldn't see a reason to take a black Numenor Marshal or a cheap ring wraith if, if it was spell casting that you really needed, just a few handy spells here and there. Now, he, he, I feel like he's definitely worth it, and he, he's definitely a nice hero to have. And he's also a hero of Valor, which is really handy. You ally into a uh, yellow army alliance, and uh, he can also lead 15 troops, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think now the 15 troops I can give or take it, but the, the changes to the ally rule means that this guy's suddenly really important because you've basically got him, you've got Gothmog, and then you've got the Wraiths as the, the heroes of Valor for Mordor, essentially. There might be some others that we missed, but those ones are, are the main ones, and this one potentially has a bit more theme than some of the other ones as well, although the Wraiths, I think, are pretty themey to be allying around, but he's he's definitely the, the more affordable option of the hero of Valor because the, the generic Wraiths don't have it, so you can't go a budget Wraith. And so you're paying at least 130 points for a Wraith. Well, maybe maybe 120 if you want to go cheap. But at least 120 points for your Hero Valor. Or 70 or, in reality, 85 points for this guy is probably more achievable, especially if you're doing a multi-alliance. So 
I feel like he's definitely got a place at the moment, and he's he's a cool character. He's one that I actually secretly, secretly, not so secretly, hope that they consider redoing. He was in the movies. I think he's such a bit character that I don't think he'll get done, but Imagine a, a plastic version of this guy, or even just a, a new Forge World version of this guy. I think it would be fantastic. He's just got so much potential, and the pose that he's got at the moment was very, very limited. There's so many flaws to it. I think this guy could be really cool. Yeah, I would love to see a new one. I mean, the the King of the Dead was such a surprise to me. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point, really. So it would be cool to get a plastic version of him, definitely. Yeah, I really hope so, and I hope if anyone's listening that they they sort of start putting the pressure on for that one as well, because I, I would definitely buy it, and I would I would hope that it would have a three-dimensional horse and a three-dimensional model. When I talk about that, it's a slightly tongue-in-cheek, but it feels like it's designed in the old sort of 90s, 80s molding where you didn't want the model too too fat because you, you wanted to get a cheaper mold, so you kept it as thin as possible, and it feels like this guy is. Like the fact that the horse was sliced right down the middle and kept really thin, and the, the actual model was kept very two-dimensional with a one-pointing-out arm, and even his face had to be cut off to keep him really thin. It felt like they were they're paying by the mold in this point, and it's it's a bit disappointing. It seems like a very dated model. Yeah, speaking of dating, just to date us very quickly, um, if you haven't seen it already, go and check out uh, the Entmoots, or it might have just been Harry. Um, his, his interview uh, with uh, who was it? Rick Priestley. The uh, Rick Priestley, of course, yes. And he even discussed that that exact point about creating molds back in the day where uh, like it sounded like they, they cut every corner that they could to, to get it down to one piece as much as possible. And yeah, really interesting stuff and just a great interview overall. So chats to that. I'll go check it out. But yeah, great point. And it's, you know, it, it hasn't aged terribly well, but I'm glad that he at least has some use now on the tabletop. Yeah, absolutely. So now the next one along is with our Numenorian theme, because I assume that 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 Mouth Sauron is some sort of Numenorian. We've got the the Black Numenorian Marshal. Yeah. So as as I was just discussing before, the Black Numenorian Marshal and the Mouth of Sauron are, are very interesting ones to juxtapose. I'm just looking for him in the book. Where is the Marshal? Page one eighteen. And for those of us who are out there, and also just for me to go and find him. Okay, here we are. Uh, Black number Marshall, 65 points. He is move six, fight five, four plus, strength four, defense seven. So he comes with the shield base. Mm. Two attacks, two wounds, and courage five as well. Super handy. I, I actually thought that um they were just courage four, but I guess the, the base ones, which we'll get to in a sec, probably are four. Two might, one will, one fate, standard sort of captain level. And with that heroic march, always handy. We didn't really mention that much, actually, with the Mouth of Sauron, but that march is really useful. Um, I think I did mention that. I do think it's useful to yeah, have yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so five points cheaper than the mouth and without the spells, but he can take an armored horse with a lance, which is significant. Um, the lance really gives you that uh, consistent damage output, which means you keep charging back in, you keep doing that damage. Uh, however, having said that, I, I think the mouth is really surpassing. You're probably going to take a mouth, the mouth over a standard marshal most of the time now. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. The standard marshal, I think, hurts more about the lack of strike because at least the the uh, the mouth of Sauron can transfix and stop a strike. Whereas this guy, if someone goes higher fight than him, he's behind in that, and he's pretty much a hitter character. Like that's his job. You buy an armored horse and a lance for him, and he's going into combat with his fight five and two attacks, and he, he's pretty good that way. Look, I think he's a good character overall, and I, I but I think he suffers a little bit in the mortal list in that. There's so many cheap strikers that we've already talked about, 
and then there's there's some other good hitters as well. So he's he's really good for that extra strength. So if you you have his two points of might, you have his strength, you have his lands. He's the kind of guy that that calls a heroic combat when like one of your orc hero strikers, Gorbag or someone like that, is calling a strike. And you just tag team, those two heroes can take down things for a pretty decent price. Uh, look, I do like the Lance option. That's really good. So you get that all the time. You don't have to lose your, your dice for it. You've got the two-handed weapon option, which I don't think you're really going to take very often. I've never seen anyone take it. Have you seen someone take it, Matt? Nah, no, nah, absolutely not. You take the Lance over it every time. I feel Especially because like you lose your shield as well. Like, yeah. it, sh- it should be free. Like I don't know why it's five points. And Because um, it's a worse option. Because the two-handed weapons uh, are quite bad. It doesn't specify what kind of two-handed weapon it is, so that's interesting in that you could possibly make it whatever kind you wanted. I'm not sure if you can still do that. They usually say two-handed axe or two-handed sword or something like that, but even then, I can't see a two-handed weapon. Maybe Kylie would come up with something, but like a two-handed mace or a two-handed staff, I don't I don't think any of those are going to be decent enough to, to replace it. I don't think so either. I, I I don't think there's any real reason not to take Lance if you are taking a Black Numenorian Marshal. It's really the key selling point of it. Yeah, look, having looked at everything about it, I, I'm not a huge fan of them. I wouldn't have minded seeing uh, the Marshal actually have Strike, yeah, as so- you were saying. It, it really hurts that it doesn't have it um, at this stage. With, with all the other heroes that do have it in the list, it makes his Fight 5 a little bit subpar in that regard. And as you say, the, the transfix on the Marshal, once channeled, can actually be uh, incredibly potent. So the Marshal doesn't really have that option. Yeah. I still like the character, and I still think it's quite affordable, but I feel like it's more of a thematic choice uh, as much as possible. I think if you're going to take it, like, take the Lance. Take the Lance. That's the, the key point of this guy is he gets that hitting power. He's the one that's able to do some damage. He's got the knockdown. He is really hard to move. He's a decent tank on foot. Like, having defense 7 and the ability to shield with fight 5 means that you can walk him into most heroes and just stand there and, and take them on. And I guess if you want to play a, an infantry tank for 65 points or you want to go hard with the, the lance, hit until they take out your horse and then start tanking, he's a good option. I don't think he's a bad option at all. But like so many times with this, we've said in this Mordor episode, you are totally spoiled for choice with the Mordor list. So optimized, I don't know that he's going to get a run all the time, maybe sometimes. But from a theme point of view, he's really cool. If you want to go over that Black Numenorian one, I definitely think you take some of this guy, one or two of him. Yeah, and I think maybe an instant where you're trying to get a full terror army, he might uh, come into it. Yeah, true. The ter- um, terror is very handy, Mordor. Yeah, yeah. If, if you really want that full terror line, then he's probably a good option. But uh, there, there are so many options. <laughs> I mean, all right, let, let's keep it moving because there are so Sounds many. Sounds good. To go Sounds through. good. Yeah. So we've got um, the Black Numenorians next, which are just over the page. They are man mortal infantry with possibly models that are equally as ugly as the Mouth of Sauron themselves. Uh, fight 4 is very useful for an infantry model. Strength 3, which is very average. Defense 6, good. Attacks 1, wounds 1. Courage 4 is good. Uh, they come with the heavy armor sword shield. You can't upgrade any of those, but you can give these guys a Warhorn or a Banner, which are both good options. Uh, anything to up your courage in a mortal list is a good idea, so a Warhorn is handy. Uh, especially because these guys don't benefit from the Shaman. Uh, the banner is always handy, always useful. And their main selling point is they come with Terror. So you've got a Fight 4, Defense 6 guy with Terror and Courage 4 for only 9 points. They're, they're actually a pretty good purchase. Fantastic value. Um, yeah, as you say, they're one of the ugliest models in the range, unfortunately. Uh, quite analogous to those um, Metal Dolomroth Knights, I think. It's funny because they're almost identical profiles too, although these guys obviously have the Terror and don't have an Imrahil behind them. The option for a Warhorn is pretty cool. 
Uh, I really like that because it's something that definitely helps Mordor out a lot. I can't... Is there any other troops in Mordor that can get the Warhorn? I don't think so. Uh, generic orcs don't, do they? No, I don't, I don't believe they do. Aside from one that we're about to get to as well, but it is basically a uh, Numenorian a black Numenorean on the horse. So <laughs> but, <laughs> the Numenorean, the black Numenoreans are the guys uh, with the war horns, I believe. And, you yes. know, very handy, I think, uh, even for 30 points, which I'm not sure all of the war horns cost that much, but certainly in a Mordor list, it, I wouldn't go past a war horn. I think uh, the, the war horns, anyway. yeah, the war horns for 30 points are pretty standard. There might be some cheaper ones somewhere along the line. I'm not sure, but I've seen people take just one of these guys with a horn just to get a horn and hide them at the back, and they've got the terror as an extra defense if you need it. So they can be pretty useful. When, you're, when you've got a Courage 2 across the board army, if you're playing some tricky stuff with your Warg Riders where you want you want Wags to pass Courage tests and things when they, they get attacked, it's not a bad option. It can can be pretty handy across the board. And they've got their, their mounted cousins, the Morgul Knights, which is really strange. They're two separate profiles. But the Morgul Knights are actually quite nice models. They, they're very similar in style, but they've just got the proportions right on these guys. So maybe one day we'll get some, some plastic infantry that look like these guys, because these guys look fine. They look so much better than the other two that we've just mentioned. They've got exactly the same profile, except they've got the cavalry characteristic. They've got an armored horse and a lance built in, and they're 18 points, which I feel like a good good value price and it feels like it's less than previous editions i'm not sure about that but it doesn't seem to be expensive at all yeah it's interesting the difference between the sculpts uh, i'm not sure exactly what year these these two um models came out but sorry the the two different boxes came out but uh the difference between them is very stark isn't it uh i think it reminds me of the cataphracts a little bit there's the metal cataphracts which aren't bad but they're not anything amazing either and then you have the plastic cataphracts which are quite beautiful that's interesting. I actually like the metal cataphract horses better than the plastic ones. Oh, so there I, you go. so a lot of mine have uh, metal horses and plastic bodies. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. But uh, I think it's all it's it's that that captain <laughs> in the plastic cataphract kit that gets me, and the banner which I love as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, the the horses themselves. Um, I'm sure the metal ones are fine. Certainly better than the mouth of Sauron, anyway. Yeah, no, the the Morgul Knight plastic box is, is lovely. And these guys are like the the premier heavy cavalry just about in the game, I would say. Um, you've got your, your swan knights on horse, obviously, but Terra is incredible on cavalry. I can't think of too many other cavalry that come with it as a base. Uh, Army of the Dead are the main ones I can think of. And uh, Warg Marauders as well. Oh, yeah. Obviously, they're more of a um, splash sort of thing. You're not going to take a whole unit of them. Morgul Knights are, are fantastic, a really great addition to Mordor and something that they didn't really have already. So, And probably really probably underused, to be honest. I, I feel like mm. if you want to take some cavalry, you've got the Warg Riders, which are, which are good. Like Warg Riders are really good. There's nothing wrong with Warg Riders. But these guys, because you're playing a Mordor army, you've probably got the points to spend on them. And these guys are just really hard to get rid of because they've got the high defense. So I, I've talked about like Eastlings. I like the Eastlings just because that defense six is really nice. These guys have got that, but they've got the added defensive bonus of the Terror. So it means they're harder to get to, but they've also got the, the fight four and the hitting power of the Lance. So they've got everything you want. They don't have a shooting weapon, which kind of keeps them at affordable price. Like sometimes you get the cavalry models that you're paying for a shooting weapon as well. These guys have pretty much their role. It's to go and support the attacks. Uh, they've got a Courage 4, so they can go and grab objectives at the end game if they need to, but their primary role is going to be to punch a hole in the the army, and they, they do it quite well. And, and 
just having a wall of these guys of terror charging in means you can't guarantee that you're going to charge them back most times, which is very useful, especially if you've got a Rafe around that's that's minusing everyone's courage as well. That, that can be really good. They're a great, great bodyguard for a ring wraith, a mounted ring wraith. Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, yeah, you just look at, we're talking about Eastlings, you just look at um their profile in comparison to a Black Dragon Cataphract, which I believe are 16, 16 points. I believe, or oh, 15 paying, or 16, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and you're paying two points for uh, Terra and... The Lance, yeah. And trading off the, the Gleaming Horde, which you may not get if you're allying them anyway. So, well, no, it's really, really good value and a uh, very nice hitter. I think the, the Gleaming Hordes, I think that's baked into their profile. I don't think that's part of yeah. the alliance, but... Oh, yeah, you, you oh, say... is it? Yeah, because the alliance rule Sorry. the alliance rule is the uh, the re-roll, the, the last turn, if you feel like it, and uh, something about courage when you're broken or something like that. Okay, absolutely right. Yeah, no problem. So, yeah, two points, and that, that's the trade-off. Yeah, look, uh, I think Morganoids uh, are just better hitters because that's what you really need your cavalry to do. <laughs> when, you, when you charge and win a fight, you need your cavalry to actually kill. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's, they're, they're, they're straight out good. I really like them. Yeah. I like the models. It's unfortunate when they get their horse killed. Sometimes I'd rather my opponent just attack the rider and just kill the rider so I don't have to put the, the black Numenorians on the table. But these guys, yep. uh, they're, they're good. They're really good. They work well in an all-mounted army if you want to go that way with Mortal, which is a bit of a niche. They work well as a support for your infantry. They work well as, as just a lead if you want to go hard of a wraith and just want to charge into it something something along the, the, the flanks that can keep up with it. They're really good. I especially like them with uh, – I've got a Dark ma- – uh, uh, what is it? Black Marshall? Dark Marshall? Dark Marshall. The the Dark ring Marshall, wraith. the wraith, yeah, yeah the Dark, Dark Marshal, the, yeah, the yeah. Dark Marshal on Fell Beast, and these guys are just great. To, you put put four of them in his warband, and they just they just run around together. And if they want to hit, they can hit, and they can get the rerolls off him. That that's really good. Um, but they also get a mobile banner as well, which is handy. So give you a Morgulnite a banner is pretty pretty useful. It's interesting that the banner doesn't replace the lance. So I don't know about the rules about that. I th- it might be something, but <laughs> you get some silliness there with the using the. The, the banner in combat, but you've got a, it's got a good all-round model for a low price, so they're, they're, they're definitely worth it. Yeah, if they're carrying a Warhorn and a banner, they just become octopods, don't they? Like, how are you carrying sword, lance, shield, Warhorn, <laughs> banner? The, the, it's Rivendell Knights all over again. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say. And on armored horses. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, very, very attractive model. Good ones. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, uh, Mordor Troll Chieftain, oh, mm, the big fella, yeah. hero of fortitude. He's a troll Mordor monster infantry hero. He's got all of, all of the keywords. He's moved six. Uh, importantly, comes on a large base, uh, something to remember. I, I think that's something we don't put too much emphasis on when we talk about this sort of thing, but big bases are often a detriment, something to discuss in the future perhaps. Yeah, um, yeah. Fight seven, yeah, yeah. Fight seven, uh, five plus shooting, which is relevant uh, due to throw stones. Uh, he's strength seven, defense eight, which is a really nice uh, value to hit. Three attacks, three wounds, courage four. Very important for a troll to have good courage. Two might, one will, one fate. He's got heavy armor and a sword, which is interesting because I believe you can get like... I remember it being one of the weirdest things in the new rules. I'm, I'm just going to briefly touch on it because it's not worth discussing really here. But cave trolls, they get burly. They get a hand and a half weapon. They have plus one to wound when they strike normally. Mordor Trolls, don't get that. Neither do the Chieftains. Kind of lame. Anyway, here we go. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> heroic Strike, obviously. Very important for a big monster to have Heroic Strike when they have my points. Oh, yeah. And Heroic Strength, which is not important at all, and you're never going to use it. Uh, unless, terror um, baked in. 
unless you oh, sorry, go on. unless you get charged or something by a dragon, you might be able to throw your strength up and then not get knocked down by it. Okay, yeah. If your Mordor Troll Chieftain gets charged by a dragon, yep. remember these <laughs> words. Heroic strength. Not heroic strike to actually win the fight. Nope. Heroic strength <laughs> to not get knocked down. <laughs> well, someone else can do the um, strike. You've got a little gore bag or someone like that. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right there. Um, and they've got Terra and the Throw Stones I mentioned, which have a range of 12 and a strength of 8. Uh, can be surprisingly handy. Don't, do not forget about it because uh, there may be an opportunity to use that. One of my opponents was playing against. Uh, I was playing against the line of trolls, and he started throwing the stones, and was treating them as, as strength one, and just blew his mind when I said, "You do know that they're higher strength than that, don't you?" And I didn't know if they were strength eight or ten. I said, "Look it up," and he he was convinced. Mm. He was, you know, how sometimes you get someone they're absolutely convinced on the rules. They're like, "No, nah, I'm right. It's throw stones. It's throw stones." I'm like, "Yeah, but d- just double check it. Just double check it. I don't think you're going at strength one," and he did, and and. There was some serious celebrating to find out that he actually wounded me on a three plus instead of on like a six or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that wasn't a uh, an error in the previous rules where um, they they simply had throw stones. They had no range or strength written on there, and the only other throw stones that had the strength and range was the hobbits, of course. So <laughs> imagine the trolls just picking up a tiny little stone and just throwing it at you instead of obviously the big old rock that they're dropping on your head. But yeah, Mordor Troll Chieftains, what what needs to be said about Mordor Troll Chieftains? They are the, the beat stick, as Kylie would say. They go in there and they go whack. Yep. The only disadvantage in this one, I feel, is that they don't have the Fearless, where you can get that in the, the Legendary Legion, where the, the Black Gate opens, where you get the Super Mordor Troll Chieftain with the extra Might, Will, Fate, and more importantly, the Fearless. So that that's their one weakness, is their Courage is four, which is good, but it's not amazing, and... It, it's heartbreaking when a 140-point model like flees the battlefield just as the, it's getting good. So that's probably the weakness in these guys. But the heroic actions are perfect. Like Heroic strike is pretty much all you want to do with your two points of might. The heroic strength, uh, like I, I found a corner case for it, but it's good luck finding a situation where that happens. And defense eight is so, so underrated because defense eight troll is really, really, really hard to put the wounds on because oftentimes you go, you throw heaps of strength three at it and you're just not wounding. So it survives a lot of things really well. And then when it hits back, it really hits back at strength seven. Yeah, there's a lot of other monsters where you go in and you lose one combat and suddenly you may be out of the game. You could just get knocked out really quick. But three wounds, defense eight and a fate point, you're going to take a hit or two. You know, you're generally going to be okay unless your opponent goes all in on you. I I was not aware that they gained fearless. That is fantastic. That's really cool for that... um, Army, uh, army, what do you just, call it? Legendary Legion? Yeah, just the one of them. So you get the, you basically your leader becomes the the super one, and that super that troll. yeah, fearless on a, a monster, which is like the big selling point of the troll brute in the 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 Azog's Legion list, is really really good because you can you can afford to leave them till like things start to wear down. You don't have to go straight out early with them. Whereas oftentimes on, with a troll, they're on a they're on a timer, so you've got to get value out of them early on. Uh, you don't want to hold them back and just be be doing that sort of shepherd scare role, and then when things start to heat up towards the middle, just run in with your full power and start killing heroes. So th- that that one can do that. This one though, still courage four is good enough that I feel like you've got the one point of will if you want to use that. Sometimes you have to use that for a spell resistance because this guy is a spell magnet. But other than that, uh, pretty yeah. good. And actually, damn, I'm just looking at the black gate opens, and that looks like a really interesting. 
I mean, you know, it doesn't have that much interest in it, but like the plus ones to wound for the orcs outnumbering in fights and the uh, make it kind of interesting. I may look at that in the future. Got plenty of time to paint, of course, as yeah, I'm sure uh, most people out there do as well. So it could be something to uh, get going. We also anyway, talked yeah. about it in our Legendary Legions list, Matt. So if you get a chance, have a listen to that because it's that's the one that Kylie was really excited about, that Legendary Legion with the 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 black gate because you know how much she likes the, the mortal trolls and that just really makes the troll chieftains shine that 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 legendary legion it's it's quite quite impressive and it doesn't look it it's one of those stealth ones like the 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 new isengard uh, siege one that it doesn't look impressive but when you put it on the table it really does some work if I could just regale you quickly with a story from a uh, a clash of yesteryear I do mm-hmm. recall we were talking about list building and uh, a young Liam Daly uh, had thrown up the idea of running triple Mordor troll chieftains and someone, some fool of a took had said, it might have been me, I can't recall actually who exactly, it might have been Josh Coleman. Yes, that sounds like <laughs> something Josh would say. Um, no, you, you can't fit three Mordor troll chieftains in there and Liam fired back immediately with, well, not with that attitude. And it went from there and I believe they did end up running three uh, triple Mordor troll chieftains. I think someone did that. Um, yeah, go for it. Run as many as you can. That's what I say. They are they are really good. The the extra points you pay over the mortal troll is definitely worth it. So I I don't think you can go wrong by throwing more in your list. And and the more you throw in, the better. Kylie's Kylie's base list can be two or three for that that legendary legion. It, it's it's a scary model. Uh, you can often take down one, but you often need someone bigger than it, like the Aragorn or something like that, to go and and duel it. But you, you just don't have a much as much of a chance when you've got two of them. You need to really pick your targets and, and mitigate some of the damage. But we then move on to that Mortal Troll, which is a good model as well. It's basically the Mortal Troll Chieftain, but instead we've got our we've got our Fight 7 still, which is very, very useful. And Monster with Fight 7 is great. It means you don't have to worry about striking stuff against most heroes. Defense 7 this time, though. Everything else in the profile is similar, except no heroic stats. It's got armor and... Uh, either a hand-and-a-half sword, hand-and-a-half club, or hand-and-a-half hammer. And as you mentioned before, no burly. So it's pretty much a hand sword, a hand club, or a hand hammer. Because some of those, like Rend, is probably more attractive than using those special strikes at that point in time. So that those ones are a bit of a, a misnomer. I think it's just because it's a really big hammer. So you could see them modeling it with two hands. But other than that, it's I think it's really just a hand weapon most of the time. Uh, the options are good. You've got the war drum. But this is a tricky one because the war drum is 30 points. It's not that much of a bargain to put it on the troll. So I actually almost prefer to take the war drum as an extra hero because a lot of the scenarios rely on having extra heroes for bluffing. So I don't mind having the the drum as an orc because you're basically paying exactly the same price. But a war yeah. drum, a war drum is good. Like straight out, makes you move fast. Having said that, there, there is a difference there. The uh, the troll war drum has the Mordor keyword, so everything within Mordor, whereas the orc drummer is only orcs. True, true. Mordor orcs. Yes, you're very right there. So if you're taking like a black Numenorean heavy army, yeah, this is definitely the place to put your drum if you want a drum. So that that is true. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, you've you've justified that very well. Yes, if you're if you're not taking orcs, then it's pretty much take it take it on this guy. If you're taking orcs, then uh, who cares if the trolls are a step behind? Because oftentimes you want them as that 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 wave to come backwards. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's not that big a deal at that point. But yeah, uh, you know, as you say, if you're taking a black numb focused army or yeah, or orcs even, I think I'm not sure orcs yes. get the benefit. Maybe oh, they're, they they're not mortal orcs. No, they're mortal orcs. So yes, they. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a good point as well. Yes, you could definitely get it to push around the the model Urukai, and then you've got the Terran throw stones. I, yep, 
I will say I'm really glad they gave them the courage for base. They used to be three, which was just not good enough. Uh, you know, you run up against uh, an opposing evil army with a ring wraith. Yes. And yes. courage three down to courage two, and your trolls just stuck there for the whole game. It was absolutely useless. Whereas at least with courage four, you could do something with it. Throw a warhorn in your list, and and you're having a much better chance of charging in. I guess I'm just disappointed that the troll chief didn't go up to five. But yeah, yeah, four's uh, I okay. Guess trolls aren't aren't that courageous. Yeah, four four is very good, honestly. I think part of it's exacerbated by things like uh, Wood Elf Sentinels, where they can just go and push your troll around. So you've got a little 25-point model that can pretty comfortably push around a 100-plus-point model and, and really put a, like stuff up your strategy. So I guess courage is, is really important. There's no fury for trolls, so to have that, that courage... It always feels weird as well when they fail to, to charge someone, like an infantry model of terror. And that's, that's one that people say, you, you hear... Models of terror should be immune to terror, and there's there's a fair argument there at times. I guess that's what fearless is for, but I don't know. I don't know. I feel like would it be that bad if they were fearless? I'm not sure. I think I think it's really cool they stay around to the end game, and you actually have to deal with them rather than just waiting for them to run away or just pushing them around with a sentinel. I feel like these guys they, they were such a terror in the movies. Like remember that scene where they're where they're running through the gate and they're just they're just incredibly intimidating. Where I feel like in the game that the the chieftain is, but these mortal trolls. Not as much. They're, they're good, but not as much as they could be. You mentioned about the, the infantry terror, and I would have liked something along the lines of... I, it's, it's getting a bit complicated at this point, but if, if you have a larger base, then maybe you have some bonus to charge a, a smaller base model with terror, something along those lines. Because, yeah, it is very strange if a, a troll can't charge, say... I mean, ah, but then you come up against elf lords, and it's like, yeah, they would put the fear of God into them, wouldn't they? So, yeah, I, I think I it's know. more than that. Yeah. It's a tricky one, yeah. And, yes, the the whole Burley situation... I, yeah, it's weird. Huh. i got to bring it up again. It, I, I would have loved them to have Burley. Can you imagine just walking in and, and you know, you've got, like, you're, you're, I don't know, something, trying to fight these trolls, and, the, and they're just sweeping them aside, wounding on twos, and it's just like, oh, what do you do against them? Just whacking your left, right, and center. Whereas winning on threes or fours, you know, the only three dice, there's a decent chance you're going to um, miss a couple or even fluff entirely and just not do anything. So that's not what you want your trolls to do, obviously. A uh, little bit disappointing. Uh, good for the cave trolls, not great for the Mordor trolls. Yeah, the, the Gundabad trolls, which are just slightly more, like I think they're 20 points more with the scythes, are just so much more reliable. They've got the extra point of wounds and they've got... The, the one plus to wound is huge. To be able to just do one plus to wound against everything all the time, which is equivalent to that burly, is just really, really useful. So I wouldn't have minded if they even went up to like 110 or something like that with the burly. I think that would have been a, a, a good trade-off, and I think that would have made them a bit more interesting. Because it is weird that they've given them all hand-and-a-half weapons, and then it's you don't want to be throwing your three dice down. Like To, to, to lose that, that pip on all three dice is just too much. It is way too much, yeah, for, for such an expensive model. I mean, how often do you see a regular mortal troll? Not not often, right? Uh, I I, I see it a bit, but I feel like it's because it's in the starter box. So you you okay. see you see it a bit in a Mordor army. The the truly honed ones tend not to use it. They tend to go for the chieftain if they want to go for a troll. But um, I I yeah, I just feel like this is one of those like they've got a cave troll type moments. You want it to be really intimidating, and I feel like these models are Lord of the Rings. So I would not be against them being slightly better. They, I think they're still good, but there's it's Mordor. They're overshadowed by so many other things. All right, uh, on to uh, one of your favorites, Jeremy. Walk us through the uh, Great Beast of Gorgoroth. 
Okay, yeah, this guy has taken a lot of changes since the previous edition, and I've had some good experience playing with him. So he is, for 150 points, which has gone up and absolutely worth it, you get a Great Beast uh, characteristic. You get Mordor, Monster, War Beast. War Beast is the key one here, and Monster as well. A hero, Hero of Fortitude. So a Hero of Fortitude, you can't just ally him into yellow, yellow allies, uh, but you, you find a way to get this guy in. So he he's a weird model in that he's got an orc commander with armor and a spear as the captain of the warband, the great beast itself, which is the the mount essentially, and the nine orc warriors of armor and bows, which are included in the cost. No other models may be part of this warband. And unlike things like the the Mumak, these warriors, these bowmen at the top, do survive on occasions when the the beast dies. So you get maybe three or four of them back when the beast dies because you're pretty low to the ground. So that's useful. The armor's useful. It's it's your shooting platform. So you've got the battle platform rule where the, the great beast models don't count towards your force's bow limit, which is already pretty useful. But they also, with the, the war beast rule... When it moves, they still get the 5 plus to hit, which sounds like rubbish, but it's incredibly good because these guys are basically going to throw all their attacks at a hero of a horse. And a lot of times, as you reach the battle line, that hero does no longer have a horse. It just it loses it. And then you can start picking off guys that are taking objectives later on. You can keep firing the whole game. And those 5 plus to hits means it. Three hits a turn on average is is enough that you're going to do a wound here and there. So that's really good already. You got Terra, you got the Trample, you inflict two strength six hits. Two strength six hits is okay. It's not everything though. It's not. It's 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 only slightly better than the the Carnage Chariots, which we talked about in a previous episode. But it's still good enough that it poses a real risk, and because it's impact damage, it means you don't have to worry about courage test to charge things, which is very useful as well. You can't put anyone else in the howdah, but that's okay. Your commander's got two points of might, which is great, so you can do the heroic moves, which is usually what you do for him. Like I don't really bother with the marches; it's just to try and get him where you want it to be. You've got a, a fight for commander irrelevant. The beast itself is the stat you want to see. So the beast has fight four, which is not huge. Strength 6, which is pretty good. Defense 7, which is very good. Attacks 3 and 5 wounds. So he takes a fair bit of time to take down with that defense 7 and 5 wounds. Courage of 2, which doesn't come into hand uh, characteristics that much. The Howder's defense 8 and 4 wounds, which doesn't come into play that much at all. But this guy is is great at doing a lot of things. Firstly, the Orcs power up Kardush, which uh, I think we talked about before. So they, they are perfect sacrifice fodder for, for Kardush. So they, they, they love each other. These two work so well together. But the Beast is a fantastic battle platform to just run at the biggest enemy hero. So I've played this guy, and he is he just runs straight at Boromir every single time because it takes him so long to take him down. He's got so many wounds, five wounds at defense seven, so your heroes are often wounding on sixes or if they're one of those special super attacky heroes on fives, and he just ends up tanking a hero. And then if you win the, the, the roll-off, you do the wounds as you walk in. So you just punch yourself in, Knock, run over some guys. Uh, he's very good at running over defense six or less guys, so you can usually take them out reasonably consistently. Uh, he's he's a good model, and 150 points for a model list is very affordable. Like Compare him to the troll, he's got the potential for so much more damage at, at 50% more points, and he's quite, he counts as more models as well, so he ups your, your, your force limit by, like, by 10 models. He's really, really good. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a lot of it is simple maths actually when you when you boil it down like the troll has to go in has to win the fight and then gets a maximum of three strikes um unless you're fighting something trapped in which case why Mm -hmm. do you need a troll the great beast is throwing out nine shots every turn uh you know uh, unless you get a few shot out or you're using kardush uh and it's getting those two amp impact hits every time you move first at least right 
Yeah, uh, it's just doing so much more than the troll. Like you just look at it that way, and that's all. And you've got the two might points on there as well. So uh, I'm not sure how how can you use those exactly. Is there any restrictions on it? It's in, March in or rules? it's it's moved. Can it affect the beast, or can it affect other things as well? Uh, pretty much, I think with the war beast, it just affects itself. We usually say with that, but I I guess it's how you play those ones because he's pretty low to the ground with the six inches. I've always played as it just affects the beast, and I think that's what it is in the rules. But I'm not 100 percent sure on that one. There's a bit of debate whether it's got the march itself because the orc commander has got its own profile and it's a commander, not a captain. So we don't usually play a march with this one, but it's it's a heroic move and it's a good heroic move because uh, what happens is you want to really get that trample so you can go set it out in the direction you want. So a heroic move really does put the pressure on the opponent to, to call their own heroic moves. But that's essentially what it's for because it doesn't you can't strike with them. It doesn't have strike and that wouldn't help the beast mm-hmm. anyway. It's basically a heroic move. You could, in theory, do a heroic shoot, but... Uh, why would you? Yeah, yeah, no reason to. Yeah, no, I, honestly, really, really cool model. I love that they gave it that extra wound, actually. That actually makes a pretty significant difference, I feel. Yes, up yes. from from um, four to five. Yeah, the two might, as we've said, get, gives it the opportunity to call some heroic moves in there. And honestly, uh, I had a game where I did go in and kill the beast, and I think every single one of the archers survived. And suddenly there were eight orcs on the ground, and I had to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. So, it- I mean... I'm back now. I'm here. Here to have some fun. Here to talk about some some Mordor. Okay, cool. We were just talking about the Great Beast, Kylie. Do you want to add anything? Not not overly. I think uh, from what I've, I've I heard, uh, just kind of lurking in the background there, you've pretty much covered all the really kind of cool and useful things about it. One thing I think I'm not sure if you have talked about or not because I did miss uh, a large portion of that is he's really good. Uh, with Kardush. <laughs> yes, that's the first thing I talked about. Yes. <laughs> I love I love him as a little Kardush, like, uh, battery, following Kardush around and using him to, to fireball. And I also no, 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 other way around. Kardush follows him around. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's same thing, different different smell. But it works really well because they've got the Fury for the Commander so that you're not having to take Stampede checks and stuff, which is also really good. That's That we didn't mention, yeah. Yeah, it's also really uh, handy because I think it's slightly more likely that your orcs are going to survive now off off the fall off the the platform, which is pretty cool. Because before you used to take a thrown rider check and the strength six hit on the way down. Now you only take the fall damage out of the howdah. Yes. So yeah, one thing I do is I I, I sack all the high orcs on the howdah out first. Then when the beast inevitably <laughs> dies, you have all the. The, the lower ones that are only going to take one strength three hit or maybe two strength three hits uh, left, so they're more likely to survive the fall. That's sneaky. I hadn't even thought about it that way, but yeah, I just I just sort of measure from the top ones and away I go because if I get some back, it's a bonus. He's usually done his job no matter what. It's a good model. It's a very good model. I also agree that the extra um, wound is very, very helpful and the boost to its impact hits are just outrageous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, two makes a difference, doesn't it? When you're throwing two dice, the chances of getting a four is much, much higher than, than when you're throwing one. So it stalls a lot less. It does stall a lot, but it stalls a lot less. And the potential damage is just massive. It can take out a whole warband in one turn, which is, like, it doesn't usually happen, but it can do that. So the enemy has to plan accordingly. Yeah, I've seen this thing walk through a, I think it was 18 goblins in a single turn. Oh, wow. Just, 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 just. Just getting hot, hot, hot rolls, and then yeah, that was pretty much, pretty much game, game there. Mind you, this was also the same game where Sauron had his had his mace broken. So you know, kind of take all that with a bit of mm. a grain of salt. 
I will do that, Kylie. Yeah, that's a good model. But now we move on from from one good model to one that's well, it's it's a model. It's definitely a model. The Siege Bow, the Mortal Siege Bow, for 50 points. 50 points. You get a Siege Engine, which is Strength 9, unfortunately. Defense 10 and 3 wounds, so it can survive a little bit. It's a small Siege Engine, crewed by 3 Orc Warriors. Uh, one is automatically the Siege Veteran. That's a bonus. That's okay. All crews have the Mortal Orc Infantry and Warrior keywords, which is good. They they go with the rest of the army. That's all fine. They've got Orcs. You've got some decent options. You've got an Engineer Captain for a whopping 40 points. So if you, in case you want to double the points to get one extra point of might, go for it. You've got Flaming Ammunition for 15 points. And you've got Additional Crew for 5 points, which is not a terrible option if you take some crew just to, to bulk up your numbers. You've got the Piercing Shot. So when it hits a battlefield target, they'll suffer one Strength 9 hit, which is a high strength. Additionally, if the target has a strength 5 or lower, which most of them do, they'll be knocked prone and flung D6 directly away from the Siege Bow. Any model that the target passes over will also be knocked prone and suffer 1 strength 6 hit. If the target comes into contact with a piece of impassable terrain, you get hit by a strength 6 and stopped and knocked prone, blah, 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 and both the target take the hit. Uh, it's accurate. It only scatters 3 inches. Unfortunately, that's not accurate enough because you're 5 plus to hit. Yeah, 5 plus to hit on a Siege Engine is uh, pretty painful. Unfortunately, it's... if they'd made these things like, like, how do you even, oh, it, it, it is the most like hit or miss <laughs> to, not to uh, use the pun too lightly there. The most hit or miss siege engine. I think it does still do auto kill. Is that correct? It, it does still auto kill. If you, if you suck an auto kill that hits yeah. on fives and only scatters three inches. Uh, you, you could kill something incredibly easily that's worth far more points, or you could do absolutely nothing all game. Yeah, uh, feel- and that pretty much sums up siege engines, doesn't it? Yeah, it- I'm uh, out of all the years I've been playing this game. I, I, there's one thing that I will keep coming back to, and that is the fact that I think siege engines, no matter what kind of siege engine it is, I think they do not have a place in points match games. They Ooh. are solely. I do not think they have a place. I think oh. they skew points match games um, too much. They do not provide anything to the game tactically or strategically. They are very, very luck-based choices you can take, and they can just ruin someone's day completely because you can't interact with them. Your opponent doesn't interact with them. You're only the one sitting there and you'll either hit, kill the big thing and the game is over or it'll miss and you suddenly have a 100 point uh, point sink in your army. I I think they're fine in sieges. I think they're great in sieges in some cases simply because of the way sieges work. But in a point smash game, I don't think they should be taken. Yeah. Look, the advantage of this this guy, and and look, I don't disagree with those statements. I do think some of the some of the siege engines are really powerful, and some of them are not so powerful. This is one of the not so powerful ones. It is another warband drop. It is another hero drop. Uh, it's a it's a relatively cheap warband drop for fifty points if you go the budget version of it. It has damage potential. It, it does have damage potential. It just happens so rarely. It's one of those ones that happens once every six games or so. If you want to make it more reliable, you end up taking more of them because it's way better value than taking the engineer. So if you take three of them, suddenly you're yeah. down 150 points, which is a, a Gorg or a Beast or a, a Mortal War Catapult. So it's the direct line. It's the scatter. I wish it... Uh, like, if it's going to be five plus to hit, like, five plus to hit and then scatters as well, it feels like it should be one or the other. It should be, like, maybe this one yeah. hits a bit more often. Like, or ma- oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't mind the idea of, like, a weapon emplacement that does, like, 
a strength hit, like a really high-powered strength hit that I don't have an issue with. It's just it's the fact that it's got instant kill, the knockback. It's it's just it's a just a bit too much. And like you said, Jeremy, it, it's one of those things of like, okay, you take three of them to, to be any sort of kind of reliable or effective. But once you get to that kind of that magic three number and you start taking three of them, it's like, okay. Would I rather spend these 150 points and say a fell beast or a or or a uh, troll chieftain? And then you, you kind of look at that matchup and you go, okay, suddenly my ent or bayon or whatever or, or or eagle gets hit by one of these things and it's paid its points back in triplicate or it misses and does nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, in, just, it's interesting what you say about um, none of the siege engines. I, I would disagree on one siege engine, and that's because it doesn't function as a siege engine, just a very powerful bow, and that's the bolt thrower. Uh, it, it's the only one that I feel actually is interesting and fun both to play with and against. All the other siege engines I uh, could definitely leave out of the game. So I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if you can, but uh, yeah, siege bow, mortal siege bow, definitely want to leave it home in my opinion. Keep it for the siege games where you know they actually have to pick off siege targets or or actually are actually designed in in that kind of a sense to to really put pressure on breaching uh, defenses because that's that's why they they were made they were made for siege of Gondor to to actually have some impact on the game in getting through the Gondorian defenses and. It's, it, it could have been as simple as them saying, yes, these are for playing at home with sieges. Don't use them in points games. You can't use them in points games. Could have been that simple. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm going to I go a, bit, a little bit less on them. I don't mind them in, in points match games, but you've got to... They're, they're one of those things that, that you're right, it's, it's a spoiler type thing where you come up against a siege weapon and you just don't know what you're going to get. You might lose the game before you've even started. Personally, I don't like taking them just because I find tactically they're a bit boring because they just sit there and you just, just roll dice and put pressure on them. But I can I could see a place in the game for them. They do look cool. Like, they are cool-looking models. And the idea of artillery, I've got nothing against. It's just... There's so much more fun in the scenarios where you're sieging a wall. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the middle ground there and say that I don't I'm not against them in points matches, but I much prefer them in scenarios. It reminds me a bit of uh, David's old adage of um, the uh, the Mumikill. It's either one person's gonna have a lot of fun, or sorry, the player's gonna have a lot of fun using it, or your opponent is gonna have all the fun because they're 150 points up and you miss with every shot. That's my issue with it, is the yeah. fact that both players are not going to enjoy playing a game against them. Only one player is going to enjoy the experience. And that I think that says a lot about the model if only one player is kind of having a go at the game because of, yeah, what this, what's been taken. I think the Mumak's a little bit different. In like the Gorgoroth Beast, it gets in your face. So you, you have to deal with it and you have to interact with it and you have to maneuver it. So there is some fun maneuvering away from it and planning and that sort of stuff. Whereas these guys, and, and some of them, like this one, this one we've talked about in the Mortal Siege Bow, which is probably the least offensive siege weapon there is. But when you get things like the Dwarf Ballista and or the Iron Hills Dwarf Ballista, sorry, uh, whatever that's called, and then the, like, the next one's coming along, the Mortal War Catapult, or even the Gondor machine gun. The Gondor machine gun's okay, but the those ones are like they can ruin a game with very little effort. So, but that but it doesn't happen very often. So it's just a spoiler type army, which is okay 
if if that's what you expect. But I do think it's it's yeah, it can be concerning and it can it can potentially make the game less fun because the game's all about maneuver. And when you have a model that doesn't maneuver at all and has full effectiveness when it's not maneuvering, it takes some of the the enjoyment out of the game in those interactions between the movement. So that's probably my biggest issue with it is it just like. Like when you're playing a siege, you're playing against an immovable wall. So if you just take your shots at the wall, and eventually you're basically a timer to see how long it takes to crumble the wall. I've got no problem with that. That that's a bit a bit of fun. It's basically a dice timer. But yeah, in in this situation, I I don't see the appeal of taking the siege bows. I actually really like the models. I think they look kind of cool. And I've got a fair few of them, but they're for sieges. They're not for, for the other ones. Whereas the next one, the Mortar War Catapult, for 160 points, you get a, a model that's actually been seeing a lot of play of late. You've got that Magic Strength 10, which I think, I, I thought the Strength 10 was the one where you get the auto kill. I'm not sure if it was the Strength 9, but maybe it's for both of them. But that's pretty helpful across the board. You've got the the, the crew, so you've got a troll as a crew. Troll crew now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that basically gives you a reroll on the hit, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, which is, I think it's probably better, more fair than the two shots. So I don't mind that. A reroll on the hit, it comes with the troll now, so you don't have a choice. You've got a troll, which is which is good. It basically has to hang out with the siege engine, but because it can push the siege engine, you can be aggressive if you feel like it with this one. Uh, you've got the indirect fire, so you can't fire within ranges of 12 inches, which is the tactic you use against the siege, the, the catapult. You just run into its face if you can. But 96 inches means that in silly, silly games, in open play, you can shoot someone else's table if you wish. That's always fun. The area effect, uh, this is the one that, that, that is, does some really big damage because if it hits a battlefield target, all models within two inches suffer a strength five hit. So what this means is you normally set up a little tactic where one guy's at the back of your lines, uh, whatever the scatter is, six inches for this one, I think, ready to take the hit if it scatters. But if it gets a direct hit, it could potentially take out your hero and then all his friends around as well. So it can be really, really lethal. Getting hit by a siege catapult, you fail your fate, you die straight out, and then your friends around you die. It re-rolls wounds against siege targets, which is cool. That's I really like. It means it takes down castle walls better than other things. And you've got the options. You've got the engineer captain, which I don't think people take very often. Flaming ammunition, it's a choice. Severed heads is a good option for five points. Severed heads is a good one because it means you can go against the, the courage as well. So there's some tricks with the mortar army for that one. And we talked about the, the obvious alliance with Harrod and the, the Golden King. And then additional crew for five points. Yeah, if you feel like it. But this one, this one because it's uh, it don't, you don't need to fire directly because you can hit it behind a wall if you want to. You can pretty much hit people straight along. It's an appealing option for people. Uh, a lot of people out there just want to be uh, putting something at the back that's going to be doing damage consistently. And this is something that can now do that. It didn't, I don't know if it had that much uh, use before because it wasn't as consistent. But I, it really strikes me as strange that these guys hit on fours, but the siege bow doesn't. I, I, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I wish the Siege Bow was 4+. plus. I think then it would see a place. Mm, yeah, yeah. The Severed Heads, so that's a Courage Test and to run off the board. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, so yeah. really, really nasty option um, uh, for only five points. That's very cool. I like that a lot. I, I like that even better than the uh, just the standard hitting with a rock, honestly. I love scaring opponents off the board. It's kind of cool, and because you've got like the ring wraith neg ones around, usually it's 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 a nice option, and and it's to be able to go against the courage is kind of fun at times as well. Look, it, maybe it's not as effective, maybe it is, but it, it is an interesting choice, and I feel like it's it's priced pretty well. Like five points is who cares if it's one hundred and sixty points with the models you're already paying at that point. You're not trying to trying to 
go for the bargain. You do get the option, don't you? You get to fire the rock all the the, the heads, don't you? I think that's right, yeah. So, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take that and just give yourself the option, come up against a, a Courage 2 army, and it's much more effective than the rocks themselves. So, Oh, my yeah, hunter orcs um, would hate that. Yeah, you're right. Or the ruffians yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scary. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, everything we've said about Siege Engines so far is exactly the problem with the Catapult. In fact, I would, just... go, as, I would go as far as to say as the Catapult doubles the problem. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Show us your math. Because it has indirect fire, and one, it has rerolls to hit, so straight up there, but mostly the indirect fire. The fact that you can put it in a corner of the board or behind a, a wall or a tower or whatever, and it's basically being untargetable because you cannot draw line of sight to it, is extremely frustrating to have to deal with. And I've played games against a Mortal Control Catapult where my opponent's set up and I've looked at their deployment and gone, wow, this is going to be a fun game. And the Catapult is there sitting in the corner and their entire army is in a 12-inch concave around the Catapult. And it's like, thought we were here to play a game, not me run at you while you shoot a Catapult at me. And we'll see if the Catapult hits enough for you to win the game. That, again, like you kind of said earlier, Jeremy, it doesn't, it doesn't really kind of, sh- one, show off the game, but to provide any tactical nuance or strategy to it. And especially in, like, competitive play, I, I, I'm i always disappointed when I see it simply because of how it changes the dynamics of a game and how it can just do these massive swings, as we talked about earlier. And I know I'm harping on about it, and... And I know I have a really strong dislike and a, a really strong bias. Yeah, it's just, it's it's one of those models where you just, I just, I, every time I look at it, I just, I, I get more and more frustrated and angry with it. So I, I'm just going to leave my piece there and yeah. <laughs> look, it's... Storm, Storm the camp is the scenario, isn't it? That's the one where you just go, gee, I hope I don't come up against a catapult. Cause well, yeah, not, not just... You're right, completely right there, Matt. And it's not just Storm the Camp either. It's also other kind of scenarios like um, Reconnoiter and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And anything where you have a 12, uh, two-foot no man's land between you and your opponent, it's the games and where it's super impactful, it, it breaks the game. And, yeah, and then there's the complete opposites where there are, Games where you don't even sit up in front of your opponent and you basically are in combat with your opponent turn one or two and it has absolutely no impact on the game. Don't, and, don't you always still have the option of um, placing it back? Yeah, you do. But when you're, you're deploying at the, the two-foot mark of the table, it, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it, it, there's really limited use. use. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things of like... And I know I'm calling out a lot of players at the moment with what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is going to be very controversial... But honestly, I see pretty much all siege engines as an indicator of no skill. It is a skillless model to use. It requires no skill whatsoever to use. Hmm. Harsh, harsh, but fair, possibly. Very. I know. I know it's very harsh, and I know I'm going to cop a lot of flack for that. And I'm okay to cop that flack. But I have had games where I have destroyed my opponent in two turns because I started within twelve inches, like within um, two foot of them and just charge them because I was starting on the center line. And I've had the complete opposite where, you know, the first shot flings across the table and hits Gilgalad and knocks his fake point. And then the second shot flings across the table 
and Hithgal Gladden kills him because they've just gone six 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 six. <laughs> I still remember um, um how uh nervous you were leading up to Articon where you'd done all the math and you'd worked out there was a, a small percentage chance that regardless of scenario, you bring Gulivar along and someone else brings a Iron Hills ballista and Gulivar just dies. It, it was something like a, a 16% or maybe even... It was, it was, it was a bit less. I think it was... I remember I remember it being a 1 in 10 if I didn't have it in the way. And then... I, no, it was. it was. It was a 1 in 10 if I managed to get an in the way between me and my opponent. It was like a, a, a 11% chance. 11.11... 11, like 11.11% chance of Gulivar dying on turn 1, basically. Yeah. In like half of the scenarios, nothing you can do. Literally nothing. Yeah, like nothing I can do. I can I can put him in and in the way. I can do all these all these things. But at the end of the day, if my opponent, as I said, rolls a six six six, you're done. Like you can't do anything about it. And that's what kind of frustrates me about it because you look at any other model in the game, any other kind of model in the game, nothing else is going to knock you out completely on a 666. The closest you'll get is a Morgul Blade or Drain Soul from the King of the Dead or the Necromancer. But even in those two models with instant kill off Chill Soul or the Morgul Blade, you still have the option to use other models to get in the way. You still have the option to strike up. You still have a combat resolution uh, to decide before you roll to wound. You have other models that can hurt combat in and get into the combat to swing the odds. You have other spellcasters or support heroes in your army that you could have you to, to pin those models that are targeting you with those special abilities. And that's what frustrates me with these siege engines is there's no interactivity. There is nothing you can nothing you can do comparatively to actually minimize their effect. It's, especially with the ones with volley fire. All right, so thank you, everyone, for listening to our a, a Siege Engine. Oh, before that, Matt, can episode? I just say something first? Can I just, just, I just want to rebut that just a little bit. Please do go on, yes. Yep, sorry. Go uh, on. yeah. Just just against that, though, in the Mortar Army in particular, a lot of people's tactic against Mortar, which we'll talk about in, in Keep It Secret, no doubt, is that they just hang back and shoot. So like a Rivendell Knight Army or someone else that's got lots of shoot, a Merkel Army, shoot, 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 shoot. The Catapult is a good way to ensure that that's not going to happen all the time because the damage potential is so big that it forces your opponent to come at you. You don't want to get into a shooting war with a Catapult. So tactically... I don't know that it's a demonstrator of no skill at all, especially this one, because I feel like it, it, it marries into the army so nicely. It's because you see people in the Mortar Army where they have lots and lots of orcs, and this is their only shooting weapon. So they need something that's going to threaten the opponent. Look, I agree that the, the model itself t- doesn't take much skill to play, but I think it does add something to the army in that, that it forces the opponent to actually have to engage them rather than just stay back and, and get into a shooting war and shoot them off. Yeah. No, I I, I, I I can see that point. That is that is actually a good point in favor of them. Uh, I guess where I'm kind of coming from is that the negatives outweigh the positives in terms of its overall impact on the game. And I, I'm don't get me wrong, this is not just me like having a harp on at Mortal World Catapults. I am having a go at all siege engines here. I am I am not biasing against just the Mortal Core Catapult. I think all of the all of the siege engines with volley fire have this problem, so yeah, take that with a yeah. bit of a grain of salt. But yes, you are. And right I think there are there are other tools you can use within the model list, even that that aren't as 
swingy, if you like, and and that are more consistent, honestly, for your army and probably a better call anyway. Quite possibly, quite possibly. Maximize your options, yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, uh, I think that's enough about Siege Engines and particularly the Mortal War Catapult. Uh, we've, we've discussed that one to death. Please don't take it against me. Uh, take it against everyone else. Thank you. Take it against All me. Right. Take it against uh, me. And and I think that is everything in the mortal list. Did we did we just go through the it's entire mortal list? Is that is that every single profile? I think there was like forty did, something did, profiles. Did you do Did you do the the mouth of Sauron and the black? Did. Yep. 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 Uh, yep. Did you do the mortal trolls and 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 the the, the yeah, they're you know, in the camp? The yeah. The um. You know the the troll chieftain. The, those things are awesome. Yep, yep, they are. They're fantastic. Take three of them, please. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we covered it all. Frequently. Yes. <laughs> Especially in the Legendary Legion. They're amazing. I, I am I'm... a little bit sad that I didn't get to uh, talk about the Mortal Troll Chieftain and in particular... And just saying episode. everything we've just said. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's literally... Basically, I, I'm going to sum up my opinion. They are awesome. Very good. Yeah, cool. Succeed. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone. We'll move on to the next segment in just a moment. Keeping it secret. Mordor, here we go, guys. we got all the tips and tricks coming in here. First thing I want to discuss is sort of what the best way you're going to get value out of your Mordor troops is. We've sort of, we've gone through everything. We've discussed all the different troop types, and there are a lot of them. And there's even more heroes. But right now, let's talk about the infantry options you have available to you and sort of what kind of tactics you're probably going to use Kylie, what are, you, what are your first troop that you look at in Mordor and you go, this is what I'm basing my army around? Let's just say you're writing a generic list, a generic sort of tournament list. What's that first thing you're looking at? I personally have a absolute love for Mordor Urukai. I think they're really, really, really fun and very uh, flexible troops. So usually if I'm wanting to play a Mordor army, I'm probably going to go for Mordor Urukai. But as a sensible option, as for, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill player that, you know, everyone everyone's probably going to come across, I would personally look at the Humble Orc Warrior. I think for, for five, let's be honest, six points, I don't think you can get much better than just a, a basic Orc Warrior. They do their job, they're good value, and once you get the buffs in, you, they're, they're really free for me. You can always get lots of spears and shields in there, be able to change up. Uh, how they fight, change their angles. You're always able to rank up, and you're not too worried if they die. And being able to put a lot of them on the table too, you know, put down a good block of, you know, 30-odd orcs, you know, 20 of them with shield and spear, a handful with some channel weapons and bows, and you've got a solid core for an army, especially once you get banners and drums in the mix. Straight over the uh, the Moranin orcs to orc warriors, you feel like... That's probably the first thing you're going with. You, that's that's your bread and butter? All the way, Orc Warrior. Okay, yeah. interesting, interesting. I think it depends how much toys you want in your army. So the Mordor army needs numbers. You, you want to be outnumbering your opponent in almost every case, uh, except for some very, very 
uh, corner case elite options, essentially. So you want to, because you, you're getting that number bonus, but also that just helps you with everything that you do because your fight value is not great across the board. Yeah, you can find some fight four around there. Yes, you can get some, some monsters and some heroes have strike. But overall, your basic troops are going to be fight three. So you need to have some numbers to, to get lots of attacks in there where possible. So I feel like Kylie's option of going for the, the orcs is great if you're planning to take lots of uh, support heroes or lots of heroes or lots of monsters or cavalry options or any of those, I think it's a really good choice. But if you're wanting to go for elite infantry like the Moranans, there's no problem with that either. They, they are actually really, really good. But then you're possibly looking at less of those those ones. So I've been playing lots of Moranan armies recently. But I, I forego the trolls for that reason. Whereas every time I see Kylie's mortar on the board, it seems to be buckets of trolls. So she's she's got to find a way to to find enough troops as well. So an orc's a good option for that as well. Absolutely. And then look, you can take it up another step. And as Kylie said, you've got your mortar orc high, which she loves, of course, and we've heard all about. But then you've got um, on the orc side of things the blackguard of Baradur, which are the absolute. Like 12 points for a basic basic troop. Uh, I don't know about basic. It uh, depends on your definition. But essentially just a warrior is a lot. That's a big investment. But these guys are tough. They are strength five. They are defense six. They are fight four. They're, they're an elite troop. You go about like working your list around that sort of thing. Are they always going to be something you just splash in as a bit of power in, in amongst your list? Or can you really like focus on them and span them and, and get a, a big list out of that? You can. I've seen both ways. I prefer the, the splash uh, because one, they, they look like elite. So I'm, I'm a fan of uh, bringing them in. Now that does bring in the disadvantage where you've got Different different numbers for your your, your defense and, and potentially the the enemy can avoid them, but they are they are the very very good way of dealing with defense seven and defense nine stuff, which is not very common. But it, you might find if you've got lots of like dwarves on your scene, then you might need something to to get rid of that. Even Minas Tirith warriors, if they they're using a lot of shield wall, that it becomes a really good way. That that strength five is noticeable. And and it's really good for taking down heroes as well. So for, so for these elite troops where you've got things like the Black Guard, you've also got uh, things like the Black Numenorians also probably fit in this category a little bit. Even the Mordor or Akai to some extent where you've got uh, Morgul Stalkers, this this roughly 10-point-ish infantry model, I prefer to go for Splash. I think it's more difficult when you're getting models that average 10 points to make them make a horde of them. You can do it, but it's I feel like that's when you want the, the orcs or some of the cheap options in there as well. So I find it, I don't think a lot of people would go for straight Blackguard of Baradour army. What do you think, Kylie? You're going you're gonna to be really struggling to, to, to run a, a pure pure force. I, I, I agree pretty much with everything you said. I think it's it's doable, but you, you're going to need to do some really interesting tricks with your army to make them viable. You're going to need lots of banners. You're going to need support troops. So the the drum, you're probably going to need to throw in there as well. Maybe a dark marshal or something like that. But the problem with 12-point units and, and units that are, you know, north of, of 10 points as, as a troop, you're constantly being – you're constantly having to make concessions elsewhere in your list to put them on the table. So – I, I think you could run probably half of them, half of your army as probably like a Black Guard of Baradur or, or um, 
possibly even the Black Numenorians or something like that, or even Stalkers or something like that, um, and then back them up with uh, either a cheaper troop or a complementary troop. Uh, that way you've still using the points a bit more efficiently and can back them up a bit better. Because as well, you know, things like Black Guard and, and Black Numenorians, they don't have spheres. So you can't rank up with them and you need to find other ways of getting your numbers to bear at any one time. Yeah, so you've almost got two types of infantry. You've got your your elite frontline infantry and then you've got your support infantry. No matter what you have, it's all get into combat infantry. Everything's Everything combat's its main goal. Even the archers want to get into combat. Like That's that's their main job for a mortar army for, for their infantry. But if you're taking things like Blackguard or Barador, it's not a bad option to go for some... Um, elite orcs, either some Moranan orcs with shield and spear or some uh, orcs with shield and spear or maybe orcs with spear. I don't know if that's the best option. Shield and spear is a good option to back them up because you need that support infantry as well for your for your elite infantry. But even the, the orcs, like we talked about before, they're, they're fine on their own with the support characters and with the other stuff that comes in the army because you know that if you're going to, to invest heavy on orcs, you're going to have so many good support options or good attacking options as well. So basically the, the, the tactic for the, the infantry for Mordor is just get them to combat as soon as possible and give it time for your special stuff to move in. On that, the cavalry for Mordor is a little bit more interesting. There's a lot less options. You've got some heroes mounted, but you've also got the Warg Riders and the... Uh, the well, I think you've got trackers and Wargs as well, but you've got the Black Numenorian yeah. cavalry. Kylie, what's the role of, of uh, cavalry in a Mordor army? Um, I think they're, they're more of a... They're not, they're not kind of like your uh, head-on Rivendell knight, I'm going to go charge you head-on and beat you on the face. Uh, Mordor cav tends to be a bit more supportive. And they perform more of an auxiliary role. So they're either the troops you send because you need to get to a particular place on the board ASAP, or more likely they're there to back up your 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 force. Be opportunistic, wait for your infantry lines to clash, and then run into run into their flanks. You know, get some good charges going on, or be able to break off from main combats, pick off stragglers, and grab objectives. You can do an all-mounted mortar army uh, since you've got, you know, fell beasts and a lot of good mounted heroes. But when, you, when you're kind of going down that path, you're playing very differently and you're using other tools at your disposal where the cav isn't really the main be-all and end-all in the list. It's, it's, it's kind of more the heroes and the fell beasts and the, the great beasts and the, those kind of big models. So I think as a general rule, you, your mortal cav a bit more support-orientated a bit more opportunistic, but one of the great things about Mortal Cav is you can choose what kind of level of cav you want. Like, do you want that massive big hammer and anvil charge? Then you can you can throw in the uh, Black Newman Orange. Do you want kind of a multi-purpose, harassy type cav? Well, then you can go the trackers. And if you want something in between, you can go for a, a, a generic Warg Rider uh, cavalry model who, you know, we all know how good Warg Riders are. They're... they're they're cheap, they do their job really well, and they hit like a truck if you are not careful. I totally agreed on, on all those points. You don't really see those all-mounted Mordor forces, so that, that sort of indicates to you, yeah, I, it's probably not the most effective way to run Mordor, but as support units, they're incredible, and you'll almost certainly see in Mordor forces some form of cav, uh, whether it just be those wag riders 
uh, the orc trackers to harass and, and pick up objectives. Or the, the Morgul Knights are a fantastic unit. They've got that terror, which just makes them really nasty because you're going to have those times where they go in, they do the work, and then even if you lose that roll-off, occasionally they just don't get countercharged and they're able to keep doing more, which a lot of cavalry units struggle with. So really great options in terms of support and you'll definitely see some floating around and and I would recommend at least a handful of, of any of those um, cavalry options in a mortal force. I absolutely love um, my five Mughal knights led by either a marshal or the Mouth of Sauron just as a supplementary for like portion of my army to either complement my, you know, block of orcs or as support to my Black Numenorean infantry because they're, they're just so damn punchy and you can get a lot out of, you know, that, that small, you know, 250, 300-point unit. You can really just tack it onto any list, can't you? Like, yeah. it's rare that it's going to not do what you want it to do. One of the underrated roles of cavalry in an army like this where you've got basically an infantry focus is to intercept other cavalry. So I like to, to position where I've got little gaps in my line where if cavalry come in, I can bring a bring a wag rider in or some sort of sacrificial one just to take off their charge bonus or take off a hero's charge bonus. So having a, a handful of cavalry, I think, is really good immortal for a lot of things. But, but one of the underrated ways is, and wags, wag riders are great at this because they're cheap, is to just intercept other cavalry because you've got all these infantry models. If you go cavalry onto their cavalry and then have some infantry to support, you're going to win the combat more often than not, and you should be able to take down a cavalry model of all those high-strength attacks or or medium-strength attacks. So that's a good way of using the, the cavalry, and you don't need a huge amount then. Great point. It, it prevents that heroic combat around the sides as well. When you've got that uh, long-distance move to be able to nullify the charge bonus, and then also like it, it can make it very difficult, one, for them to get that heroic combat off, and then uh, can potentially be countercharged in further turns if you hold some in reserve as well. So it, it just makes it really tough for enemy heroes mounted. And if they do botch and lose that fight, they, their horse is gone. Like, mm. you're going to outnumber. The amount of times I've seen, like, a, a, a Boromir or particularly Elrond has has the, the worst kind of odds with, with this happening. And um, uh, when they, you know, you, you got your Elrond or your Aragorn come in, they hit your flank, and then suddenly a single warg rider runs into combat with them, uh, knocks out knocks out their ability to knock you down and takes away an attack, and then suddenly, you know, Elrond's madly trying to, like, chop through your guys to get his heroic combat off, and then suddenly the warg sticks around and he doesn't have any attacks left to kill off the warg as well. So it can be it can be a very, very nasty tool to, to, you know, just have two or three war graders in your list. Great point. And the and the army bonus even gives them plus one courage as well. So, yeah, really, really good. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the war graders are just underratedly good. So I think they're, they're definitely worth taking. I think there's a made-to-order coming soon at some point that's going to have the old metal war graders as well. If you don't have uh, any of those, go pick them up because they're, they're really nice models, much nicer than the plastics. Excellent models. Yeah, I love them. I've got about eight to ten of them myself. They're really nice. Yeah, yeah, they're good, they're good. So we move on from cavalry to monsters. So how do we use... We've got monsters. We've got a huge choice of monsters. We've got trolls, we've got troll chieftains, we've got great beasts, we've got shelobs, we've got... What other monsters do we have? We've got a few... Uh, Fel beasts. Of course, yeah. Felbeast. Sauron yeah. himself? No, no, Sauron's not in this one. Oh, he's not, is he? No, Sauron's in Baradur, which Sauron's we talked about. I can't, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so the monsters, they can do a few things. Uh, they, they're... 
overall, they're usually your highest fight value in the army. So already they've got a mission to go and kill high fight models. What else, Kylie? I personally like using mostly the uh, Great Beast of Gorgoroth and the Troll Chieftain Mortar Troll variants. Uh, occasionally even Shearlob. Shearlob can uh, do this role in a pinch. But using them as your kind of your anchor uh, and the point in your army where you pivot around. So basically you, you have your monster sitting in the center of your line or, or even off to off to the side. So you kind of have a nice big juicy terrain feature, maybe a, a Minister of Ruin or a Rohan House maybe even a late town homestead, something like that. And then you position your army next to that terrain feature, and then on the very edge of your flank, you have your monster. So what this does, it kind of puts your opponent in a bit of a rock in a hard place because they either have to try and get around your monster, at which point your monster's in prime position to now start whacking on enemy models, or they're forced to come through the ruins or around the ruins where you can pick them off one at a time and isolate combats. What I find really, really uh, is helpful with this is if they try to kind of wrap around your monster, you can bring your back line of spearmen across the back of your monster and create kind of an L formation uh, with your monster on the corner. And that's what I kind of mean by anchor. They're a really good point, really good models to put on the corner because of their uh, robust robustness, their durability, and their ability to just win fights, it makes it a lot harder for your opponent to collapse in on your army and just kind of get around, especially with barges being able to push them back and reset the pseudo-reset the lines. It can be a very, very useful tool to be able to deal with armies that are either A, bigger than you, or B, can outfight you. Yeah, I like you mentioning barge because I find barge um, on key spots around around the sides, sometimes in the middle, but more on flanks is really, really useful because if you manage to push a, b- a bunch of guys, you can set up for a, a next turn where your infantry can jump on all the models that have been split up and take them out pretty easily, and your troll can keep pushing towards the value targets. And so I feel that's, that's one that people tend to go for the hurl, and I can see why because the hurl's pretty devastating if you get it off right. But I think now with the, the way that... that uh, you have to hurl in a certain line. Barge is a really, really good option because it's always on the table. It's an extra movement, which is huge for a monster and potentially disrupts the lines and then potentially get you even into a, a favorable target as a little mini heroic combat, which is always good value as well. I would recommend keeping banners near your monsters if you can because I find that three attacks is often enough to botch. So getting that one more reroll in there really does help. Yeah, we had a we had a rule of four back in the day, didn't we, Kylie? That was the... Uh... The, the number you really wanted to hit to, to sort of try and get a bit of certainty around things to try and guarantee that six. It was really like once you go over four, it becomes like a bit of overkill. If you've got four attacks, it's usually very nice. The way that monsters work in this one, because you've got – they all work very differently. You've got your trolls, you've got Shelob, and you've got the fell beasts and the great beast of Gorgoroth. Those, those are the monsters that we're talking about here, and they all function quite differently. I think – for Mordor Trolls, you love that Chieftain as just the big hero that's going to go in and try and hunt uh, enemy heroes, but can also mess up lines with a nice hurl if you get that opportunity. As you guys have been saying, you know, get them on the get them on the sides. Like, I, I played a game, it was a little while back, but I, I did play a game with someone with two Mordor Troll Chiefs, and they sort of um, put them in the middle of the lines. So they, had, they would have, like, three sections to their lines and the two Trolls in, in the middle of each section. Uh, and it just didn't really work for him. Like, he, he couldn't move around as much as he wanted to, uh, and there was nothing in my force that could have really dealt with the trolls, so he was pretty safe putting them out on the edges if he wanted to. So that's something I would also recommend. 
And it also enables you to potentially get off those really nice hurdles where you're actually throwing it down the line and, and knocking down a lot of different models. In terms of Felbeast, we haven't really got into the Felbeast, have we? They're a, a totally different, like, beast. Yeah, yeah. They're almost like they, a... They're a, completely different. They're a scalpel. You've got to make sure you pick the right time to go in with them. They're, they're potentially as devastating or even potentially more devastating than, than some of the trolls because of the, the ability to fly, the ability to take out key targets, the fact that you've got a magic user on the top and that you can get, like, knocked down. So you, do, you don't get to do the combine that with the power attacks. You get knocked down or a br- brutal power attack. So they're really good, but they're also very prone to botching if they get countercharged. So you want to make sure that you're a little bit more careful with these guys than you are with, say, the trolls. Trolls, you don't mind on a flank where they can get charged. Uh, the wraiths, I think my standard tactic with the wraiths is to keep them just behind my lines so that they cannot be charged at all if I don't want them to, and then to bring them out at a key time, either by separating my lines and giving them space to charge through, or by jumping to one of the flanks and where I've got control and helping out there and potentially doing a hurl or or just taking out a key target there while threatening the center of the line with the magic spells. If we're talking about monsters that are going to be hurling, Felbeasts are like primo for that role because they get in there, they can actually combat from a hurl potentially. If, if you're feeling very confident about killing that model that you are hurling, uh, you generally if it's just like a single warrior and it's not defense six uh, or higher, then uh, combating off a hurl is not a bad option. I, I believe you can still do that, right? It's only barge and combat that you can't do in the same turn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. So combating off a hurl and then potentially um, charging into a hero that thinks maybe they're safe that turn, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things you can do with fell Beasts. And uh, as Jeremy says, you want to be careful that you're not letting them get surrounded or even just charged by more than, like, two models, honestly, because because those ring wraiths are often so frail, the the exception being, say, the uh, the Undying. But so often you do see someone feeling very confident, perhaps overconfident, with their Ringwraith and Felbeast. They go in, they make the charge, they have the first botch, they, they've charged something that was vulnerable, so they maybe don't get taken down that turn, and they're very disappointed, but then suddenly they realise, oh dear, I'm in a really shocking position now because I didn't do that first thing I wanted to do. Uh, and then they get countercharged and they're gone. That's it. Uh, it happens so often. It, it, I see it all the time. So you got to be really careful with the Felbeast. They're, they're not an easy model to use. They're very, very effective when you use them well, but you don't want to be too overconfident. You want to do the same thing you do with a lot of other flying models, and that is don't just send them over your opponent's lines to target vulnerable stuff because they're valuable to you. You can find those moments to do that, but you just don't want to do it straight away and lose that model. No, you do that in the end game if you've got, like, you've got to do something quickly. So the key with the the ring rapes on Felbeast is that you want to kill a hero or two with them, just just with them. That if you do that, you're well on your way to using them well. If you don't, they're probably wasted a lot of times because they're not going to get their value back with infantry usually or or other things. So I find setting up an assassination run where you've got something transfixed and then you go in and you might even go in with a friend, one of those cheap orc heroes that can strike and then hit them with a fell beast and that orc hero and then take them out in one go. So you can do... The, my favorite move is, is, yes, I do throw the ring rope over the lines, but if you manage to somehow disrupt it, so you've got, say, a um, like a Grishnak into the hero on one side and the fell beast on the other side, Grishnak strikes and the fell beast calls a heroic combat. 
and you get that hero killed, and then you can move on to the next hero as well and potentially get a two-for-one. But it usually happens in the end phase of the game once numbers are whittled down a bit and things are starting to be pinned. So you've got to be really patient to pull it off. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, a lot of your points. One thing that I feel that we haven't really on Felbase is the threat. Uh, simply just having a ring wraith on Felbeast changes the dynamics of a game up, like just completely. Because they have such huge mobility and flexibility and being able to position basically anywhere you like, it forces your opponent to play in a very particular way. And you can use that to give yourself advantages on other parts of the table without actually having to commit the Felbeast. One of the things I've found that has been really, really effective lately with my experimentation with Felbeast and uh, <coughs> Gulliver <coughs> is... Uh, There's a cough there is, somewhere. We've got to... Not, not, not in this time. That's, that's not appropriate. Uh, one of the things I found very uh, effective is using them to make your opponent think you're going to jump in and dive and then jumping somewhere else, running into a flank, running, uh, getting some stragglers, because Felbeast are really good at running out, dealing with some alone guys on an objective, and then coming back, because, and then coming back. Because they have uh, really kind of decent stats and the high mobility, they can get out onto those flanks and then come back and still, still be fairly fresh. So you're not having to spend as much resources dealing it, where something like a, a, a war grider or something like that might take a bit, might have, take some more t- uh, turns than you would probably like to mop up some models on the flanks. And that's one thing that the Valvis can do, especially if you're playing them in a reserve th- uh, and threatening role, is using them to mop up your opponent at the end of the game because they're very, very good at doing that with their high mobility, being able to jump on targets and their spells being able to move things around. Yeah, great point. You've really got to respect when your opponent has a fell beast that at any moment you could lose a hero if you're not careful. You have to be careful when you're facing them. One other thing I think we, we haven't really mentioned as well is if you are going to go dive over the back line into a, into a soft, juicy target such as a banner, uh, more most, more likely uh, something like a Kirdan or a Shaman, uh, make sure you have support when you're going for the dive. So if you're going to take a fell beast, I think it's almost mandatory to take a marching captain and, you know, two or three war riders or some, some mobile cav or something like that, just to be able to march around the edge of the flank and get in position so that when your fell beast does jump over the line and get into that juicy target in the back, you have some follow-up charge uh, with them, with some cavalry, uh, just to help, one, peel off counter charges, and two, be in a position where you're not going to insta-lose your cavalry, your foul beast on the uh, return or the counter charge on the following turn. Great point. Get get that support in there if you can. Um, ideally, as Jeremy was saying, um, get a, another hero back there as well. So not only do you have a, a offensive perspective there with both of them teaming up, you've also got the defense there with heroic moves and such. But the other monsters we've got is the Gorgroth beast, I guess? Yeah, Gorgoth yeah. Beast. Now, we went into that pretty in-depth in the Nodon, mm. I think. So, yeah, let's get um, there's, Yeah, maybe not too much to talk about there. We might go into it a bit more when we talk about lists, because I know um, I had planned to write a Great Beast list. So we'll go into that more a bit later on. 
the siege weapons, Kyle, you're banned from talking about siege weapons for it because of your comments in the <laughs> Nodine. So you don't get to comment on this one. Basically, the role of the siege weapons in the Mortar Army is to give your opponent a reason to come at you because you've usually got this wall of, of nasty things that love combat. So it's basically, it's, it's to provide the temptation because we know how much damage they can do. No matter what the siege weapon is, you can potentially take out a leader in one turn or it could potentially do some huge damage to your lines. So if you're taking a siege weapon, the, the job of the siege weapon is to force the enemy to come to you and it allows you to, to set up a defensive position, which you normally couldn't do because a mortar army, normally a defensive position is not an option for it because no one's going to run in a mortar army like unless it's, it's a really sort of strange one. But a siege weapon, suddenly they're going to run at you because a siege weapon can pretty much outshoot almost anything if it gets, gets the way... If it gets its way, so uh, basically that's why you take it. I know that the catapult has has is quite popular at the moment. I know a lot of people considering the mortal catapult, especially big points games, and that's its job. If if you find that you've got a mortar army and you're frustrated because the enemy never comes at you, then that's maybe the option for siege weapons. Matt, you can talk about this as well. Kyle, you can't go. <laughs> yeah, look, you, you can throw it into specific lists where you really do want that effect, and it's just kind of something different to run over, say, the Shadow Lord or some kind of spam shooting force. I don't know if you could really do that with Mordor. I guess you, I guess there are ways to do it. But, um, yeah, the, the Catapult is, I think, should be a niche pick. I don't think a lot of people should be running this. And I think if you do run it, be prepared for extremely swingy games where you're either going to blow something up or you're going to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's fair. Now, Kyle, you're back on now. We're going to talk about heroes. I want to focus more on like the combat aggressive heroes because you've got so many options in the, the mortal list. I'm just going to start with my thoughts straight away. First thing I do when I'm taking a mortal list is grab at least one or two striking heroes, usually two, because there's so many options at such a low level that I feel like it's almost a no-brainer. What do you think about that one? Uh, I agree uh, 100%. Uh, I think there are times where I will go a second strike if you have a butt-ton of uh, spellcasters. You don't overly need it. Uh, I, I am starting to uh, appreciate the heroic channel a lot more, especially with ring race and stuff, uh, as a way of not being forced to take into strikes. But I think just pretty much for any list, you, you're pretty much always locked into taking at least one one striking hero. But Mordor, man, you are spoiled for choice when it comes to strike. Uh, basically, pick two of your favorites and, and, and go nuts. I What I love about a, a lot of the attacking heroes is they all have slight little nuances that you can kind of factor into your army about how you want to use them. Because uh, a lot of the orc heroes are really aggressive, you can kind of pick how you want to be aggressive. So you got Grishnak, you want to try and get traps. you got um, Gorbag and uh, I think it's Zardush if you just want to just be straight up, you know, running forward and, and not having to worry about formations. And if you want durability, you can go for someone like Goroth. So pretty much pick what you like. You can also go the big heroes, like a Shagrat or a Gothmog as well, and go a real heavy beater. Or I guess we've already covered this, but like a Troll Chieftain as well. You've got the that focal point character if you want to. So you've got some really good options uh, as in combat heroes. Not as many uh, like mounted combat heroes in the Mordor army list. I feel like there's a lot of good options that are on foot. I know Gothmog's probably the exception to that one. And then Gothmog's a whole different point as well, because oftentimes he's living with the legendary legion now although you can take him with other stuff and get some more options but uh 
that that's the ones that I go for. But I find that those cheap orc ones are such good value. They're the the Grishnaks. Grishnak and Zagdush are my favorite ones, and that's just because I really like the models for them. But Gorbag's just as good. And then you can go a step up and go for like a Goroth or. Uh, yeah, you got you got so many good options there. But then Mortals also got some some excellent support heroes. So you've got things that make you move fast, things that cast spells, things that uh, help you get more might potentially. All these sort of heroes. Matt, what's your choice here? Oh, gee, we've got to go with Cardus, don't we? God, what an absolute king of a model. Uh, he just does everything. He, he does everything you want in a support unit. You still have to be careful with him, but gee, he really covers all bases, especially paired with the Ringwraith. The Ringwraith themselves are amazing support units, can be combat ones as well. All, almost all of them have a buff that affects the rest of your army. You've got the Dark Marshal with his banner. You've got the Shadow Lord if, if you are low defense and maybe want to avoid getting shot out, or if you just don't feel like taking bows. You've got... The, the Undying is just not going to die. He's going to throw spells at you, and he's just going to keep doing that all game. Wraiths are doing good things for your list. Um, you know, some better than others. Maybe you're not going to take the Betrayer as a support unit in the uh, the Mordor list, necessarily. And, yeah, what else have we got? we got the Drummers. The Drummers are cool options, too. Like, specifically, uh, the Blackguard, if you're taking a Mordor list, because, yeah, that's how that works. And the basic Orc Drummer, if you're just taking, say, Moranans or or Mordor Orcs. And, you know, you, you can run other stuff in those lists. You don't have to be 100% set on moving everything with the drum every turn. Obviously, Fell Beasts are going to be able to keep up easily enough. And you don't mind your trolls coming in a little bit later and being those um, heavy hitters afterwards. So, yeah, really, again, just spoiled for choice. Mordor has so many options, uh, both combat, uh, like offensively and defensively. One thing I will kind of just add in on top of that, Matt, one of, whenever I'm making a, a, a mortal list these days, uh, especially if I plan on using orcs, is I basically start at 120 points, and that's for Kardush or a shaman, depending if I can, uh, if I'm taking a legion or not. But it's basically Kardush, a banner, and uh, a drum. I feel that is pretty much the core of your uh, your support support lineup for the mortal list. The, the extra three inches, the the, the fury, and the rerolls are just they just turn your orcs from being mediocre to actually quite good because the, the ability to auto-pass Kairos, the high move, and the, the the extra attack are just the multipliers that you don't see very well on paper. There's something that when you get into the game, you start to notice a bit more and more, and especially when you're playing with, such, with, a, with a large amount of models, being able to overlay those buffs become really, really, really important and can be very, very impactful uh, on the table. The one thing we forgot about here, just a little bit, not a huge amount, is something like the, the Taskmaster is a good option as well because it, it can basically add extras to your move or your marches for pretty much anyone. Um, you shoot, you're probably not going to use that ability, but I feel like an Orc Taskmaster is, is actually a decent purchase as well, especially if you've got lots of those cheap Orc heroes. Or cheap any heroes, quite frankly. But if you've got lots of cheap heroes, Taskmaster is a really good force multiplier in that some of your actions might be free, which is save up your points for like your heroics later on, your strikes or your moves or your combats or all that sort of stuff. The more might you have, the the more actions you, you guys get to do. So that's another good support hero. Uh, another one that we didn't mention there, we mentioned him as a combat hero, but Gothmog is also a fantastic support hero, buffing your orcs uh, within three inches of him, which... Not a huge range, but doing uh, Hatred, which I think is the plus one to wound. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
Uh, and then you've got the time of the orc has come, which is the uh, once per game 12 inch reroll failed to wound rolls when making strikes. All friendly Mordor orcs. So that's your basic orcs, your Mordor orcs, and your, your um, Moranan orcs. So, and also any heroes that fall in that category as well, not just the troops. So, really, really nasty. There is one trick I want to kind of uh, just quickly, uh, just having a, a, a momentary uh, blight of genius and remembering. Blight of genius. <laughs> <laughs> it is a scourge upon the earth. Uh, cool. that, uh, Jeremy taught me ages ago that you can do with your uh, drums, which is you. Once you've kind of got into combat and close range with your opponent, you can do this really funky thing where uh, you can drop your drum back and leave it so that it's only in range of your spear-supporting orcs or uh, uh, and, and models and leaving your combat troops the ability to charge still. Then what you can do is you can do this funky thing where you can charge in with your, your attacking troops and then use your supporting troops to run around kind of the edges of, of the battle line and kind of get these pseudo traps. Because you're able to still spear support off the off the drum march, you can get these really cool situations where you can kind of almost fan out your your, your, your line and get in behind your opponent, trapping them when they wouldn't normally expect to be trapped because of the extra three-inch move. I'm not sure it's your genius if I taught you it, Kylie, but that's that's a really good move. It's my secret move as well because it, people don't expect it. They You can basically abandon your spears in one area, so it looks like you're putting your force into one area, and if you throw your spears and your banner all the way to a flank and you've got lots of shields in one area, you can suddenly shield and basically be as effective at, at staying there as defending, and you can become really aggressive in an area they don't expect. So that is that is a fantastic option for the drum, and it means your drum gets, gets used the whole game, whereas some Sometimes people uh, don't take the drum because they feel like it's only used for a turn or two, but it really does have a lot of good usage for that. It's also got very good usage for the objective capturing roles as well, where you can basically do a big outflank maneuver and avoid combat altogether while you pin with the rest of you guys. Uh, it could be, be hard to deal with. He's also got that stand fast as well, so really handy for um, objectives if, if you are able to pass that courage test. Yeah, you want to, you want to be near the shaman. So if you can get near, like within six inches mm. of the shaman, then you can make sure that stand fast is working well. But yeah. I wouldn't trust his courage otherwise. It's not particularly fantastic. Fair enough. Did we talk about the witch king at all? Because I feel like he hasn't really been mentioned, and he is such a such a powerful model in this list as well. We talked about it a lot in the Barador list, but I think Kylie, you should just go over the witch king quickly as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think gets a bit underrated in the mortal list is the, the well, not so much underrated, but people just kind of gloss over him a bit when he has a lot of potential uh, in a mortal list simply because of the the buffs to the Crown of Morgul. Being able to get up to that three attacks means you can, you can pretty much always choose how you need your Witch King to function in an army list. And one of the really cool things you can do is you can do two rolls at once. So he can be a, a, a massive upfront uh, hitter and he can be a support wraith uh, casting spells and stuff. So as long as you have enough uh, auxiliary might from like your captains, your taskmasters and stuff behind him to keep your armor moving and keep him with the initiative. I really, really like him with the Mongol Blade as well simply because you're able to flash kill down uh, enemy heroes, you know, run up to enemy trolls or even up to particularly vulnerable heroes like uh, Boromir and stuff that only have that have low fate and you can burst them down really, really, really fast, especially with the other support elements in the list 
teaming him up with something like uh, another another ring wraith or more more likely something like a uh, Kardush and the Mouth of Sauron, you can basically hammer down a whole bunch of spells onto one target, knock out their might and will, and then run in with the Morgul Blade and finish them off in all in a single turn. And it's it's really, really powerful when you when you can pull it off. I absolutely agree. I don't think anyone's underrating the Witch King at the moment. He is like a solid go-to for any list that can take him, which is what Baradur, Mordor, and Angmar, they're the main ones that have him in there. He's a really good choice in all those lists. And, and as as Kylie pointed out, it's it's if you want a combat wraith, that's your combat wraith. And it's also one of the best spellcasters as well. So you, you can't go too far wrong with the Witch King. You almost have, a, have to have a good reason not to take him if you're going to take a wraith. Hmm. Especially the instill fear on on the four plus is really handy too. I managed to get a win a couple of games with getting that instill fear off in a, in a really really useful spot. That one's a tricky one to use, and I feel like when we're going to go to to some magic episodes, I think that's one we can talk about a lot because that that one in particular, I think more than other spells, you have to really set up for it and you have to know when to use it and where to use it because it's it's one that's. Uh, it relies on a lot of things happening, but you're right. Having it on a four plus instead of a five plus means it's much, much more of an attractive option. And just sometimes having the enemy know that you have it is is good enough because that one can be devastating. It can be very dicey as well. But my classic one is just the the combat witch king with with the use of compel around is fantastic. He can really just make a mess of almost anything because he's pretty confident he can kill things on his own. If he, if he can't, you've got lots of friends to go in again, like I was talking about. And you can have him on a horse, keep him, spend some more points on the, the resources, or you can have him on a fell beast and make him do everything. He's just such a good model and such a cool model. And once again, one that comes in the, the basic box set. So he's not a, not a bad option to take straight away. If you want to learn how to use Rafes, he's a really good option because he's very forgiving. I think the Witch King is one of the very few models in the game that I could confidently say can take on anything. Anything. If you um, buy the Morgul Blade, yes. And the Crown, yes. Yeah, with with the options that he has at his disposal. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Like, you, you can't really go past him in terms of like the, the possibly the best model in the list. We discussed Kardush obviously to death at this point, but uh, and obviously, Kylie, you said you, you throw him straight in. He's, he's your first 60 points, but... I want a, you know, a not just a spam, but I want a big hero. It's very hard to go past the Witch King. Hmm. One of the things I've also been experimenting while with the Witch King, and you can, I suppose you can do this with other races too, is um, if you have him in the back line, especially on a Felbeach, you can do these really cool things where, like, you can just call a channel, especially if it's your opponent's initiative and they're moving first with priority. Just call a channel and watch what your opponent does because they start freaking out a bit and can you can force an error out of your opponent just by going, I'm going to channel. And they're like, well, what are you going to do with it? And it's like, guess you'll have to find out. And they start getting into their own head trying to figure out what you're trying to do when you're basically waiting for an opportunity. And you'd be surprised how often your opponent will give you an opportunity if they don't know what's coming. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You probably won't want to have an army where he's not your only might at that point. So if you've got lots of redundant might, you can definitely do that. I would be a bit more careful about doing it if, if you're low in might. So if you took, say, a five or six might army, that's probably not the time to do that sort of game. But that's it's definitely a good idea when, you, when you're playing around with it because you've got a few options. Uh, Kylie, what options are you thinking about with the channel offhand other than just the, the standard? My one that I always seem to go for is the transfix or the compel where you, you're basically getting the, your bonus uh, fight value lowering. What else do you consider? I also quite like – I like the channel compel, as you said, but I also like the uh, channeled uh, – I said it just before, and now I've, I've – Instill fear? 
Yes, the Steel Fear. I love the Enchanted uh, Steel Fear and the Enchanted Black Dart. It can really catch your opponent uh, kind of off guard, especially if they're not paying attention to where their models are on the table. You pair up that Enchanted Black Dart with, a say, a Flame Burst from Kardush, and you can do some really, really, really nasty damage and can even burst out a hero before your opponent's uh, even ready for you to go to go at, to go at you. So that's the, like, what is it, D3 wounds or something for the, the Black Dart? Yeah. A wounding hit does D3 wounds, which is why I like pairing it up with a, with a Flame Burst or some other magic that, that deals damage straight away because you can go in, Flame Burst, get some chip damage. A lot of players will like to use their Fate first. They'll blow the Fate and not even think about the Channel Black Dart that's coming their way, and then you just knock them out with, uh, with a D3 shot. And it's the potential than anything that, that really yeah. kind of can shake but your Particularly opinion. on leaders, you know, that they're going to want to use their fate first to prevent you getting the VPs. So that, that's a really good time to, to pull that move off. And a, a lot of the time too, even if it's a, a three-fate three hero like a, like an Aragorn, Gothmog or something like, not a Gothmog, a Azog, or, or something like that, you, you can leave with a flame burst, make a use of fate, and then go with a black dart on them again anyway. Because if they fail it, they're going to be more tempted to use the might. So if you're up the might, like Jeremy said, it can be a way of getting yourself back into uh, a might advantage. If you've, say, got, uh, say, Grishnak and, and, and Gorbag in your army, that's six points of might there. You have another captain for two points and, and a ring wraith, and, and now you're up to ten points of might. There's so many, so many ways to throw cheap might in, so many ways. Gothmog yeah. alone is just like a, a might generator. So, yeah. Yeah. It can be a way of throwing, making your opponent throw away more resources than they would do. Because the amount of times I have have done things like you know ran with a Mogul blade or, or black darted, channel black darted someone, and they've thrown their fate and rolled a three, and they've gone, uh, I'll throw another fate point. And you, I, I look at them going, What if your next rolls a one? And it's like, Yeah, but it could be a four plus. And I'm like, Yeah, but. If you roll a one, it's going to screw you up more than if it rolls a four. And then they roll it; they roll their second fate point. They'll they'll roll the one of the two, and they're suddenly now down an extra two or three extra mind points when they would have been maybe only down, you know, one. And that's kind of what the uh, channel spells can be really good at doing. Is it can be good to force your opponent to use more resources. So if you're ahead and have more resources than your opponent, it's a good way of draining your opponent uh, much more rapidly. And, and getting him down to a base level, especially if you have big monsters like uh, uh, trolls and stuff in your army that have an innate higher fight value than your opponent, can be a good way to get rid of your opponent's strikes. Yeah, the, the Black Dart and the Kardush spell are a very safe way of doing some some damage, so that's that's a very good option just to, to put the pressure on. Because oftentimes with a Mortar Army, you find that you just end up with a clash of lines. So you've got your army fighting their army, you're taking the Mortar, they're taking something else, and everything's locked together. And to have your, your Wraith, your Witch King, or your, uh, your Kardush just in the backfield, just doing constant pressure on the heroes, even if they're only fighting normal troops, is is very powerful and very useful. And that's that's been my go-to with, with Kardush. I, I've taken him quite a bit with a, a Gorgoroth Beast and using that to power him up. And I just go, uh, I don't cast the, the Fury until I need it. I just go nuts on the Flame Burst. And what I'm doing is I'm targeting every hero that's mounted firstly. That's my first goal because... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but Flame Burst hits both, doesn't it? Or is it... I think it's... it's... Uh, yes, it does. I'm pretty sure it hits both. Even if it doesn't, even if it's I'm getting that wrong, it's only one that it's hit if they've changed it. Just to be able to put that, that hit 
on the cavalry is really, really useful for two reasons. One, putting a hero on the ground is really good, but also because it does force them to use resources because no one wants to lose a mount. No one does. So they're going to start throwing away their will, and that sets up the spells for later on as well. So it's it's a very useful one for very low effort. Like for Cardus, you can have that three will, and then go for go for just three individual one 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 will uh, spells fireballs, and then just sack an orc and get a few more, get a few more, and then eventually when you get up to two towards the end game, you can start casting your fury, or you can cast a fury early on if you're up against a terror army it's up to you but you've really got that option so i could see where that would be a really good combination of the witch king as well or any other spell casters like the undying or any of the other ones that can do lots of lots of damage at range yeah flame burst does hit the horse and the rider fantastic yes yeah, so good very nasty mm. yeah so good <laughs> well we, we know that we know i think i think we called uh, Kardush the key down of the list. I, I, I stand by that. Witch King is probably what your, he's your Boromir of the list or something like that. He's the one that, that does everything and is, is such a go-to take. Uh, look, I think Mordor, tactically, your, your game plan is always pretty similar, isn't it? It's, it's get into combat as soon as possible and then let your toys have their way. Like that, that's pretty much the tactic and, and you're very aggressive. You're very much pushing the initiative. It's a really fun army to play tactically that way because you're never stressed. Like some armies you're really stressed if you get in combat. Mordor is, you're not stressed if you get into combat, are you? No. Yeah. It can actually be a really relaxing experience playing as Mordor. Strangely enough, you're often like pressuring your opponent more than they are you. And the only real issues become if you break. And if you're not in that position, then you can have a lot of fun with Mordor. Mordor it's just a really fun army to play. All the different toys is so interesting to use. Oh, gosh, try Kardush out if you haven't, at least. But even if you even if you don't want to, there's there's lots. There's so many other options in this. As we said, it's it's biggest list around. It's got everything you could possibly want. You can go and do some really creative stuff, which I'm sure we're going to have a go at in the, the mustering and army section, but you can also go for just your standard, take the take all the, the strong stuff list and, and really challenge anyone. Like, a, a good mortal list with a good player will, will challenge any opponent, and I don't think it's an easy beat or a guaranteed beat. I think this is one of the, the lists that, if it's not top tier, it can definitely act as a top tier one with all the options it's got. Yeah, I, I think I saw recently um, someone had actually written down how many unique profiles there are in each uh, list, and Mordor was number one. Uh, absolutely got all of the options. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It's the list every other list looks at and, and looks at green with envy. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. a good one, and you're going to have some fun with it. So let's move on to the scenario spotlight. Scenario Spotlight. The gate is breached. As hordes of mortar orcs spill over the walls of Minas Tirith, other orcs attempt in vain to break down the city's huge gates. Under the orders of Gothmog, Grond, the giant wolf's head battering ram, is marched towards the gates. If there is anything that could breach them, it is undoubtedly Grond. The crash of Grond upon the city gates alerts those within Minas Tirith to their immediate predicament, and as the forces of Gondor gather within the courtyard, Gandalf commands all to hold their ground in the face of whatever manner of evil breaks through the gates. The gates of Minas Tirith splinter as Grond delivers one final blow, showering the courtyard with shards of wood and metal. 
From the gaping wound in the side of the city, a sea of orcs and a number of hulking mortal trolls pour in, intent on bringing death to the people of Minas Tirith. Those within must now stand and fight against the hordes of Mordor. If they cannot hold them back, then the first level of the city will fall. The gate is breached. Ah, this looks like an interesting little scenario. Very iconic, of course. A moment in the uh, the movies that we all recall. You shall hold this gate, no matter what comes through. Someone give me give me it verbatim. I can't remember exactly what. I, I, I don't re- I don't remember, but I do remember that when I first saw those three trolls coming through the gate, and it was just it was such an impressive visual and and such a terrifying moment. So this is one that I've been been eyeing off looking at doing. Uh, Matt, do you want to tell us who's in this participants? I hope it's got three trolls. Sure, it's got three all trolls. right. So uh, you know what? Well, I guess we'll find out. Um, from on the good side, we do of course have Gandalf the White, and he's on Shadowfax, which I oh, yeah, I don't know if he was in the. Uh, in the scene in that one, but uh, he definitely is in this scenario. We've got Curie. Oh, yeah, he, he definitely was mounted in the, in, in the movie. It was? Excellent. All right, so we've got Huron the Tall, Warden of the Keys, and we've got Ingold, Warden of the Ramus Echor. I hope I pronounced that correctly, as well as Irolas, Captain of the Guard, Beragond, no title for him, he doesn't need one. No. 36 Warriors of Minas Tirith, 12 with Shield, 12 with Spear and Shield, and 12 with so a little bit of all the new heroes that were released with Gondor at War, along with Gandalf. He got a few buffs in the new rules, and he's pretty handy nowadays. 36 Warriors Minister, of course. On the evil side, we have Goroth, Captain of the Moranon, Zagdush, Orc Captain. So again, the new heroes there. Uh, two Moranon Orc Captains with Shield, and 36 Moranon Orcs. Nine with Shield, nine with Spear, nine with Spear and Shield, and nine with no additional war gear. Mm. Interesting. Is that how they come in the box? I uh... they they have shield options, but that's been the scenario set up through most of this book. So in Gondor at War, you basically grab your Palinor Fields box set and you assemble in that situation if you want to play scenarios. And if you want to play points match as well, you get a little bit of blue tack or a magnet or something like that and put the shields on and make them removable because you do want to play these scenarios. They're good fun, but you rarely in the game do you want to take nine with no additional war gear or nine yeah, with just spear. You want the shield on there. The shield's good. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, along with all those Moranans, you get three Mordor trolls. Yes, yes, the three Mordor trolls. Each of them more identical than the last, yes. <laughs> more identical than the last, absolutely. So let's walk through this uh, scenario. We begin with the layout. The board represents the courtyard of Minas Tirith. In the centre of the eastern board edge are the remains of the city's gates. The board should be relatively bare around the centre, perhaps with a few small piles of rubble and debris. Whilst around the edges of the board, there should be a few buildings. And in the centre of the board is a fountain with a diameter of three inches. The fountain is shallow water. That's interesting. I like that a lot. And I believe you do actually need to get to the centre of the board in this scenario, so mm. that's, that's really cool. In terms of starting positions, the good player deploys all their models within 12 inches of the western board edge, so that is away from the gate. And the evil player then deploys all of their models within 12 inches of the centre of the eastern board edge. So they've all just burst through into the city. The gate is breached. Uh, the object- Okay, so yes, the special rules of the scenario, you have the hordes of Mordor, countless orcs, have swarmed the gates of Minas Tirith, and more constantly flood through to join the battle. Each time an orc warrior is slain, keep it to one side. At the end of each evil move phase, any models kept aside in this manner may move onto the board from the centre of the eastern board edge. No rolls, nothing like that, they just move straight back on. 
it it's only the orc warrior keyword models. So obviously that is just the Moranans. You don't get your trolls back in this one, unfortunately. Yeah, look, it, that's already scary enough. The fact that you get these orcs back and you've got thirty six of them, it, it that's huge. That's that's massive because going through the objectives now, Matt. Basically, you have to run to the middle. It's just a straight run to the middle, and at the end of eight turns, the whoever has the most models within six inches of the center of the board is the winner. If you have the same models within six inches of the center of the board, the game's a draw. And then there's an additional condition where if Gandalf is slain, the good player, the best result they can achieve is a draw. Now, I'm going to give a hint. If Gandalf's slain, you're not getting a win. Like, you're not even getting a draw. You're in a lot of trouble. I've played through this one, and it's a challenge because you set up equal distance away from the, the fountain in the middle. So both of you are 12 inches away from the center. The evil side has more heroic marches. So we can get to the center before the good side, straight out. Gandalf can get there early. You could channel a terror. You could go right in the middle and, and hope to defend it. But you're only one model. So they'll all run around because within six inches of the center, you've got three trolls that don't care about the shallow water. So they can just run through the water. They're, they're hard to take down. You need your heroes in the good side. You need your Gandalf, your Hurin, your uh, Eryllis, all these sort of guys to try and take on the trolls. And even then, they, they, they might bring one down, but they don't get them all. And then you've got an endless horde of orcs. Now, you've only got eight turns, so they're not going to be entirely endless. But what that means is any that die in the first four turns, potentially... Actually, no, even more than that, because it only... T- oh, no, it takes about four turns to get to the middle, three or four turns. Anyone who's dying by turn four, I'll be conservative, maybe turn five, if you're lucky and you can sneak a march in, they're going to be threatening that fountain. So the good side has to basically leg it forward and hope to be killing the evil side, which is a superior force. It's very, very tricky. Yeah, sounds extremely tough, like uh, a straight fight on the center and, and it's orcs versus men of Minas Tirith. Like, but one good thing for the good side is that the none of their models need to take courage tests to charge a mortal troll, so you don't have anyone just sitting there doing absolutely nothing. That's true, so yes. From that, yeah, pretty tough. Well, what was your strategy as the good side in this one, facing such overwhelming odds, Jeremy? Uh, to die horribly, essentially. That, that was <laughs> just they, they don't kill Moranans very well because you, if you're able to position the, the defense six Moranans, so half of your Moranans have defense six. If you can position those so they're taking the charge of the Minas Tirith Warriors, they're going to have a really hard time getting through you. And then the trolls basically just go on a rampage and just kill things, just be opportunistic. And because the good side doesn't have that reinforcement, every man you lose is huge because the orcs come back. They are, they are overwhelmed. So you can be a bit reckless of the orcs early on. We got marched against as a good player. So we tried to do a turn of shooting, which is probably the wrong thing to do. But even then, it doesn't doesn't do much. It's It's not... Very effective shooting. Gandalf, I think we sh- we decided that he has to do pretty much everything, but he's not. he doesn't have the ability to take on trolls by himself. Like, he needs some friends to do it. And for friends to do it, you need to wrap around the trolls, and you've just got this horde of orcs. So it's pretty easy to, to keep that. We thought about when we are playing this that maybe you take the, the reinforcements off the, the orc side for a start or put them on both sides so both sides get the reinforcements for something a bit different. That might make it make a, a difference initially, and then maybe just play around with the numbers a little bit. But I think that's probably the best thing to do to start with. I feel like that's the Hordes of Mortar rule is just, just not appropriate here. Just for one side to be able to just pour more models on when it's a race to the center, maybe set the good side up on the fountain so the evil side has to break through. Could be another option as well, because then... Then the good side gets a couple of turns of shooting, maybe, maybe one turn of shooting. 
but it does mean that the, the the evil side has to work to get onto that fountain. Whereas they really don't with the marches in there because you've got the two Moranor captains, so they just they can just march two turns in a row and you can run past the fountain. Yeah, it's funny. The hordes of Mordor special rule here doesn't feel like it's needed at all. There's a few of the scenarios like that where I think they put yeah. it for flavor. Like, well, there was hordes of Mordor orcs, they put it in there. But sometimes, it just, like in this one, I think it kills the scenario a bit because it is so easy to get to the center with them. Yeah, absolutely. Kylie, did you play this one or or not? Uh, this is not one I got the opportunity to have a crack at, but... Just from looking at the, the layout, the the troops, and um, particularly what models are on each side, the good side doesn't have a single marching hero. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, uh, I don't think it, I don't think they do. We couldn't find any, and even if they did, um, I'm not sure that you would want to use their their might for marching. I feel like that would be a bit of a risk on its own because they, they don't they need that that might to kill the trolls. Yeah, it just. It seems so, I don't know, it feels like some of those scenarios where they've designed the whole scenario to result in the same way it did in the movie. So the Minas Tirith are, like, designed to lose. And it feels really disappointing. This isn't the first scenario that we've come across where it seems to always just favour the the movie or the historical participants that win. And I feel like it's a really poor way of writing a scenario. It's a little bit annoying because it's such an iconic one that I wanted to add it to my, like, you know you know the scenarios I have when I have a new player in there, I have it set up ready to go. They're, they're straightforward enough that they can put it down and have think that they're in the game the whole time and have an enjoyable one. This one, even the inexperienced players look at this and go, how can the good side win? It's not possible. And I guess it is possible if you manage to flash kill a troll and then use the space that the troll's in to go and run in and get some traps and things and then just hold off the objective, but I feel like it's one of those like 1 in 10 type games where the good side will yeah. get a win, and that's that's when they've got a combination of good skill and then a lot of luck as well. So I feel like I feel like it needs some changes, and I think it's worth changing. If you want the Moranon to be an endless horde, I would start the good guys on the objective so that at least they can defend it. I feel like that's probably reasonable. Otherwise, maybe maybe consider setting the evil guys back a bit so even if they do march, it's not going to make a difference. Or I don't I don't know some things like that would be a good idea. I think that the three trolls are iconic. You need those, and they are scary. You want them to be scary, but maybe it should be the opposite. Maybe instead of the evil side being without number, maybe the good side's without number. Mm. I just I, I don't understand why they start so damn far away. The fact that uh, I just looked it up to Irolas does have march, so you can march towards the center of the the uh, table, but it it almost feels like a fifty fifty to who gets positioning on the center of the table because whoever gets to move their their marching models across the objective and get in front of it and wall it off is pretty much going to have a, a strong positioning in the game. And even then, even if the good side does get that roll off off and does get in front of the fountain, they're going to get overwhelmed by the orcs because of just the composition of the, the orc force. And it just... It, it feels like they were trying to recreate a bit of the old, the, the really old version of this scenario where the trolls could move off the off the uh, off the road and stuff, and the the minister could duck around and, and and target them from the sides. But even still, it, it feels like an uphill battle the entire way. Yeah, it's it's just a bit disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I agree, I agree with that. I think it's one that most players will be able to come up with some 
with some some of their own rules for it because you've you've invested a lot to get these models done. It's a really iconic scene in the movie, so I think it's worth having a go at. It. And and I don't think changing the participant numbers is is necessary. I definitely think you have to change at the very least the positioning and then probably those special rules as well. Maybe even the objectives. Maybe it's that every good model on the objectives counts as two evil models or something like that, and then maybe they've got a chance. So instead of being just a straight 50-50, there's actually some value to to the men dying slowly, and, and maybe they're going to die, but then if they can hold their own in that way, there might be some more interest. Mm, possibly, yeah. All right, well, let's move on to a scenario that I've heard uh, we've enjoyed a little bit more. Jeremy, maybe you can uh, give us a bit of fluff on this one. The Streets of Minas Tirith. The courtyard of Minas Tirith has been overrun, and the streets of the White City are awash with orcs and trolls. Within the cobbled streets and narrow alleyways, the men of Gondor fight desperately to fend off the ever-advancing waves of orcs and trolls to prevent them from reaching the city's upper levels. Those who remain within the lower levels fight with all their strength to stem the endless tides of orcs and monsters that seek to destroy the city's people, and are led by Gandalf the White, Hurin, Ingold, and Irilis in their desperate defence. Within the upper levels, Denethor's madness has taken over his senses, and he is intent on burning himself and his presumed dead son alive like the heathen kings of old. Upon learning of the steward's intentions, Pippin races towards the lower levels of Minas Tirith in search of Gandalf. If Pippin cannot reach the White Wizard in time, then Faramir will surely perish. Alright, another iconic moment from the books. I love this. I, I do, I think that's one of the best things about some of these scenarios that they've come up with recently is they're really trying to capture these moments. So um, let's get into the participants on this one. On the good side, we have Gandalf the White on Shadowfax, once again. We have Peregrine Took, Guard of the Citadel. Hurin the Tall, Warden of the Keys. Ingold, Warden of the Ramus Echor. Irilas, Captain of the Guard. No Beragon this time, he's busy. 36 Warriors of Minas Tirith, once again. 12 Shield, 12 Spear Shield, 12 Bow. Yeah. We've got... Oh, yeah, sorry? No, no, I was just going to say, it's almost the same participant. So this is almost a two-for-one, essentially. So, uh, yeah, slight change. You've got... Pippin instead, Pippin in and Beragon out. That's right. Okay. And on the evil side, uh, I, I think exactly the same again, isn't it? It's uh, yep. Goroth, Zagdush, only one Moranonork captain this time. So you drop one captain and the same troops, 36 Moranonorks with the same equipment and three Mordor trolls. Yes, yes. Now, the layout is the way this one is very, very different. So you're on the streets of Minas Tirith, so you've got lots of buildings around, alleyways, which are always fun. It's always fun to move around this. But the starting positions, you have Gandalf and Pippin on opposite sides of the boards, and then you, you split up. You have this, like, quartered board against the columns, and it's you split up, what is it, 30 of your forces in one, 30 of your forces in one, and 30 of your forces in another. And the evil player does a similar thing where they, they basically break up their forces and Pippin is super hard to get to because he's wearing an elven cloak. So, and they have to roll a six to spot him and charge him. So, for what it is, is Pippin's on his own. He's usually got a, a lot of Moranans around him. And what you have to do is get Pippin and Gandalf together and have to exit the western board edge, Pippin's side. And then the good, evil side just has to reduce to 25% of the numbers. So, this one's a bit more interesting. You can basically mount up and use the mounted Pippin model, which is fantastic. Like, that's a really nice model. So that's an exciting thing as well. So a lot of people have got that model, the new Gandalf one, the plastic one. Uh, It's good for that. I really like the deployment in this one so much more than some of the others where things are split up. It it makes more sense there. Kylie? 
Yeah, I've played this scenario a few times now. Uh, I think three times, managed to only win it once, but it is an absolute delight uh, to play because it's, it's really scrappy. Yeah. Because uh, because you're really kind of really split up, you got a lot of little isolated combats, and it's it's all it's basically the whole game is a race to either kill, get in front of, and kill Gandalf, or um, Gandalf is trying to outrun them and get to Pippin and, and try to get off the board. We've had some really weird scenarios, like uh, results in this scenario where Gandalf and Pippin are within like two inches of the board edge, or uh, even once we've had them fighting on the board edge trying to get to each other in amongst a horde of orcs and just we just couldn't quite get there uh, being a turn too late. So it's it's a really fun scenario. It doesn't play like uh, a standard points match game or anything like that, like, which I really like because it's all focused around Pippin and Gandalf um, and kind of how they're being pushed and moved around the table. It's um, overall really, 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 really fun. Just immediately, my, my thoughts on it are looking at the deployment, it's really cool. Like, you've sort of got this split of where the um, the different parts of the forces are going to end up and Pippin sort of running through the middle of all this chaos. It just looks really cool. It does. I, would, um, I wouldn't mind making one change to this scenario. The one that Kylie's talking about, we had uh, basically Gandalf and Pippin both pinned on the edge which is really weird because they had to escape the boardage, but they couldn't escape the boardage because they weren't joined up, um, which is which is bizarre. So I think one option would be that, that maybe if they get within a certain range of each other might be a bit of a better option, or maybe if they both get in that boardage, you can just leave the board as well because it felt really weird that one game we played, Kylie, didn't it, where I think I was trying to stop you and all I had to do was put like a horde of Moranans between the two of you and then I was pretty much guaranteed the win, which is very strange. So, so reading this here, you say they can't leave unless they're joined up. Is that right? Yeah, until Pippin gets uh, into base contact with Gandalf, uh, neither model can elect to leave the Western Board Edge. Okay. Uh, where does it say that? Uh, it's under the special rules under Gandalf. So you can't enter the Western half of the board until Pippin has reached him. Oh, that's very different. Gandalf are in base contact and Gandalf is mounted, Pippin may mount Shadowfax and be treated as a passenger. So that's the only reason you need to get him in base contact. That's um, Gandalf may not enter the western half of the board until Pippin has reached him. That's very different, Kylie. We misread that one, didn't we? Yes, we thought it was the best in board edge. Yes. I think we've got to find a scapegoat for that one, but we'll, we'll choose someone as a scapegoat Nick, for that. Nick can be our scapegoat. Yeah. I think- it, it, also, it also does say I think it's just they both need to leave the board on the same turn. Yes, yes. No, so that, that sorts that one out. That would actually... Mm-hmm. Th- there's another issue there where it's it's quite tough to, to move Pippin, which is an interesting interesting d- dynamic as well. It, it takes a lot of time. I think that's probably a bit better one. That might solve some of the issues. We still had fun with it, so I think it's still going to be fun. It's still going to have a lot of movement. It's another one of those ones, Kylie, that I feel like channeling the terrifying aura on Gandalf is almost like a, a god mode type thing? What do you think? I agree, but I think uh, I, I don't mind it in this scenario because the good side, they're at a disadvantage and I think they need every little little trick they can get. That is true, yeah. The, the, it Once again, because Moranans are, are just better than Minas Tirith Warriors one-on-one, and when you have the same amount of them, you really have to work as a good player to to get some advantages. And, and so Gandalf has to be brave enough to do everything again. So yeah, the ch- channeling terrifying aura is a very good option there. 
Yeah, look, I think this is a fun one. I think, yes, we made a little bit of a mistake here, but I think it's still going to play pretty well. And it's probably out of the two, it's the one I'm definitely going to go back to because that, that first one, even though it's iconic, it still has the same participants as this one, essentially. And I think this one's much more of a challenge, much more interesting. And it, it it's what I like in a scenario where there's lots of little fights around and you have to decide what you commit to them. So does Zagdush and, and his six mates want to go over to this fight here or do they want to run and help support a bigger fight or do they want to bring a troll with them or do they want to abandon the troll? So you've got some real good options. And of course, your terrain setup will change this one quite a lot. So because it's in the streets of Minas Tirith, how wide your streets are and how many buildings you have will change your, your gameplay significantly. Uh, it doesn't actually, does it say where the trolls are deployed? No, they're in the I FAQ. Know. I think you get one in each group. Okay, that that's what I figured, but yeah, okay. No problem. All right, that's one I definitely want to try out, actually, if that's okay. Maybe next, um, once <laughs> we uh, get out of our current situation, hopefully we could uh, have a go of the streets. Of we are going to do so many scenarios. We've got to get all our episodes out soon, so then we don't have to do any for like a year when we're allowed to play again. So we Yeah, true. Nothing but games. Nothing but games, yeah. That'd be fun. Once again... I'm biased that I like scenarios, but these ones, first one, definitely do some house rules. Second one, have a go at it as written with the, the FAQ for where the trolls are placed. I don't think you'll be disappointed. They're really good sets of models. They're, they're worth getting. Most people have access. Most gaming groups have access to Warriors and Minas Tirith with Moran and Orcs. So have a go at these from Gondor at War. Mustering an up. Mustering an army. All right, everybody, let's get into it. Let's talk about some lists because we've discussed all the models and we just want to throw them into some armies now, don't we, guys? Yes. Yeah, just just start us off, Kylie. Just throw us into something. What do you got for us? All right, well, since I wasn't around for the Black Numenorean portion of the Nothine, I am going to do a Black Numenorean list. So this is a list I've been mucking around with. It's actually a bit of fun. It's a little quirky. It's pseudo-competitive, but anyway, I digress. This is what I got. So in Warband number one, we have the Dark Marshal on Felbeast, and he is leading seven Morgul Knights. In Warband number two, we have the Mouth of Sauron on Armored Horse, and he has eight Black Numenorians, uh, and then one Black Numenorian with Warhorn. And then finally, in Warband number three, we have a Mordor Troll Chieftain with nine Black Numenorians and one Black Numenorian with Banner. And that's it. That's the list. 750 points. 700 or 750? 750. Look, in a word, terrifying. <laughs> yes, that's the <laughs> idea of the list. Nice. Yep, thrown in a few things that we talked about there. The Warhorn's interesting. The Mogul Knights are heavy hitters, very heavy hitters. Dark Marshall pairs well with them. And are in there as well, obviously, for safety in, in the particular scenarios. Yeah, plus I find that you want to keep the Dark Marshal's will uh, for combats because mm-hmm. he actually needs to be fighting a fair bit in this uh, particular army just because there isn't a lot of, like, you, you do have the Monotrol Chieftain as a hitter, but you need him to kind of go and mince up uh, enemy troops uh, as well simply for the fact that, you know, you're a fairly low model count army and you need the fight six Felbeast to go in and do some damage. 
It's interesting that because like it's very nice having the fight six and the fight seven here because the transfix will often be enough on those bigger heroes because you're generally going to be at a higher fight value than them. Yeah, only downside is not a lot of might to uh, to play with. But if you play defensive and kind of play a slow game, and it can it can be a pretty fun list to play. I've played it a few times and. The, the couple of times that I have played it, I I have quietly surprised my opponent with uh, how impactful it can be. Good good combination of models together. They all play off each other with the terror. I, I really like they've included a banner in addition to the Dark Marshal's ability because that's a bit of a trap because you think, oh, Dark Marshal's got it covered with his six inches, but it doesn't cover the heroes. And also you have to spend the point of will to activate it. So it's really nice to have that banner around and, and to cover you for all those situations where you don't need to use it. I also like the Warhorn uh, package in there as well, just because the amount of times I have failed Curry's test with the Mortal Troll Chieftain by one and watched him run off the table is basically a bolt-on plus one courage for uh, the Troll Chieftain, the Warhorn there. And it's helpful on the troops, but it's mostly there to keep the Troll Chieftain around. Yeah, fair call. Do you break much with this army? I find that it does break since it's such a low model count army, but it's usually only broken for one or two turns. It breaks late into the game, but it does eventually break. Yeah, so fair enough. So I find that, like, I'm not a, the biggest fan of the, the Warhorns because a lot of the armies I designed, like, the game's over by that. But for an army that, that you know is going to break, it's definitely a good purchase. Yeah, and it's, it's also handy for when you have that sneaky Mogamite that's running around and gets onto a back objective or something like that, and you, you just need that extra Courage Pip to get them up to Courage 5 to keep them you know, on the table and securing the objective late game. Yeah, I do like Morgan Knight's objective grabbers late game because the, the terror is so, so good. And to, to have them, yeah, to bump the courage of the Warhorn, if you manage to keep that alive, is going to be very useful. But you want something fast at the end game to, to grab objectives, but you also want it so that they, they stay around, they've got pretty good courage, and you want them to be able to fight because someone's going to come after them and they can definitely fight. So they're, they're a good option. Yeah, another point about the Warhorn is, let's say you come up against uh, an opposing terrifying army. That, that's pretty handy for the Black Gnomes. It gets them up to, what, Courage 5? Courage, courage 5. five. Yeah, re- like yeah. really nice. Uh, against, say, the, the Terra Elves with, with Kirdan or Galadriel, you're actually charging more often than the Elves are. Hmm. You're giving them the Neg 1 effect, um, unless, of course, they have the like Aura of Command up or something along those lines. But, look, I, I reckon that's pretty handy, that Warhorn in there, for a variety of reasons. In fun fact, it actually uh, came in clutch against uh, Kirdan just because it allowed the Troll Chieftain to actually charge uh, and the Morganites to charge when they needed to. Yeah, huge. Huge on the Chief. Yeah, yeah, not bad, All not right. bad. I like that one, Kylie. I don't like the models. I think I think you've got to find a way to get those Black Numenorians looking good. But other than that, I think I've mentioned that before in the episode many times. <laughs> I've seen so many people shave the spikes off the, the sword, I think, of one of them. Um, oh, that's a good idea. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple, like, yeah, extra spikes. I, I reckon they sometimes think more is more, don't they? <laughs> so sometimes I, it's it's one particular sculptor who I'm not going to mention. That's Gary Morley. So yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely Gary. Yeah, it's a different style. <laughs> it's it's apparently it's good for for Warhammer, but not so good for Lord of the Rings. And look, some people uh, like yeah. it, but they're wrong. <laughs> yep. Non-controversial <laughs> opinions only on Green Dragon. I'll, I'll move along to mine, Challenger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do. So uh, I was given the task of writing, I'm just going to be out with it, uh, a pure orc list. And I decided 
my orcs are going to be the best orcs. So I'm taking nothing but Moranans here. I've got uh, Gothmog, Lieutenant of Sauron, one Moranan orc with banner shield and 13 Moranan orcs, all with shield and spear. I've got Guritz, the Master of the Reserves, 10 Moranan orcs with shield and spear with him. I've got Gothmog's Enforcer, another 10 Moranan orcs with shield and spear with him. And I've got Goroth, Captain of the Moranan. I'll let you guess what's in his warband. Yes, that's right. It's another 10 Moranan orcs with shield and spear. So all up, I think it was 49 models in this list. Uh, and nothing but Moranans. Any thoughts on this spam and my laziness in list writing in general? I feel sorry for the people who have to go and convert whatever it is, 45 Moranan Orcs of Spear and Shield. Ah, that's nothing. I've, <laughs> I've done so many shields in my time. <sighs> I understand the, the spamming, the Spear Shield, and I, I get it. I don't think you need all of them to have Spear and Shield. Yes, it's it might be the optimal way of doing it, but... I think it's it's a bit of overkill at that point, but I know how much you like the spear-shield combo, and I do as well, and, and I can see it for some solid warbands. I don't think you need it in every warband, but then again, what else are you going to buy for it? Uh, the big thing you're missing there, I think, and Kylie's going to probably mention this as well, is the Shaman at the moment. There's there's no one to yeah. keep him around when they, you break. Yeah, that, that is why this uh, amulet gets a big, fat, rubbery red ink F stamp all over it. No shaman, no, no play. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Literally just before the uh, the cast, I was talking my about my list with Jeremy, and I said, ah, oh, yeah, I could really use a shaman in there. And Jeremy goes, yep, Kylie's going to rip you a new one for that one. Uh, and there <laughs> it is. A big, what was it? A big, fat, rubbery F. Big, rubbery. fat, rubbery F stamp with all red ink that's dripping down the page as you oh, lift f- it up. Dripping red, ouch! That's uh, that's as harsh as it gets, isn't it? Still, fifty orcs. That's uh, that's a lot of orcs. Yeah, the only yeah, problem. No shaman. Like you kill twenty five and you've killed all of them. No, that's that's not the issue. It's more that uh, when you come up against something like Army of the Dead or any of those, you just oh, yeah. you just stand there and you do nothing and you wave at them and they just walk through you. So I think once you go, once you commit to all orcs, I think your your second purchase after you've purchased your your leader is the shaman. What was that? This is more. This is a motor army. So the first thing you purchase after uh, you've got your bulk of your army is Kardush the Firecaller. I oh, know that's illegal here, Kylie. It's only Moranans. Yeah, you yeah, know, has I, to be I, a converted <laughs> Moranan orc shaman. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm happy with that. Like I understand the theme. I would definitely have the the orc shaman because there's a Moranan orc model for it as well, and it's a it's the there same is, profile. Yeah. The one to to possibly drop, um, you could consider dropping some numbers. That's definitely an option. You could consider giving Gothmog a wag if you wanted to. I would probably with that one. You've got Goroth, you've got Gothmog, you've got Guritz. Um, oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I would maybe consider uh, Guritz or possibly Guritz is a nice swap because it's a, it's an even one. It does mean you don't get the Maelstrom of Battle th- stuff, and you possibly lose your march, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I'd get rid of the enforcer to be honest. Jeremy, yeah, yeah, fair call. Cool. Yeah, um, I I don't think he's. I, I think we've talked about it before. He's not that yeah. standing in any real facet. So, and Gothmog's already got a lot of might options. And I think um, you almost need Gore off the second hitter in this one because you've got really nothing else that hits. Yeah, like that's I, above average. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, also very tough to bring down. He's actually a really nice pick in Fog of War as the hero to protect. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, but um, mm, 
Yes, I agree. You've you got to have a shaman or something in there to mitigate that. I've played with Hunter Orcs before with no courage buffs, and it is not a fun game when you come up against Terra at all. Uh, you end up basically having your opponent pick you apart slowly. And, yeah, not very enjoyable. Wouldn't recommend it. However, uh, I think just the sheer numbers in this one makes it very interesting. I, I'm not sure if this uh, is technically allowed to be taken as the Legendary Legion. I didn't actually look into it. You could. List, you, yeah. You definitely could. It's got um, The Moranans are definitely in the Legendary Legion. Gothamog is. You could consider giving him some war gear. I would consider giving him some war gear. Guritz is definitely in there. Gothmog's Force is in there. Goroth is in there. You would definitely take this as a legendary legion if this was your list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is why you're going to put Kardish in it so that. Kardish is not legend. in the legendary legion, I don't think. Yes, that's why I'm saying that this list should be having Kardish in there somewhere. Okay, so you're giving up the legendary right. legion. You're saying don't take the legendary legion. Right, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense for this list if you were going to do that. But yeah, obviously, ordinarily, you would give Gothmog the wag and the shield and all that sort of business. Yeah, yeah, I would look. That's definitely, definitely a good option. I'll drop half my spears to give him the war gear. Absolutely, oh, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a couple guys if you want to. Go said, I think you said um, maybe spe- all spear shield is optimal. I don't, I don't think it is at all. I think about half is optimal. Yeah, I, but, I reckon because because uh, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna throw model after model in their face, and your front rank's gonna die anyway. And you're gonna have a pile mm-hmm. of orcs in the back. You're not gonna get them all in combat for the first couple turns anyway. So I would I would definitely have at least a third of them, probably more with the shield, and just, just those guys go straight forward and just run at the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's how you spam orcs and make a terrible list. Let's move on to what you've done, Jeremy. Okay, I've done exactly the same thing, but with Urukai. So I've spammed Urukai and made a terrible list. No, actually, I don't mind this list. Uh, 600 points, so I'm going a bit lower than than you two. What, did, what was yours, Matt, again? Yours was... Uh, mine was 750. Yeah, okay. So I've gone for the 600 level because I thought I might try and limit myself because with with a lot of the mortal lists, once you get the 750, you almost get everything you want. So I've gone for Shagrat, the, the biggest Urukai in the mortal list, and he, he's quite good. Then I've gone for four mortal Urukai with shield, two mortal Urukai, and four mortal Urukai with two-handed mace. So these are the ones that are like based on the, the medals that are really nice models. You have to give some of them shield, but... That's fine. They're, they're nice models. Giving them shields is always fun, and it, it looks quite nice. So that's the first, uh, what's that, 10 models plus Shagrat. Then I've got for second warband, the Captain of the Black Guard, which is another Urukai. But these are the ones that look like they're from like a, a Roman uh, shield wall, essentially. So they've got the massive shields. So I've gone for the Captain of the Black Guard. I've gone for a Black Guard drummer because I need to get something in this list that gives me some, some ability. So the, uh, the movement the Black Guard drummer will give me would be very handy. And he helps all the, the Mordor Urukai. Then I've got one Blackguard of Baradur with Banner, because once again, that's a, a model that's available. And 10 Blackguard of Baradur. So I've gone for a full warband of the Blackguard of Baradur, which I really like as models. And they, they're really, really tough Urukai with the, this high defense and strength. And my final warband, warband number three, because I can only fit three in at 600, I've gone for a Mordor Urukai captain with Orc bow and two-handed weapon this time. So I've gone for a bit of war gear for him. Like, a, keep him as a scout captain. Maybe use that Isengard scout captain that just got released with a two-handed weapon. Give him a bow on his back. Unfortunately, it's going to be an orc bow, not an Urukai bow in the mortal list, which is a bit annoying. But you go for the bow, and he's leading 10 mortal Urukai with the orc bow, not the strength three bow, unfortunately. But orc bow, just to give you some shooting, something to think about. Uh, Urukai aren't bad archers because they're the four plus to hit. So 
they're, they're not bad at all. They fight just as well as all the other Urukai, but they give you some options for capturing objectives, for taking out some hero horses, all that sort of stuff that you like to do with archers. And I think this army, because it's got a good amount of numbers at 600 points with, with essentially middle range to elite troops, I think you're going to do okay with it. I think it's for 600 points to have three big war bands with 11 models, 13 models, 11 models uh, is definitely going to going to do the job and they can't just pick off your couple of Urukai with your high fight everything's an Urukai it's all going to come at you no spears but it's it's one of those classic use the drum to run around the, the back of them and just put them in a big circle hmm. <laughs> hmm. I have some thoughts go for I it I have some thoughts I would consider uh, taking the what is it uh, 50 60 points 60 points for the captain with orc bow and turner weapon yes yeah, I would consider taking the 60 points from uh, that captain and two more to Urukai and bringing out, say, an, an oldie but a goodie, the old budget wraith uh, in there instead because uh, you get some nice little synergies with the captain of the Black Guard uh, from the budget wraith and you also get some um, pretty funky uh, uh, spells that you can just fling around. Even if it's only like uh, a seven will, two might, no fate, budget rafe even on foot honestly i feel like you'd get a lot out of that yeah actually that's a really good suggestion i thought you were going to suggest something else and i was going to going to be up in arms about it and explain why i know but that one that's a good one because that gives you still your march because you you want you want yeah. some speed in this army because that's your best defense against shooting is to just get in their face you've got lots of high cost defense four troops so you want to basically get in combat asap so having a march and the Blackguard drum is really nice. Having some handy transfixes works really well with Shagrat um, and even the Captain of the Blackguard. And then if you run out of will, you can always... Um, oh, what's it? The Bla- no, the Captain of the Blackguard does something with the Ringwraith? What is that? No, he passes Courage Test when the Ringwraith's around, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, so that's good. So it means that if you keep your Ringwraith around to keep your army together, he's basically acting as your shaman, not in the same way, but but that end game sort of shaman effect, which you don't have a shaman in this one. So that's that's a, actually a really good option. I like that, Kylie. I'll definitely consider that. Thank you. Yeah, because uh, for 70 points, you could quite easily pick up a uh, ring wraith with one might and a horse. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm happy to drop an Urukai or two, or maybe one of the, the Black Guard of Baradors or some war gear options or something like that. It's A couple models aren't going to make a difference, but the, the ability to do some sneaky compels or transfix or uh, just to, just the march and, and things like that is going to be really useful. I don't want to use the march unless I have to, because the other thing the Wraith can do is the heroic combats with the horse, and that's going to be particularly useful for moving the heroes around. If you can get a hero and a Wraith into combat with something, they can have a good go at taking it out because you've got the high strength. Plus, I've also found uh, a cheeky channel towards the late game can also catch your opponent off guard uh, and uh, bring them into a position where you don't even need your big heroes to take down the hero. You just need uh, a trusty Uruk, some friends, and a two-handed weapon. Yeah, and you've got you've got the two-handed maces around. and Yeah, absolutely. And you've got your strength five black guards. So even just a few of those will be enough to take down a lot of heroes. So that's, that's a, a good point. So take it on board. Uh, one of the downsides I'm just looking at, I really like um, the numbers at 600. Like it's, you know, these are semi-elite, I would say, to elite troops. Obviously, Blackguard is certainly elite. But the numbers are really good, but it's something that Kylie and I used to discuss a lot, and that's around, like, weaknesses in your army. And sort of said was we didn't really like having... Um, 
that drop in defense between large portions of your army. So having half of your army at a low defense and half of your army at a high defense, because it just made it very easy for your opponent to target those low defense models. You remember our discussions around that, yeah, Kylie? Some of those discussions went on for literal hours. I'm I'm not a big fan of mixed defense troops. I usually like to just keep it in, you know, defense five, defense six, or, you know, within one, one pip of each other. But yeah, once once you get to the two the two pit difference, so six to four, seven to five, anything like that, it becomes really easy to focus down, and it, it can cost you a game if uh, your opponent knows how to abuse uh, that facet in your army. Yeah, look, I think with your suggestion, Kylie, with the wraith, you can pretty much like if it means that they're going to go all out with heroes to to just like kill as many low defense guys as possible. I'm not too worried about that because I can start throwing some spells at them and, and wear them down. I've got the numbers, so I can lose a few. I've got the speed, so I can move like 12 inches in a turn if I feel like it. So I'm in your face two turns away most games. Obviously, if I can set up on the center line, I do because this is this is just a combat army and it'll go straight in and, and hit really hard. I'm not I'm not that worried about it because the, the nice thing about things like the Black Guard, and yes, they're... They're defense six, but they're, they're, they've got the defense six and a shield, so they work as either tanks or as killers. So if I put them up the front, if I'm worried about, say, strength three archers, then they have to take some in the way, so I'm saving a few there. They're probably only going to get, get a turn against me, and then I'm relying on just winning combats. That's the, the main thing. If anything, I think my weakness is more that I've only got the one banner because I, with, with no spears, that's probably going to hurt me more than the defense difference. And on that point, something that I just think would be an interesting addition to this army would actually be, it kind of ruins the theme, unfortunately, but the, the Morgul Stalkers would be a really interesting pick in amongst these Uruks just because you get those two attacks and that's obviously makes a pretty significant difference here. And then you can hopefully get that uh, the Fight 4 in with them as well because I think they're Fight 3, aren't they? Yeah. I kind of like them as almost a replacement if you dropped the Black Guard warband and went mm. for a war get, warband of Morgul Stalkers. Maybe a couple Spearmen in there. So I don't know, maybe maybe not. But that might actually work really well. So if you put put that in, because then you don't have your defense difference that you're talking about before. You should be able to keep your, your stalkers safe from shooting if you're clever with them. And you're right, that, that small base with extra attacks is really useful. So dropping, say, that Blackguard Warband for a Morgul Stalker Warband and somehow sneaking another banner in the army, so I've got two banners, would be well worth it, I think. A Mordor or a Kai combined with stalkers is a probably good combination. Yeah, all right, not a bad list. So let's move on to what, what's our next one we've got here. Kylie, I think you've got something for us with one of our favourite models of all time, I believe. Ah, uh, yes, I do. So th- this is, this. I'll, I'll admit, I copped out a little bit with this list because I know exactly how it works. I know the exact composition for it at 500 points. I know exactly what I was putting in, so I didn't really have to think about what I was doing. So the list I have for you all is the... Um, Kiriathungal with Shelob. So basically in Warband number one, we have Shagrat, Captain of Kiriathungal with heavy armor and this special super shield. He has four Mortar Urukai with orc bows and two-handed uh, weapons in his Warband. He has eight Mortar Urukai with shield in his Warband. In Warband number two, we have Gorbag, Orc Captain with shield. He has seven Orc Warriors with Shield and Spear, one Wag Rider with Shield, Spear, and Banner, and three Wag Riders with Shield. And finally, in the last Warband, we have Shelob, 
just by a lonesome because she has that uh, Lone Hunter rule, special rule. But uh, overall, it's a fun list to play. It's a dangerous list to play. And at 500 points, you'll be very hard-pressed to find something that's better than it. Yeah, I remember when you were rocking this list around. Obviously, uh, in the previous rules, it was quite a bit different, but uh, it was nigh on unbeatable. I remember Shagrat going in and just murking a uh, a King's Champion, I think, when I was running my Dwarves. You even used a flail that game just to really dominate, like to show your dominance. You actually flailed at a couple of my Dwarves and killed one of them. That was, God, that was a low light. Anyway, it's a brutal list. If played correctly, it is super nasty. Shelob can do so many things, and we've discussed Shelob many times in the past, but... um. We, you know, we, we know what Shelob does. Gorebag has gotten a little bit better, and the theme of this list means that you need to take him, and you know what? He's, he's a good pick, so that works out pretty well for you. And Shagrat, as we know, it has become an absolute boss. He is an absolutely brutal hero, as discussed with Jeremy's list as well. Goes in, knocks stuff down, kills things. That's his job. But the mix of the Uruks and the Orcs, is kind of interesting because obviously you've got the orcs with the spears and the orcs with the shields up the front. It, it's something that, again, we've discussed it in the past around how it can be exploited. But if you play it correctly and you've got these threats like Shagrat and Shelob that your opponent has to deal with, then it, it's a lot harder to exploit that weakness. And that's something that maybe Jeremy's list didn't have as much. A, a couple of Uruk captains, you can throw a model in front of them and it's not too hard to like just you know, slow them down. And then you've got the defense four you can focus down. In, in this list, it's the fight three that you can try and focus down. But yeah, you've got to deal with those threats. You've got to get through them before you can deal with that. So th- this is a list though, and I think Kyler would agree with me here, that if you play it incorrectly, if you don't play it well, uh, it'll go south fast. Yeah, it's, it's one of those armies that you kind of need to know what you're doing. You need to know how to use Shelob. In fact, I would go as far to say this list is the list to play to learn how to use Shelob because she will uh, she will run forward. She will absolutely tear people apart. The Warg Riders and the Warg Rider banner are solely there to, to give uh, Shelob peel and that extra attack, crucially, when she's on the charge. And it, it can be really, really frustrating to have to deal with because simply because you've, you've got really good mobility you have a high-impact model in Shelob, and the Urukai are just really damn reliable. Yeah, it's a good combination. Your numbers are on a little bit on the low side, but it's one of those ones where, like, because Shelob's so hard to move, as long as you're letting her do the work, it's basically a give Shelob and Shagrat time to, to cause some real havoc. And then the rest of you guys, if they just break even, then you're absolutely fine. So it's it's a it's a good list. It's definitely a, a powerful sort of list, and I, I think it's starting to to go away from the theme uh with the with the shelob it's definitely more of a what can we take that's semi-themed and also competitive because like wag riders with shelob and shelob even just with with the guys it's these these are guys that that fought against each other they didn't fight fight with each other so that's uh, look I, i don't i don't mind that that's not a big deal so i think it's it's a competitive list it's a good one at 500 points, it can really surprise an opponent. But but I think that's right as well. I think it can fall apart pretty quickly as well, especially if you start losing, say, say like once you, once you lose that 10 orcs, suddenly you might not have enough models to be able to, to do what you want to do with it. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And in fact, I've played games where that has happened. You, you've lost, uh, you've had that, really, that one really bad turn of combat where you, you lose just a bit too many orcs. 
you know, you lose a half a dozen, an enemy hero, you know, chops another two. You're now down eight orcs, and uh, Shelob is, you know, has botched her combat that turn because she's rolled double ones or whatever, and suddenly you're on the back foot and it can uh, snowball away from you very, very quickly. And that's kind of what this list does. Is, uh, it's a bit can be a bit snowbally at times. Yeah, I think I think what you said before about um, you know, how to use Shelob and learning how to use Shelob, it is a really cool list for it. And I think that's something, you know, we, we always try and encourage our listeners to try new things and to write lists and, and get inspiration from sort of the stuff that we're doing and you know, don't necessarily do exactly this list, but if you really want a challenge and, and you want something that can work but it's hard to make it work, this is a cool list for it. It's a really interesting one to use, so I'd say go for it. Having said that, we've had a couple of really cool lists there, so let me just tee up some more garbage. What have I got here for you? Um, <laughs> Stop talking yourself down, Matt. That's my job. <laughs> uh, let me see. Let me see. All right. Yeah, uh, this one looks good. All right. A Mordor Harrod hybrid here. Okay, okay. We've got the Dark oh, Marshal yeah. on a Fell Beast. Uh, this is, I think, a thousand points. This one. So, so okay, a lot to live up to there. Dark Marshal on Fell Beast. One Moranan Orc with a banner and a shield, and I've just got a ton more Moranan Orcs. You guys know I like the Moranan Orcs. Five with shield, seven with shield and spear. So that's nice big warband for the Dark Marshal to rock around with there. And uh, taking the Dark Marshal with a banner, some would say I'm crazy, uh, others would say stupid, and some would say a combination of both. On to warband two, we have Zagdush, the Orc Captain. Uh, I just like his name. Uh, that's why I've taken him there. He's got four Moranan Orcs with shield and six with shield and spear. I, I don't think he's a Moranan himself, but he's like cool enough to to lead them i guess like they follow him they reckon he's pretty chill despite being like a regular old orc and i think he's got three attacks is that right something like that it, yeah he's pretty cool all right and uh we've got an orc taskmaster in there to give um zagdush some extra heroic moves or something along those lines five moran and orcs with shield and five with shield spear in his warband so once again i've just spammed moran and orcs out the wazoo it's the only way i know how to play and then we've got harrod here throwing in some harrod into this list we have a war mumak with tusk weapons and rappelling lines. Someone really sold me on rappelling lines recently. Rappelling? Rappelling. Rappelling. I'm going to say rappelling. I like rappelling better. Um, someone really sold it on me lately. Uh, I think it was uh, Jacob Lucas, maybe. Some, someone really sold me on the rappelling lines, so that's what I've, I've taken them along. Uh, we've got six watches of Karna with bow with poisoned arrows. It specifies the poisoned arrows. Don't know why. And six watches of Karna with twin blades, just chilling in the Moomuk, waiting to use those rappelling lines. I'd oh, ask yeah. your thoughts. I'm a little concerned about what you're going to say, but oh, um, no. the basic idea here is that the Dark Marshal has the Fell Beast and he kills stuff, and then the Moomuk comes in and just tramples all over the stuff that's already dead. So essentially is useless. Uh, we've got the Taskmaster just sort of chilling at the back, providing extra moves. I don't know if that helps the Moomuk or not. Uh, I want to say yes, but I guess we'll see. And then Zagdush just goes in and kills stuff too, because, like, he's pretty boss. Kylie. Where to thought? begin? Where to begin? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Okay, well, first of all, I think your choice of ring rank is absolutely garbage and oh. lousy. So, yeah, yeah, there's that. Um, oh. Why do you have the Dark Marshal when literally any of the other ring rapes would have been a better choice? 
Literally any. It's a really good question. It actually <laughs> is a great question. Um, <laughs> the answer is I said no to the Witch King and Kamul, and then I'm like, all right, I'll just pick the next one, and it happened to be the Dark Marshal. That's basically what happened. Okay, the Shadow Lord would have been better because it would have covered your your troops. The Undying would have been even better than that because it would have provided you with an unkillable leader. And, hell, even the Knight of Armbar would have been better because you'd be able to copy all the pesky heroes that go into the freaking Mumak to deal with it. And then, I'm not even done. I'm not even done. I'm not even done. Because the best ring rank that you could have taken would have been the Tainted. Because he could have locked out your opponent calling the heroic moves to charge the Mumak. Do you know, you know how what, you know that sucks? would be? You know what sucks? I had that exact thought and then Jeremy spoke up. He said, no, I've already got the Tainted. I'm like, oh, you got to be joking. Hey, 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 hey. Put the back. I, I actually had the Tainted all lined up, ready to go on this list. And Jeremy's co-opted him. He's taken him off to bloody Angmar or something. I don't know where he is If right then, as you took the Dark Marshal, which was already taken in Kylie's list. Yeah, no, um, there you go. I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, <laughs> so so that's something new every day. I, I actually also thought, uh, aside from the, the Tainted, the Dwimmelike might have been a really interesting pick too. And that I was, was going to be my next nail in your coffin yeah. that you've so decidedly brought to the table. I don't know if it works if I've just completely like shat on the list myself. But go on, please. Okay. All right, well... The next. <laughs> All right, calm down, Kylie. Calm down. The next question I want to know is: You have a whole bunch of orcs at a thousand points, and you haven't opted for a drum. I didn't take um, uh, what's his drum name? Would have been... The good guy, Kardush. Could have been the Kardush and Zagdush party. Honestly, that oh, honest. Nice. That's going to be my next nail in your coffin. Is where <laughs> the hell is the Kardush? Gee, they're really nailing the coffin, aren't they? <laughs> What are we up to, like, 10, 9 or 10 um, nails? Like, everyone else is, like, rising from the dead, and I'm just banging on the lid being like, gee, they really sealed me in here, didn't they? Far out. Sorry about taking all those Moranins. Jeez. Oof. By the way, guys, they're really good. I, Kylie's talking them down, but, like, you take 30 Moranins, 40 Moranins, 50 Moranins, and, and people are going to look across your, the table and just go, gee, that guy's got a lot of Moranins. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't, I don't mind that because that's that's what comes in the starter set. So I can see where you're going here, Matt. I think it's it's a fairly easy one to collect. I like Zagdush as a choice, and I like your justification. I actually think that's really good because in the scenarios he's hanging around Moranans a lot of times as well. So that's all good. Oh, there you go. Yep. The Taskmaster I think is a bit of a challenge because I'm not sure that it can actually reach the the guy on the Mumak. I think there's is there something don't about even that? Think he has the right keywords either. Yeah, no, no, no. no you don't need the keywords a... anymore. You don't for Taskmaster. No, it's just on the same side. Ah, well, I had assumed he couldn't help the guy. Anyway, yeah, probably Taskmaster is pretty crap in this army. You'd take something else. Oh, he'll be okay, but uh, there's, there's there's some concerns about, about the, the movement there. I think you've got the, the, the right idea for an army. You look at the, the upgrades you've got for the War Moon, like a good upgrade. Task weapons are really good. Repelling lines are really good. So that's that's definitely a good one. Um, I have been using a Mumak a lot lately, and I've been using repelling lines a lot lately, and it's good fun, although I always roll the one. So I, the last time I used it, I uh, had, uh, I think it was a 10 guys dismount the Mumak, and no, all 12 of them. All 12 of them tried to dismount the Mumak. Maybe one got shot out. Six of them rolled the one and died falling down from oh, the repelling lines. nasty. Do you just take, like, full falling damage for that? Yeah. Yeah. They, oh, they did. Nasty, they yeah. did. It's just I think that's why people take the, um, the half trolls, isn't it? Because they probably survived that. 
Oh, well, they take them because they're the massive fighters as well. Yes, they're they're yeah, a good they're option close. in in the howder, and they're they're a nice cheeky option. I think you have to take the warm Wilmer Far Harrod if you do that one. So oh, okay. it doesn't work for the Harrod; it works for Far Harrod as your your army, which makes sense because they're in the Far Harrod list. But that that's that's not a bad option as well. It's a nice visual having the the Moran and Orcs with the the Mumak. That's very much a movie yeah, scene. Yeah. So I think it's it's got some good uses. I think um, if you're going for the the Fell Beast, which you probably are because it's in the box set for the game. I think Kylie's right. Uh, pretty much anyone else. Other than pretty the much Marshall. any of the others. Yeah, it would probably be fine. Yeah. Um, I think I think generally you just go Witch King, wouldn't you? Like Witch King's a very nice uh, pick for this list. Sure. Yeah, um, Witch King's a good. I like the Tainted and the Dwimmelate because they lock out your opponent's ability to block the Mumak. And if you have the Taskmaster and take the Beastmaster, you can get in range with the six inches from uh, the okay, table, cool. table base to the, the little forky thing. So that could be a cool little combination there too. So so you'd stick with Zagdush and maybe the Mumak Warband. You're happy with those? Yes. You like Tainted slash Dwimmelake. And then uh, Shaman Kardush over the Taskmaster, something along those lines. Yeah, but... but I, I, I don't mind Shadow Lord I, here. I don't mind the Taskmaster, though. If yeah. you can somehow find the points to get the uh, the uh, Beastmaster Chief and get him a bit closer to the table. I just drop a few Moranans, easy. Yeah, you can definitely and find the points for that. the Beastmaster, like 20, 25? 25 or so, I think. They're nice and cheap, not too bad. Yeah. All right, yeah. cool, cool, cool. All right, well, there's your um your your Pelinor fields. Uh, probably Sauron took the same approach I did. He was just like, I'll just throw whatever at him. It should be fine. <laughs> and we know what happens. So on to the next list. Uh, Jeremy, I believe you have the ring race that you stole from my list. Hey, 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 hey. I had them first. So I've gone for, <laughs> in, in the Two Towers book, uh, the original one, the one from years and years ago, written by Graham McNeil all those years ago, there was a uh, a scenario where you had the Dead Marshes, and their rendition of the Dead Marshes was a fell beast and um, some Morgul Stalkers and some Dead Marsh Spectres. Now, the Dead Marsh Spectres, even though the Dead Marshes are near Mordor, are not in the Mordor list, which is really annoying. So I've gone for a combined Mordor and Angmar list. So for 750, my Dead Marshes list is the Tainted on Fell Beast. Uh, probably my leader, but but there could be another one as my leader. But that's that's uh, a good one. The Tainted Tainted's good fun now with his um, stopping other people from from passing courage tests when he wants to, uh, and and the nice little defense of when you roll a six, I think he starts wounding people around him. So that's nice on a Fell Beast. He's a decent fighter. He's got five Orc trackers. And ten Morgul Stalkers. So he's got a bit of shooting and then the, the nastiness of the Morgul Stalkers in his list. I like the trackers because they seem like the kind of orcs that will be hanging around with uh, with the Morgul Stalkers and the, the Dead Marsh Spectres from later on. In Warband 2, also from Mordor, I've gone for an Orc Captain with Shield. So on foot here, I know the, the optimal ones would be to give him a wag, but he's just leaving a Armoured Orc Contingent. So I've got one Orc with Banner and Shield and then 11 Orcs with Shield and Spear. So I've gone for the, the Kylie special where you've gone Shield and Spear Orcs. This is basically the elite combat unit, and they'll just jump in when combat uh, takes place. So basically the, the Morgul Stalkers and the Spectres from later on will go and try and ambush things, and then the Orcs will just jump in and be opportunistic and help out. And the Orc Captain's really good because I get a march as well. In Warband number three, this is the Angmar contingent, so making me a red alliance for some reason. I've gone for a Dwimmer Lake on Fell Beasts for the same reasons we just talked about before, the ability to... to 
make uh, heroics cost two points of might rather than one. Um, and I've gone for the double fell beast because I really like the idea of fell beast in this dead marshes list. And the, uh, the Dwimmer Lake is leading six wild wags. I feel like wild wags would be opportunistic in the dead marshes, like hunting beasts. The old hounds of the Baskervilles uh, Sherlock Holmes story comes to the mind with the moors. And then I've got six dead marsh specters and the dead marsh specters from the dead marshes. So that's my list. A bit of a bit of courage manipulation, a bit of ambush, a bit of hitting power. Basically, it plays like a, a pajama wood elf army, essentially, a little bit, in that it's trying to move things around and attack them. And you've got good means to do it with your fell beasts and your, your specters and your stalkers. And then you've got a pretty pretty decent combat line with your orcs when you need it, but it's not going to be a, a running and charge front on. Interesting the way that you can use the specters in this list. You, you need them for quite a lot of things, I would have thought. They're the only things in there with really decent courage, and obviously they've they've got to move everything around. If you come up against Terra yourself, it's a bit of a concern. But I mean, it, the two ring race that you've got there, which obviously were the two I was also considering to run with the Moomark. Interesting picks with the way that they affect your opponent's list that you don't mind it at all. Um, it, it can just have so many different ramica- ramifications for your opponent that I, I think uh, ordinarily I wouldn't be hugely happy with the the warbands here, but I think it just kind of works because of that because you're just throwing up so many obstacles with those two models. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I like about it. I'm quite low on might, but I, I'm okay with that because of the ability for the... Because the, of the Dwimmer, Dwimmer Lake. Lake. Yeah, yeah. So don't it, mind it. It's not the I, I do world. remember someone years ago, um, I think his name was Scott from WA... Uh, ran a no-might list. It was nothing but uh, Angmar, Spectres, and, and Barrowites, and the Dwimmer-like, I think, something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was very effective. It was a very good list. Uh, you had a shade there as well, I think. Uh, it was pretty cool. It, it was a nice idea, running an, a, a list with no-might. And, you know, it worked pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. There's something that feels off about this list, though, Kylie. Do, do you have an idea what I'm, maybe I'm thinking here? I'm not sure. I've been staring. I've been staring at this uh, list for like the past two minutes, two three minutes, and honestly, I'm I'm still I'm still trying to draw a bead on it. <laughs> I feel like there's maybe too much point sink on too much. Sorry, there's too much of a point sink on the fell beasts when they're not really as hitchy. I think you might want to drop down the Dwimmerlake maybe to a horse. Or something like that, and maybe use the leftover points from the fell beast to pick up maybe a barrel white or something. Because it's like it's one of the, I keep getting this feel. It's like there's not enough control, and there's not enough hitting power. It's like it's it's not quite pushing the limits of each kind of uh, separate faction, like separate kind of thing it wants to do. I think it needs to push harder on one of those kind of ideas. And I think maybe dropping the Dwimmerlink to a horse, bringing in a Barrowite in as your fourth hero, I think that could even possibly be the reason why I feel like it's a bit off because it needs another hero. And, yeah, be just really controlling, shut down your heroes, and then be very optimistic with the Morgul Stalkers and the Spectres, you know, pull a guy away, hit it with two Morgul Stalkers, watch it die, and then kind of rinse, repeat. Um, possibly even there's maybe too many points spent on Stalkers, I don't know. I'm still still a bit all over the place with trying to figure out where I think the the problem in the list lies. Maybe instead of the old captain, a um, 
Uh, Kardush, the Firecaller, could be useful here. Having the Fury and the Fireballs would be very useful. Gee, Kylie, are there any lists where Kardush, the Firecaller, yeah. is not useful? Pretty much every list I, I look at goes, oh, gee, yeah, Firecaller would. But for this list in particular, it would be very good. Simply for the fact that the Tainted and the Dwimlakes will is a premium. Uh, you're constantly using it to proc their ability to lock out... Uh, heroic actions and uh, resources and being able to sack him, uh, interestingly enough, uh, to give them back some will in the late stages of the game could be very, very helpful. Yeah, I think I, I think you've kind of hit what I was thinking there. It's the fact that it's sort of like two support rates, like generally Tainted and Dwemelike are both quite supporty um, and they're on Fell Beasts. Hmm. And there's something that kind of does it that jars with that. I'm not sure exactly... I don't, like it, it doesn't hurt to have fell beasts, that's for yeah. sure. But, um, I, I don't mind the two the, the two support race, but I think they need more crowd control. Actually, yeah, that, that that's it. I, I feel like this list, surprisingly enough, with two, with two fell beasts, needs uh, another support hero such as a Cardish, uh, the Firecaller, or a Barry White. Yeah, and that's weird because the numbers aren't bad or anything. But you, you need, because of how 750 works with, with hero compositions and what your opponent can take, say your opponent takes um, two nasty heroes that can do some serious damage to your list. If you don't lock them both down, you're in trouble. And two heroes, are two, even two Rimuris on Felbeast are going to struggle to lock those two heroes down uh, consistently throughout a game, especially with uh, how how the might and stuff will interact. I would love to see this on the table and see it play out again because I think there's some hidden potential in there, especially with uh, the Red Alliance and some sneakiness that you can do with the heroic actions and stuff. Yeah, that's what it is. Maybe it's the Red Alliance and the way that that's going to affect the um, the orcs in the list. Well, it potentially means if, you, if you're if opportunistic and careful with your wild wags, your dead marsh specters, you might have a force that's it's broken, but you've still got a fully operational force that doesn't have to take any courage tests at the end. Is no, that- I, d- I, I think that's... Um, they, they updated that, Jeremy, or they clarified oh, it. Do they? If the whole force loses half its models, oh, then all broken. of them count as broken. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what I was trying to do for this one, as much as anything, is try to make a really cool themed list that has been absolutely shut down by the, the Silly Alliance rules. Because I had to take Dwimmer Lake and Tainted because I had to take Heroes of Valor. So this that's a, a fallback from the, the old Kidan punishment. So mm-hmm. that's that's a case there. So it's made this list harder to do it. I feel like the Dead Marsh Spectres are more themed with Mordor than they are with Angmar. I think Angmar is just a bit like it's this is a, a it's a bad Angmar list. Like Angmar does this better straight out. Yeah, but it's true. it's I think it's a more themed version because that's where the Dead Marsh Spectres were. They're from the Dead Marshes. They're not Angmar Spectres. They're from the Dead Marshes and they weren't in the list. You know, so that, that's the issue. It's effectively an Angmar list, but the orcs aren't terrifying. Yeah, pretty much. And you have to buy two expensive wraiths for it. So my thought was that if I have to buy two wraiths, I'm going to give them the best best ride I can because even just for the hurls and things like that, that's going to help with my opportunities. If I can break some lines and and do some barging and some other stuff, that that's pretty handy. It's it's one that's I think a high skill list. I don't think it's going to be one that's easy to play. I think it's one that's going to reward a really good modeler like. Can you imagine someone like Thomas Bowman taking something like this? I think it would be an amazing-looking army with all conversions in it and all this sort of stuff. So I went for it mainly from a theme point of view and as a bit of a um, 
be a bit of an antagonist, which I've been known to do at times, to, to try and show that, <laughs> that the allies are, are a little bit limited. And uh, I, I don't think this should be a red alliance. I think that's really, really harsh. Something like this, which I believe is a really themed army. I've based it around a scenario that's been published previously, cops that. And I think it does does get a little bit affected by that. Imagine the orcs cause terror like the Agma ones. That would be amazing. Or like I just, I, yeah, I just don't see why it's... Uh, the Morgul Stalkers and the Dead Marsh Spectres were, were separated. Why they got the divorce there? Yep, yep. In- interesting point. And you've done it in list form via a podcast, just like all the greatest political commentators. So, <laughs> yes, <good job>. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. Dead Marsh Spectres are from the Dead Marshes, which I think if you look at a map of Middle-earth, is located quite close to Mordor and nowhere near Angmar. Interesting. Yes, so I, yes. I'm guessing <laughs> that's to do with what age they have Angmar set as in their sort of game canon, I guess. Uh, and supposedly it is the, the second age, right? Or early third age or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I just think it's... Maybe not even early, I think they've just age. haven't really... They've uh, said, oh, it's cool, it's fun for, to play them with the shade. And then they've just put them in the list for, for game mechanics rather than theme. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe they'll do a legion of it at some point. Who knows? Maybe. Dead Marsh Legion, I love that. I really hope they do. That would be cool. I don't know what, how it would work, but I like it. Okay, all right. You know what? Um, I think you did the best you could there, Jeremy, with the uh, the idea that you had, actually. So the list, that's that's why it was driving with me, because I'm like, okay, it, like, it kind of works, but where's the... And Jeremy sort of explains how it all fits together, and that's the problem. It doesn't all fit together, does it? So, yeah, okay. Interesting, interesting. Look, I'm going to move on to the last one here because, gosh, this is going to be a long episode. Great Beasts is what my list here is called, and Great Beasts there shall be. We have the Shadow Lord, Kylie. We got a Shadow Lord in there. How do you feel about that? Garbage. I don't know why you took him. Shadow Lord. <laughs> Yay. He's got uh, Fell Beasts. He's on a Fell Beast. Um, we like those Fell Beasts on the support rates as well. 12 Wag Riders with Shield and Throwing Spears. Uh, get as many of those Throwing Spears as you can. They are one point, as I just learned, and they keep them on foot. Throwing Spears on Wag Riders, new meta. Two Wag Riders with Shield. Couldn't afford any more Throwing Spears. Sad face. We've got one Great Beast of Gorgoroth as Warband number two. We've got two Great Beasts of Gorgoroth as Warband number three. And then finally, a third Great Beast of Gorgoroth in Warband number four. That's three, count them, three Great Beasts of Gorgoroth <laughs> led, led by the Shadow Lord and a, hand, a, a bunch of Warg Riders in there as well. Just further lulls. That's a lot of bows, guys. That's 27 bow shots and 12 throwing spears protected yeah. by the Pole of Darkness. Yes. Um, that's a lot of trample. That's uh, six strength six hits immediately walking mm. into combat if you have priority and manage to get the charge. That's a decent amount of might, eight points at, uh, I think it's, hang on, let me just double check the points. So I think it was 800. I want to say it was 800. I'm going to say it's 800. It is 800. And you've actually got, uh, what I have written here is 48 units. Now, uh, is an interesting way of describing the models in this list. Because what you actually have is uh, 1, 2, 3, 14, 17, 18 moving pieces, and then a whole bunch of orcs that will probably die when they fall off the beast. Some of them survive, actually, the beast. You get you get around about well, a half to last, a quarter of them. Last time I played it, I think only one died. So yeah. 
Yeah, um, they, they definitely do survive, that's for sure. And sometimes it can be a real pain for your opponent because suddenly one model that could potentially be dealt with by one hero uh, has become eight models flying around the place and can take objectives and all that sort of good stuff. So, yeah, okay, what, what do you guys think? What, is this a viable list? Is this something you can see yourself using? Kylie, what do you reckon? <sighs> okay, all right. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my rule of three. I absolutely adore my rule of three. I don't think the rule of three is going to work in this particular army, although I think you could make it work in this particular army. I don't mind the composition, but I don't think the Shadow Lord is the Felbish you need for this list. I think you need one of the other, um, the Ringwaves, um, either a Tainted to prevent the enemy, your opponent, from actually charging and pinning your Great Beasts, or possibly even uh, a Dwemelate just to limit the amount of heroic actions your opponent has. Then again, I can see you playing hit-and-run tactics a lot with this list. It's it's a really tricky kind of spot because uh, three Drake beasts will take up a fair bit of the table, but you need them on the charge constantly. And I think you need some part of your army to... Be facilitating charges every turn because if you basically just go heads up 50 50, let's just try and call a heroic move to, and, and go for us to get slam. I think you, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and not get very far. So I think you want one of the wraiths or maybe even Gothmog or a hero like that to facilitate more charges and the ability to keep pushing forward. Okay, that's, that's really interesting because I, I think. My view of how the list was going to operate was definitely the hit-and-run option, was definitely uh, maintaining that sort of 12 to 18-inch range and trying to just, you know, pepper your opponent with as many shots as possible. Now, maybe I'm overestimating the the maneuverability of the Great Beasts. I I know they're not great in combat, obviously. They're, what, fight for uh, three attacks, I think, something along those lines. Is that right, three attacks? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. they're not great in combat. That's fine. Um, but I was really viewing the slam, or is that what it's called? No, it's just trample now, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. trample. Yeah, it's just a trample. Just the impact. Um, impact looking at that was more of a get out of jail. So if your opponent tries to get around you, you can just uh, slam your way out, if you like, trample your way out and uh, continue shooting. Obviously, they can do that anyway. They can be in combat and shoot, and that's not an issue. Um so really what I'm looking at is those 27 shots. Like, that is an insane amount of shooting. I know they're hitting on fives, but, like, that's a lot of shots. And because they're uh, just a little bit um, faster than your average troop, that eight-inch move could be very handy. You've got the Shadow Lord in there to, to like, mess up your opponent if they're trying to get in range desperately of the Great Beasts to get that charge and hopefully knock them out without being shot to pieces. But I feel like it's one of those lists that might like surprise people that people will be like, okay, it's going to come in. It's going to try and walk through me, right? It's got trample. That's what it's going to do. It's going to try and smack my army up. And when in fact it's an avoidance list, 
uh, I feel like that's going to catch some people out, and I think it might be a really interesting pick for that reason. I think you want to play it as a combat list, though, as well. I think you want to have both of those strings to your bow, so I don't mind you playing the avoidance list. I don't know if you need the, the Shadow Lord's ability to the shooting. I think you've already got shooting dominance already. Like The fact that you you can move full speed and throw every guy in your army has shooting weapons means you're actually going to scare a lot of people. You're going to have to be reasonably close for that. I would go something like a Combat Wraith instead of the Shadow Lord, so I would consider something like a Kamul or even a Witch King just to, to get that Wraith that can can do some serious combat abilities. And then, because then the best avoidance armies have something that hits really hard. So when they finally get to you, they finally reach you, you've got an assassin to go take out something really big. So I would I would consider going that way. I don't I don't mind it. I think if you wanted to play it as an optimized list, which I know that, that some people do, and sometimes that our lists really focus on that, you might drop it down to two beasts. But I really do like the the look of this. I think it's really cool to have two. I think cavalry are a good way to go with the the beasts because in the same way as my Mumak list we talked about in a previous episode, it means that they can keep up with it. It means they can go and and be opportunistic around the sides. Probably my main concern at the moment is I would consider dropping something to get a banner in this army or um, maybe even go for the the much maligned dark marshal so I can get a banner effect because um, yeah no no re-rolls in combat for those wag riders are going to hurt a little bit I think a wag rider banner would be a good purchase Funny I'll that, isn't it? I think the dark marshal and the shadow lord could easily be swapped with my two lists and it probably would be a better result yeah I agree it probably might even be worth dropping one of the great beasts for, you know, maybe a mounted captain or a mounted shaman or, or a mounted something um, and just adding in more wall riders with a banner. And, like, where's where's Kardush, Kylie? Where is he? Uh, this is a mounted list. This is one of the few exceptions for uh, not taking a Kardush. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. Take the Kardush. Take Kardush anyway. <laughs> the, moment, the moment you put in an infantry model, however, oh, you better believe you want a Kardush in there. single orc on foot ah get Kardush in there now get Kardush in stat (laughs) oh yeah it's cool it's sticking outside the box I like it Matt yeah three three great beasts is cool Uh, I think uh, my old mate Liam would probably say you know you're not trying hard enough if you haven't got three of big things in there but um gee that came out wrong anyway uh, three great beasts. Interesting, maybe not the most effective. Uh, two I've seen run very well. Kylie, stop laughing. That's not that funny. <laughs> oh, no. Two great beasts, probably, honestly, a, a better option uh, almost all of the time. Uh, but, yeah, as you said, Jeremy, my thought was to go with that cavalry option well, and to really, like, push into the avoidance. I wanted to see how many shots I could actually get with Great Beasts and still sort of retain it as an effective army. And this was the best I could do with that sort of idea in mind. Um, but hmm. 18 shots is still an absolute ton if you only take two Great Beasts. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but I think it was, uh, it was one of the Jenkinson's brothers from up in Sydney uh, ran two Great Beasts with a ring wraith, And I think it was like a dark Black Numenorean... Um, Marshall uh, in there as a supporting uh, hero. And I, I remember playing it once at a tournament and it caught me, it nearly caught me off guard. It was like, oh, Jesus, if I didn't have my own 12-inch mover, t- fly mover in my own army, it would have absolutely trounced me. But luckily I had a 12-inch mover, was able to catch him and jump on him pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. So don't underestimate that sort of, that aspect of the Great Beasts. They, um... They got a lot of range. They can do some damage from far away, and certainly up close. 
I think that just about covers our muster, guys. Uh, some some weird lists, some absolute garbage, some hidden gems. Uh, really good list writing, guys. Well done. I hope we <laughs> sparked some ideas, and I hope we've shut down some other ones. Now, look, Mordor is so flexible. You can pretty much do whatever you want, and I think we were all trying to think outside the box a little bit in yeah. that case because you can you can throw together an effective Mordor list very, very easily. I know that um in one of the latest editions of Entmoot, um, Harry talks about um, just a straight-out Witch King uh, Mordor list that he's got, which is just, just reliable and really good and really powerful. So the, you can go for the, the tried-and-true methods of them. You can take whatever you want. There's some real standout characters, but I think it's fun as well sometimes to go and just do something a little bit outside the box it's funny how we had to actually try quite hard to write some silly stuff didn't we like we had to really restrict ourselves in order to do stuff that's maybe not the most effective but still has like sort of some interesting new stuff that people haven't done before because people have done everything with mortal people have tried all sorts of different combinations hmm they certainly have. Well, I think we should leave that one there. I think this is a, is a well-done listener if you've gone this far in the episode. It's a, quite an achievement, and, yeah, definitely, definitely our longest episode by far. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Kylie. I think it's time to close down the Mordor episode. Finally done this Mordor episode. It's been a long time. We promised it forever. Thank you so much. I hope it was worth it. And remember, Traps Win Games. Traps Win Games. Traps Win Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at the Green Dragon Podcast or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.